forged in battle and tempered with blood and loss, the dwarves remain defiant and unbowed. They have grown as stubborn and unyielding as the mountains in which they dwell. The history of the dwarves tells a story of unremitting war and of countless tragedies suffered. Yet they are not worn down by hardships, but say rather that each battle and tribulation has served to further steal the resolve of an indomitable race. This is the saga of those times, and a chronicle of the many grudges the dwarfs now bear. Know that one day, all those who owe these blood debts will pay in full. Be assured of that. Welcome to the Garage, you tools. A very good morning, afternoon, and evening to you. The next three hours or thereabouts, we're going to do the best we can, keep you informed, entertained, and perhaps have a laugh or two along the way. Bringing you Dowie, Weregild, and another entry into the Book of Grudges, I'm Chris Yu. And I am the one who knocks. There we go. So, um, how are you, partner? I'm doing good. I am so excited. The moment is here is what you've been waiting for. Yes. I'm kind of glad we put this one off. I thought it would be cool to uh, get a few games in and get it under our belt and sure. not run right off into the... Uh, get some exposure to the Dowie, yeah. as they're known. And I think uh, I think that was a good... I think that was a good call because we got some games in, we got some mm. stuff. And um, unlike every other army book, you know, waiting two months didn't make us the 12th or 15th or 18th army review. I think as far as full reviews go, I think we're the first and it's two months later. I don't know if we are. I don't know. Well, I mean, other people have other people have done. They're starting to bubble up now, but yes, not certainly not with the. F- immediate frequency that past books have right. had, right? And but even those, like, because I, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and nobody has sat down and, I mean, they've said, well, they've talked about some of the new rules and a yeah. couple of units, and right, right? What do you think? And then they basically or write impressions, them off. Yeah. Right. yeah. And it's not even going through the full book. It's like, oh, hey, guess what? This is uh, this one thing, mm. and you're just like, wait a minute, um, you know, the rest of it, especially after the last couple of army books are getting two and three reviews out within the right. day of the book being released. So at first I was a little offended. I thought, you know, hey, how come nobody's covering the dwarves? <laughs> well, it's in true dwarf fashion. The reviews are slow to emerge. I'm thinking that all everybody knows that the dwarves are my army, and they know that the garage hammer reviews are comprehensive. So they've oh, all just you think they've all just taken a step back and said. We're just going to let Chris and Dave handle this because those two guys know how to handle. Well, it's not my army, <laughs> it's, it's, but it's, you're hey, you're the dwarf, the army reviews. You're gotcha. you're half of that team. I hear you. So I like to think of it that way. Everybody just said we'll let uh, White Tech hand and, and White Tech and you handle what, it. What a yeah, group effort. Yeah. Right? So that's about that. Okay. So what else is going on with you? Anything? Uh, not too much with me, but uh, before we get too far, we should take a moment to thank our sponsors. Oh, yes. Uh, those sponsors include Unique Gifts and Games in Grays Lake, Illinois. Oh, yeah. Mears Miniatures. M-I-E-R-C-E Miniatures.com. Mantic Games. Building Bigger Armies. Guild Painting. Dot com. And Battle Foam. Protecting your... Army. Oh, that feels so right. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> We're so silly. Yeah, we are. 
God, okay, I'm sorry, guys. I have this awful cough. I just caught. It's my spring cold. I get it every spring. It's like I get bronchitis, so sometimes I get these bad chest colds. Same thing happens every spring. The first real warm weekend, you know, like my wife opens up all the windows, gets some fresh air in the house, and she's one who likes to sleep when it's chilled out. So they opened up all the windows, and I had no idea that they went and shut the heat off because Ooh. the windows being open was dropping the temperature. Sure. The heat was kicking in, so it was, so it's, like, it's nice out. Just turn the heat off. So one night I went to sleep, and I woke up, and I'm looking. It was like 60 degrees in the house, oh. and I just woke up like I was freezing. And then the next day I was like, <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. And so I'm just so pardon me for my my sort of gruff, well, it's scratchy it's voice, dwarf, oh, yeah. dwarfy. <laughs> It won't slow me down. I shall keep moving. Exactly. Relentless. Yeah, there you go. Um, we don't have any shout-outs right this moment, but we, uh. did, we, did get, uh, we did get an email from a guy named Ed Moreland. Okay. Um, and he just basically said, you know, he. I'm just going to read it. Thought you guys might be able to do me a solid of shouting out the events as they come up or a little beforehand and maybe put up links. Uh, they're basically, his group is trying to get a bunch of stuff together. Uh, they have Facebook pages and all this different stuff. Like they're organizing events? Yeah, uh, they've got a 1,000-point tournament with a $10 entry fee coming up on May 10th. May 24th, a 1,500-point random team tournament. Huh. $10 that, that fee fun. that's for prize support, yep. Uh, June 14th, they're doing a Triumph and Treachery tournament. Nice. Oh. $10 entry fee goes to prize support. I don't know more about how that. that would work. Yeah. Uh, he'll be offering up a few copies of TNT as door prizes as well. Wow. That's a nice door prize, an $85 yeah, book. Uh, and then on June 28th, uh, 2,000.4 round tournament, $15 entry fee that goes all to prize support. Uh, this is from Ed. It's, I got to let's see. Hobbytown UNA, uh, uh, sorry, Hobbytown USA in Westminster. So apparently they have Hobbytown USA in England. In England? I, I'm assuming that's what I'm reading. Westminster. Assistant manager, Abbey? games order manager of Hobbytown, Cheyenne, Westminster, and Centennial. Unless there's a West, Westminster somewhere in the States. Do we know? Is he in the UK? I don't know. I don't know. Well, I mean, games order manager of Hobbytown for Cheyenne, Westminster, and Centennial. So unless there's those three places nearby... I have absolutely no idea. I just got the email, and they were asking for a little bit of a shout-out. I suspect it's in the U.S. I would have to be. Although when I read Westminster, I just automatically assumed, I might have to edit that out. I sound stupid. <laughs> Let's go back to that part. So this guy, Ed, is the manager at Hobbytown USA in mm-hmm. Westminster. And uh, I guess the assistant manager for game ordering for Cheyenne, Westminster, and Centennial. I have no idea where that is. Uh, my geography is not good, and um, I'm using my phone to read the thing, so I'm not looking up the location. Right, sure. But I, I hmm. should triangulate that. If you knew where Westminster, Cheyenne, and Centennial are. But he works for Hobbytown USA, so I'm assuming we're in the USA. I'm, that's, yeah, my assumption as well. I, I don't know. But we're going to put up a link. He's got a Facebook page, and... Uh, I'll just send it up there for the events he's setting up. If anyone's interested, he asked us to shout it out, and so I am. So, shouted. <laughs> there you go. And um, we also have voicemail. Did you know this, Chris? Tell me about voicemail. We have the voicemail, and it's wonderful. You can call 1-757-GHO6. That's 1-757-GHO6. If you're calling internationally, 
0-0-1-7-5-7-G-H-O-6. So, um, we did get a voicemail, and I have it right here, and I will play it for you. Exciting. I love voicemail. I do. I love voicemail, too. Hey, Dave and Chris. This is Jake Hutton for Grok on the Forums. Uh, just wanted to say I've been listening to your Depticon episode. It's been really awesome. Um, it actually has gotten me through the apprehension of going through my master's thesis defense, which was today. Um, I passed, which I'm very happy about, but I just wanted to say a big thank you for, you know, distracting me with your discussion of Warhammer and keeping me from, you know, getting too nervous. Uh, keep up the good work, and uh, I'll talk to you later. Congratulations, Jake. Yeah. Defending the thesis is a no small task. No, that's that's the worst part about it. Going for your master's, the most terrifying part is having to stand there and defend your thesis because you know they're going to tear you apart. Um, but we distracted him with Adepticon. Some Warhammer <laughs> chat. Um, yeah, and you know what? People are liking the episode, which I'm shocked because I was worried. I'm not gonna really. You were worried. Dude, I was putting together editing it going, this is, you, I I guess, you know, just sitting and sh- just talking to Dan and Wayne about, like, right. stuff they were doing outside of, but there was, like, so little Warhammer necessarily going on. a little on. bit. I mean, you know, difference well, in the some. play style and who they played that sure. day. Sure. I mean, it was it was fun. I just didn't know if there was... Meaty enough, so uh, yeah, to speak? basically, I was worried about it. Plus, the other hour and something that was just completely dropped. Right. Although, I have gotten a couple of people commenting that we should edit out all the bad words and just post that. It would be fun to hear. I'm uh, thinking, I wasn't there, so that's and I haven't heard it, so that's your call. It, you know what? i got to finish editing after Olinor, and i got to edit this coming mm-hmm. up. If I get a lull in the editing, maybe I'll edit it and, and send it to you okay. and have you listen and see, is this worth putting up as just a garage gamer? All right. Because it wouldn't even be a regular episode because, dude, it's just not worth it. But okay. Yeah, I'd, I'd be game for that. I'll see it if people are interested because, man, that was... That was funny. I had such a good time, though. It was so good. It, it was, was a lot of fun. So I can't believe it's over. Yeah, no kidding, huh? I've got that inspiration going, though. I do too. Yeah, the hobby blood is flowing. Flowing. Strong. Are you kidding? I well, like I said, I got the uh, the object source lighting thing going. Yeah, yeah. When I finally paint my miners, I'm going to have that from their little ah. hats. Okay. And I got my bases going. I'm so excited. So, um, you know what? That's really about it, though. We are going to skip. All of our regular segments, sorry to anybody who's waiting for them, but we got a lot of show coming up we the do. next two episodes. Yeah. So, um, a lot of uh, a lot of beards and a lot of dwarf coming up. Yep. Beards and dwarfs coming up. So, beards and dwarf. I don't don't know what that means. <laughs> it's sad that a guy who is so eloquent and has such a nice sultry tones in a voice can't pronounce such a simple word. It's just kind of pathetic, but I don't know. <laughs> Nice attempt, nice feeble attempt, but uh, <laughs> save it for the table. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. All right, so listen, um, let's take our quick break, uh, get through all this stuff, and uh, we'll, we'll come back with our guest, Mike Hackstadt yep. uh, from Canada. He's going to come on, and we're going to chit-chat fluff and a bunch of, basically everything except the general rule book, or the general... Uh, unit breakdown. Unit breakdowns, right. yeah, so... Setting the stage for the dwarves of the Warhammer world. Oh, yeah. Take it easy. We'll be back in a moment.
Hey guys, if you're the type of person who would rather have oral surgery than put a brush to a model, then let me suggest Guild Painting Services. They're a professional painting service that pride themselves on having customer interaction like going to a local commission painter, but having the quality and speed of a large studio. They build, paint, and convert miniatures for all game systems. They're competitively priced, and if you want to talk quality, go to guildpainting.com and check out the quality of the miniatures that they've got on display. If you're a person who likes to have a beautifully painted army on the table, but doesn't have either the time, desire, or ability to bring it to that standard, you can trust your models to the guys at Guild Painting Services at guildpainting.com. You'll be glad you checked them out. We're back. Welcome to part one of the Dwarf Review. Yes. <laughs> Joining us via Skype from Canada, Amy's Revenge, Mike. Hey guys, glad to be here. Welcome. Thanks for joining us on this uh, hallowed event, the Dwarf Review. It's finally come. <laughs> yes. I couldn't be more excited. <laughs> All right. Now, Mike, we brought on Mike for the fluff episode because Mike uh, is a... Uh, is a gamer after our own hearts, and uh, he cares more about what he likes to build and play on a table than about what the list is. Plus, he's got that whole Christmas goblin army. Yeah, which, yeah, yeah. it's good stuff on the, the Warpath. If you haven't seen it, go over and check yeah, it out. Yeah, I haven't touched those guys in a while, though. I've uh, found my passion elsewhere lately. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, Mike, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, who you are, your gaming preference, etc. Uh, well, I... Uh, Let's see, I started playing Warhammer in about 98 or 99, and then uh, I stopped when I moved cities and didn't start again, and so I stopped about 2001 and then started again in 2009, so I had a big gap. I basically missed all of 6 and 7. Wow. Oh, yeah, maybe I cut part of 7, but um, it was basically like the week that the 6th edition book came oh. out is when I moved, so Jeez. I didn't ever play a single game of 6. Oh, um, wow. I played Lizard Men because <laughs> they were in the starter box and I could get them really cheap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that's the only reason I started painting before I started playing. So I I had the the guy at the store in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, had two or three sets of the starter box that he just sold me for twenty dollars each, and so that's what I was painting. Nice. And then I decided to play. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so where did your uh, love of the the dwarves? eventually start well it's another one of those that I he's sort a of sensible man there well i kind of backed into it because when i started playing again you lost a bet. dwarfs were in the starter box you lost uh, a bet, you <laughs> or, or they're in the starter box so it works yeah too. so i bought a whole bunch of dwarfs in the starter box and then uh i did a road trip with well a road trip but a plane trip with my wife to the uk and bought a bunch of stuff at various shops in scotland and england and ah that's sort of, at that point, I would just did it because the plastic toys were so cheap, but I don't even use any of those because they're generally pretty terrible, hmm. <laughs> the yeah. Skull Pass ones. Uh, um, same thing with me. When I first started playing, those were all over on eBay, and you can get them dirt cheap. And I'm like, I don't know why these are so oh, cheap, yeah. but 
I got a bunch yeah, of them now. now so. Yeah, I got lots of sets of like the Ten Thunders for a dollar fifteen, and and like twenty Warriors for two dollars and oh, stuff. I, I have over two hundred of the Warriors, but I'm just painting my first thirty of them right now. Huh? Like five years later. <laughs> <laughs> as long as they get painted. Yeah. <laughs> oh but, boy. Uh, yeah. So I mean, right now I've sort of. I'm really focusing on the dwarfs, but uh, I have those Christmas orcs and goblins that uh, I still have probably four times as many models as I've painted, and uh, oh, I've, got, <laughs> I've got Warriors of Chaos at a much more reasonable level that I've at least assembled and primed everything I have, and same with some ogres. I got a bunch of Mantic ogres, so I built an ogre army for pretty cheap. Okay, cool. But they're still not finished painted either, but they're at least primed and, uh, and assembled that I can play with them. They're, they're in a <laughs> staging area ready to go. Yeah. Very so, nice. come on 2019 when I can start painting them. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, all right, let's uh, let's get to the... Uh, I know you're excited, David. <laughs> yes, I can I see am. it in your eyes. So, here we are, the Dwarfs, produced by Games Workshop Design <laughs> Studio, additional playtesting, Ben Johnson, Greg Millard Morris. They don't have an author listed here. Yeah, I noticed that, too. I think it's the first one. Without an actual author, and but listen, oh, listen, oh, look, Curry's name isn't listed under the playtesting. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't want to playtest the dwarfs. I bet you that's what it was. The dwarf haters out there, look at this nonsense. I wonder if they didn't list the author because they didn't want people to have their perceptions tainted by who that particular author might be, for better or for worse. But they've been well, listing them in the past. Hang on yeah. now. Yeah. Some of the other ones don't either, though. I've just got the Orcs and Goblins one here, and it doesn't have a written by credit. It's got hmm. uh, a whole bunch of credits for art, game development, etc., but it doesn't have an actual written by. The Dark Elf one does, written by Matt And the Lord. Warriors of Chaos yep. one has yeah. a written by. Interesting. And let's see. Does the Ogres have a written by? No, the Ogres doesn't have a written by either. So it seems like case by case. I, I think it's either because it's a group effort, so they can't credit any I, one person. I thought Credis got the credit for uh, Empire and Lizardmen. Uh, his was the first name on the game's development list for Orcs and Goblins, but it was there was no written by credit. Oh. Or well, there the isn't person. even that section here. There's just nothing at all. Or the person the that did write this doesn't want to yeah. own up to it and admit it. Whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like there's he a whole section with, with dozens jealous. of names in it and those others, yeah. Right. Oh, I didn't I didn't realize that. So how about this cover? I like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty cool. This I don't is... know how I feel about the guy's hammer. Like, I don't know. I, I Some days I like it and some days I don't. <laughs> sort of the, the dragon of head? The... Yeah, but... Yeah. I, don't I, don't know, I like my hammer to have a nice flat striking surface. I guess I don't know. Well, it leaves a nice imprint on the see, forehead you know of a who goblin. He's killed because you'll see that imprint on them. Yeah. yeah. See, and then he's got yeah. the small hammer and axe in case he loses the big hammer. What's with the ground? Is he like shattering the earth as he walks on it? Or? That's what I. That's what I wasn't certain was going on either. Uh, you know, they're up in the mountains. Looks like it's water. It looks like lava, like kind of like. Uh, Maybe. Like Earth, yeah. I guess it's kind of glow lit from beneath. I yeah. guess. I don't know. I, I I'm not certain what that is either. Or it's liquid grommel <laughs> pouring forth from the ground. It's very uh, kind of Norse looking, Viking looking. Oh yeah. And it wasn't 
like that as much before, was it? They've gotten a little bit. They're they're more muscular and stout than short and fat, which in some of the older editions. In fact, if you see some of the older the older art in this book, yeah, they look almost more jolly. They're a lot right. shorter with huge bellies, right? And it's like not yeah. they've sort of Kinda moved away cartoon. from that where they're they're yeah. they're stunty, but they're they're thick as a brick. The first yeah. image uh, on the inside page in color is in the same vein. In fact, I think I like this image a little bit better, where it's the dwarf. The one on the inside of the cover, or do yeah. you mean the, one, the color one? The color one, the first page after the divider. He's standing yeah, with the runic hammer. Yeah, sort of more of a yeah. runesmithy guy. Yeah. Cracking the ground in front of him. He's just kind of radiating energy. Check out that other hammer he's got, too. Yeah. <laughs> hey, and it's got that same dragon head. You lose, Mike. Everybody's got one now. Oh, but it's got a flat striking surface. It's only <laughs> on the sides on that one. <laughs> Hey, you guys can hammer that out on the game. Oh, table. man. Fight for uh, hammer rights. <laughs> so uh, where do you wow. where do you want to start off with? Uh, special rules? Uh, are we going to skip the fluff? Well, the fluff is such a big thing. <laughs> I mean... That's going to be a three-segment endeavor. Let's do it now. Yes. I've waited long enough. Uh-huh. So before we even get into the fluff... I want to pose this question to both of you guys. Why, to the average person out there who's maybe starting and is new to Warhammer, why should they pick up a dwarf army? I have a bit of an answer to that. Okay. Is that you, 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 if you are a fantasy fan in general, you always already have a reasonably good idea of what you're in for character-wise with dwarfs. Like, there's, there's GW-specific stuff, but in general, they kind of mat- match the dwarf archetype in the wider fantasy world. So you kind of already know what you're in, in for. Yeah. I mean, dwarves or elves, honestly, are the two that everybody knows. Because, I mean, yeah. I, you know, and nothing against Empire, but you either like to play humans or you want to play a fantasy army. And sure. If you want to play a fantasy army, the two that stick out are the races of elves and dwarves. And if you don't want to play an elf... You're stuck with dwarves. They're not stuck with dwarves, but I'm saying <laughs> this is the other option for a new player. Right. For an archetype, yep. you understand. If you don't like dwarves, you probably like elves. I'm saying if you like fantasy, you like either dwarves or elves because they're pretty much the bulk. True, true. I, I, I wonder if other people out there that could like both. I suppose. Well, sure. I have a wood elf army and a dwarf army. I like them both. So your door swings both ways. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it's like a, it's like one of those revolving type <laughs> swings doors. and roundabouts. It, go, it goes where it needs to go. Right. So <laughs> wisely said. <laughs> <laughs> hey, minor! I got orcs and goblins and dwarfs, so I'm not one to talk. Oh about. yeah, there you go. Stick it one way. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? Honestly, I think the dwarfs are kind of an easy start too, because yes, you know you you could literally, and we'll get to this when we start talking about army list builds and stuff like that. But you know, a couple of war machines, and they're it's an all infantry army, so mm. you can get a basic idea for the game. Really easily, and plus, if this is a learning army without the magic phase, there's a no- yep. one less thing to it's pick big, up. Yeah, it's a big chunk. Um, and then you've got the infantry. So you're learning. Uh, this is an army where you really with the sh- with the movement three. All your movements important. Mm-hmm. Every movement, everything you're doing, and you're getting the hang of moving these blocks of infantry around. You know, then you know you got a couple of bits of your fast. You know, with your gyrocopters. But I think it's a it's an army that a, a, a new player, um, I think, can pick up. Pretty readily because there's uh, 
part of their limitations is part of their appeal. You know, there's it's gotcha. Makes sense. That's my opinion, at least. Yeah, I, I agree. Okay. So, how'd you like that for an answer? I find that to be a, a more than acceptable answer. Wow, thank you. We may proceed. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, so um, okay. I, I there's a lot of fluff here. That. Yeah, you're telling me. You came over with notes. I'm impressed. I started writing a couple pages, and I said, you know, I've read this now three, four times. I'm good. <laughs> three, four times you read it? Yeah. I only read it the one time, but I did make the notes. But, yeah, you got like four pages of type notes here. This is fantastic. Well, it, it basically just outlines what I read. Yeah. No, it's... It streams on, streamlines it a little bit, highlights some things that I think are worth mentioning. Yeah. So let's start off here now. The first couple pages, they give you that sort of general overview before they jump into the history. Mm -hmm. And this is just, um, you know, they talk about the dwarf, the World's Edge Mountains is where they live. Mm -hmm. And they call their own Karazankor. Ooh. Very ethnic. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) You got the tongue roll and everything. And uh, that translates into the everlasting realm. And this is where they were. Now, this is one of the cool things about this. And, of course, you get everybody's personal point of view. Uh But you get some of the things at the beginning of here, how in the golden age of the dwarfs, even the poorest of the dwarf holds could could boast for riches beyond the wealthiest kings of other races. Because they were just mining and delving and doing all this. And they did. They had this beautiful, really ornate, well-crafted realm just built by these guys who are just all about work and perfection of their craft and stuff like that. Uh, and to, to a fault, arguably. To, yes. Well, and they had centuries to uh, without any problems to to distract them from their craft. So mm-hmm. they could make these vast halls with the the gold everywhere and all the stone carving and everything. And with because there was they nothing had, else yeah. to do, right? Yeah. And when they finally did start trading with people, they had so much gold. It's like they didn't have to do anything they didn't want to because they could afford to buy it. Hmm. But. Um, it goes into so now you were talking about how sometimes you know they're they're they get to a they get stubborn to a fault. Yeah. Um, one of the great things I thought in here is there is no word for forgiveness in the dwarf language. <laughs> they hold grudges and they write them down. They write them down. This is a this is a race that their entire culture is based basically on keeping score. You want to keep yeah. you know you 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 want to make sure that you've got everybody. You you don't want to be indebted to too many people, you know. You want to make sure that you're you're living right and that people, you know, <coughs> that the score is settled. Yeah, that things are right. And when things go wrong, they're gonna get put right. And it's they that's where the books of grudges come in. And if you do something against them, they write it in the book of grudges. No, and matter, no matter how small, the slightest provocation could enter you into that book. Well, it, it depends on the dwarf writing it. I mean, I've read dwarf fluff where they had said the one guy hadn't talked to his brother in 40 years because when it was his turn to buy a round, he was like, oh, I'm done. We're even. And he's like, no, no, I bought the first round. No, I did. And they got an argument, and they hadn't talked for that long. And that because, made it into the book? I don't know if he wrote it in his book of grudges, but they talked about how they hold, you know, when how how seriously they take any personal sure. slight. Their, 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 their whole race is built on honor. And it's it's gotten to the point where it's honor to a fault because basically, you know how the dwarves do the one-upmanship in their politics. Yeah, the dwarves have the same thing in their sort of honor system. Mm, that's that's a downward spiral to destruction, I think. Well, that's why you yes. have these things. The, the Great Book of Grudges has been around since the first dwarf king, and you write down wrongs because 
your whole family is you're one part with this family. So if if someone if someone does something to me, mm-hmm. and I and I, I winds up in our family's book of grudges, if it's not fixed before I die, it's still in there. My kids are still your family is responsible yeah, for it. And, and they and it's not like responsible like oh man you left us with a bunch of grudges. More like, oh man, we can't believe it. You did. It, it's like they have this burning like passion to. You're right. Yeah, they've to, got to, to rectify balance, it. Yeah, yeah, it's got to be balanced. Yeah, and it's 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 gets a little getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. But one of the greatest sort of achievements of the current High King is that the Book of Grudges has gotten shorter instead of longer in his reign. Like that's remarkable and greatest king ever sort of material. That's a good point. I I like that. That's I think one of the best things about this book. Yeah. And we'll swing back around the to that. The expansion yeah. of the fluff to when we get to uh, yes, it's it went from It's evolving. Yeah, it went yeah. from Mike, you were saying it. What were you saying yeah. about it? Well, I, we, I I don't know if this is the the point to discuss it, but it sort of went I, I noticed that the word hope is in a lot of places in this book and I yeah. as part of my preparation I went over the last book never really any mention of any kind of hope at all so <laughs> they're done for that's one book. of the two major changes that i noticed the other one we'll get to <laughs> yeah no this is this is really good but there is no word for forgiveness they keep these right. grudges yeah yeah so i just thought it was neat that the, the basically the measure of a successful king is that the book of grudges gets smaller instead of bigger <laughs> yeah and that's it like that's the, the most important yeah thing. the damash kron yeah. the great book of grudges thorgrim grudge bear has it so can we cover other quick negative accounts of dwarves. Then we'll hit the positives, if there are any. Sure. Um, they, have, they have a fabled intolerance of flaws and crafts. And if it means wrecking all progress to start over, then they're fine with that. So it's almost you like... consider that a flaw, if you like. Uh, yeah, I mean, if, if perfection is the goal, I can respect that. But if, it may, if you can never attain... If it becomes impractical, then it, it sort of... Yeah. Well, it's not I mean, even they, perfection, they were... but if you see an obvious flaw, it's like, oh... I can't put this out. that farther than you or I would, but yeah. yeah. We would say, you know, most people wouldn't notice it's not important. But to them, yeah, I'm putting it out there. This is my work, my quality. Right. If there's an obvious flaw and I see it, I can't put it out because then well, well, I'm putting out shoddy It's one thing to correct that, the, that, that flaw, that part of it. It's another thing to completely wreck the whole thing and start from scratch. Well, if needs be. If you can't fix the flaw without tearing the whole thing down, mm. you still can't put it out there. You might as well tear it down. That's that's the logic that's going behind. That this. is the dwarf logic. Yeah. It, you well, know, it's you not. Know I'm gonna. Been... It's not. Oh my god! There's a mistake. Burn it down. It's there's a mistake. Can I fix it? Not without wrecking it. Well, then we might as well wreck it because I'm not putting it out like this. Yeah, I'm an engineer in the real world, and that's <laughs> sort of the way that we do things too. Is that, you know, if if there's something that is wrong, you can't. You know, release it to the world. So you do whatever you can to make it not wrong. And if you can't, you got to take it all down because you can't. If, if it goes it. right back to step one of of uh, faulty design from the beginning, then you scrap it and start over. Yeah. See, I took that to mean that uh, you know that whatever the device is, it functions just fine. But there's something you know aesthetically not right with it. It's not a perfect angle. Oh, and that too. Yeah. And because of that, if if, can't even though it functions, it. It, you know, it meets all requirements, it's not good enough. We got to scrap it. We got to start over. It's, there you go. If it, oh, this angle's wrong. Can you fix it? No. Okay. Well, we're not we're not getting we're not it's selling not it a faulty angle. It's not exactly. perfect. So we have to scrap it. When you can do it perfect and it's not and people note you on your quality yeah, it's, it's, I, I it's, understand that, but uh, it's taken to the nth degree. It's kind of psychotic. But sometimes when you're in, you know, in this harsh world where you're trying to survive, a lot of times you don't have that. Uh, They're walking around like luxury. kings of the world. There, that's what they were doing. That's the thing. They had all yes, the time. Yes. 
So um, now I like this next part uh, in here. They talk about um, their <laughs> how their grudges fan their stubbornness, pride, and a desire to settle the score. So it's like they're, 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 the the nice thing about this this fire that they have to, is that they never say die, they never willingly quit. They can't. It's not in their nature. Right. So all these scores to settle. This is the thing where it, when the going gets tough, they just keep pushing, and that's where that actually works in a, mm-hmm. in a positive way. But a lot of people, when this book came out, were expecting you know things like bear cavalry or some sort of fast cab or something. <laughs> and then if you read right in here. And I love this part. Um, Ages of warfare affords them into a hardy race of grim warriors. What they lack in numbers is compensated by their sheer determination. They fight in heavy infantry, eschewing cavalry, for it's not their way to ride upon beasts. In truth, the rugged mountains they call home are not conducted with cavalry. And regardless, a dwarf's too short of stature to ride upon a horse, although they are far too proud to admit it. Instead, they fight on foot as is proper and as they have always done. And then it talks about how heavy their their armor is and stuff like that. So right. there it is in the book. Basically, listen, you're not getting fast calf. You're not getting heavy calf. You're an infantry nope. army. No monstrous calf. Live with it. Right. It's, <laughs> no, I think that makes there's, sense. There's, uh, there's wiggle room there for like some sort of crazy technological Flying monstrous thing. infantry yeah. like the rumor was for a while. But, oh, I'm uh, so glad they didn't come out with Dwarf Warjacks. I would have been pissed. <laughs> dwarf Warjacks. Yeah, I'm, I'm fairly glad. I, I think I would have been wanted okay with it either way. But they wanted the, hev- the monster steep, infantry. Steep power kind exactly. of uh, and, you know what? type of stuff. Exactly. Or even if it was rune-powered, it's still what, you know, it's like not something I wanted, but I would have been able to deal. Made out of stone, you know, crafted out of stone with runes on it. But still, even yeah. then, then that just looks like those uh, war machine things. Yeah, no, I think they did it right. The infantry, they're... they're <laughs> Fighting underground and in tunnels, exactly. and their armor and their small stature is conducive to that. And yeah. the the whole helicopter thing makes perfect sense because that's the perfect way to go from mountain Carrick to, mountain. to Carrick. Yep, to communicate or oh, it's or really whatever. cool. So it makes yeah. sense. In fact, I fi- I finished reading that book Thorgrim, and although I can't really give it a thumbs up at all, mm-hmm. the gyrocopter showing up in places and running messages back and forth, and yeah. just hearing them flying overhead, and you know, scoping out where the guys they have these snipers going, they're <laughs> flying yeah. out looking for them. It was really cool. Yeah, that <laughs> is cool. It, it makes sense. It's it worked with the fluff. So, but uh, I just like that they threw that in there. They're like, listen, this is an infantry army. That's right. proper, proper yeah. dwarf infantry. Well, to to spin off on the, the whole positive accounts of dwarves, you, you mentioned their perseverance against all odds. Yes, you know their dogged loyalty. Of course, the fine their fine engineers and architects. Yep. Um, the, and there, there was one passage where they talked about uh, they developed advanced engineering. Uh, Mike, that probably strikes a chord with you and how they mm-hmm. pioneered the use of black powder and deciphered the secrets of black powder. So, and steam, yeah. And steam, yeah. This intro's funny, though, because, like, there's the dwarfs. And it starts off with, okay, there's no word for forgiveness. They dwell. They love golden gems. They have grudges. That keeps their fire burning. They're an infantry army. They're heavy. Right. Slayers are kind of weird. Thorgrim grudge right. bear rules. Like, the, it, the, did you notice that? All of a sudden, it's like all this stuff about this, and suddenly, like two paragraphs for the end, the most baffling to other races are the slayers. And it just basically gives yeah. you one quick paragraph. Like, they're kind of nuts. They've taken this oath. And then it jumps into the, suddenly, boom, then it hits Thorgrim grudge bear. The time of endurance is over. A new era is dawning, and a time for vengeance has begun. This is yeah, th- right. There is the change. Yes, yeah. new era is dawning. Is is a tell, is something that would never have been in the previous book. 
Was the old book more uh, like the the era is coming to an end and we're just grasping to hold on? Yeah, it was very much uh, of the tone of remembering glory past, and almost none of it was sort of trying to even trying to recapture, let alone move past it. Huh. They were they were basically holding on to what they had. Yep, and that was pretty much where they were at. They were holding on to what they had. They wouldn't admit, and they were constantly trying to get, but right. Especially with all the holes in the stuff in the in, I mean, with the Skaven sure. and the goblins able to come in, it's like every, it basically it's like they keep taking one step here and the losing ground there. So it's like this never-ending battle that they can't seem to gain a foothold so, on. So the old book was like uh, fading embers, but this new book is like you're fanning the flames and getting sparks right. going. Kind of. I like that. Like, like I mean, Thorgrim was in the last book as well, but his role was sort of not emphasized very much. I think there was one column sort of of text. On one page that talked about him, and yeah, I mean, he had his it. own page in the special character slot. But his, 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 yeah. as far as the history book goes, it's like he's the king and he's very tough, and people love him. But here, he, well, and even describes so some of the events that yeah, describes some of the events that he's taking part in. But it wasn't a big emphasis like it is now. Hmm. Um, yeah, and even I mean, showing how he became high king and showing like what he was like before he even got the title. Yeah. And it's just, it really, it's it's this, he is this grandiose hero. I mean, seriously, this this guy is like. Yeah. Well, he gets a whole page here later, so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's like a return to the, to the, to the ancestor gods, practically, when the way he's yeah. getting things done. Right. Yeah. This is like when people are saying Sigmar's returned and stuff like that. It's like, oh. Can we talk about those, uh, those gods? Sure. There's, there's three of them. Yeah, so the dwarves think that they were actually literally born of the Stone of the Mountains. That's how their history goes. And these guys came right out of the Stone of the Mountains. And there's uh, Grimnir, Grunjni, and uh, Valia. 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 Sorry. And uh, so what do those gods represent? uh, Grimnir is the warrior god. Okay. Uh, Valia is the... uh, Hearth and hold, healing... That yeah. sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Bonding and community. And Grunjni is... Uh, Crafting and runes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. so that's the trifecta sort of of the dwarf existence right there. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it kind of gets carried down even into like the runes on the anvil and stuff. It's kind of one for each of them hmm. in theme anyway. Yeah. So they're, they're godlike characters. Would they be like um, a Narian, like that level? Of like super character or, oh, or literally oh. gods? Um, yeah, well, it's hard to say. Really, they, I mean, they, they're very much sort of real people. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so they I, actually do actual things. Like they're not sort of legends or anything. Right? Yeah, like they're actually they're leading armies and yeah. Is, yeah, is yeah. Sigmar a god? I mean, you hear I mean, was a Narian. Yeah, I, they're kind of uh, pseudo gods. I suppose it's yeah. definitely closer in flavor to Sigmar. Out of anyone. Yeah. Like, yeah. But, I mean, they did things that nobody else was able to do. They pushed it that far. Mm. I mean, you can go to even, like, stuff. Like, even if you look at Tolkien's stuff, like his, uh, the stuff for the Silmarillion. Once Mm. you had the eldest of the elves creating things that no other elf could ever create. These people were revered as as gods, you know, among Among mortals. They weren't, but, yeah, they were just so... um, now I, I noticed there wasn't any artwork that depicted these these three gods. I, I take it there's no miniatures or anything that it have had, no. had ever existed of no. these. No, 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 no. 
No, but um, they are all, they have really cool, cool stories, uh, the different things that they do. Um, Hold on, where do I have it? Yeah, especially Grimnir's story is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, because Grimnir was the one, uh, basically, you've got all of these these dwarfs and they're, they're building these realms, and that's, and then suddenly chaos happens. Okay, the chaos gates break or whatever right, happens. Yeah. And that's when... Now, I thought this was weird. The dwarves are pretty much masters of their realm. You know, they've got these underground holds. They're perfectly secured. Mm-hmm. Despite the orcs and the goblins and the things running about outside, no one can break in. They're just too powerful. Right. Okay. And then there's this huge coming of chaos, which is like when the chaos gates first break and all these demons start pouring through. Um and it says here, the dwarfs maintain that Grungeny warned his people that such a time might come, and he told them to take def- refuge deep beneath the mountains. There they sheltered as the winds of magic erupted out of the north and scoured the world. When it passed, it left a layer of dust. And they, so they basically they come out, and they find all these mutants. And they, so basically, for some, somehow, Grungeny, the guy, the creator, and the guy with doing all the runes, yeah. apparently had a... Hey, there may be a time when this stuff in the north happens. You see this coming. Right. Hide. How did he know this? I have no idea. But the dwarves hid. Underground, yeah. locked out. And when they came out, the chaos storm had passed. The world the, was definitely... Fallout shelter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. And then they come out. And the best part is, when the demons attack, the World's Edge Mountains were the safest place in the world. Because uh, Grimnir... <laughs> Excuse me, is out there leading all the different kings and thanes. Mm-hmm. They are wiping out every bit of demons that are coming. Yeah, they clear the whole area pretty yeah. much. So uh, this is the demons. only place that they've just like they have no hold in. They can't get there. Now dwarves are resistant to magic and chaos more than other things. Right. Um, but still, it was really cool that they did this. And then Grimnir decides, okay, we've got them broken and they're running. So now he starts chasing down, right, going after them. These demons, and that's when they meet. The elves. Kalador, Dragon Tamer. That's when his fleet yep. uh, of ships, those wayward fleets, was blown off course. Yep. And uh, that was the, the fateful meeting of the elves and the dwarves for the first time. Yeah. So, you know, they find there, and he's looking for this clues to where the chaos is coming from. Instead, he finds Grimnir. Mm-hmm. And is this the first time that the high elves reached the old world? Uh, I don't think it's the first time they've reached the old world. Because uh, they've traded with the, uh, well, I guess the empire wouldn't have been the around. The empire isn't around yet. No, this, uh, they said they were blown off course. They might have been here, but I don't. I mean, there was nothing here that they knew of worth, worth, uh, yeah, coming to. Because they didn't, yeah. Because nobody was coming over here really. In fact, when Malekith went, there was a couple of kings that had set up places out here, but it didn't seem to be a, a huge thing yet. So kind of the Wild West, yeah, at that point. So maybe, it, I don't know, maybe it was, or close to the first. I have no idea. And it's, it says Kalidor and Grimnir didn't quite know what to make of each other, but they re- recognized each other as not enemies. I love that. They don't, yeah. they're, they're not enemies. That's what they recognize. Right. They're not friends. In fact, they never seem to really get to be friends, except for in, in some small parts. Well, there's probably kind of a, a respect. Oh, sure. Right? Yeah. Oh, I, sure. I, for sure. But... um you know, they meet them and they realize they're not enemies. Then beastmen attack, and so they turn around and. I, I love that. Like we're we're they're trying to figure out. You know, 
yeah, we we don't know who you are, we, but we think we're not enemies. Then they throw in these random poor beastmen. Well, the thing is, he tells them that he was chasing the demons. Yeah. And so, because they actually, that's where they exchange information. He tells them, I'm here looking for where these demons came from. And he tells them about how they've been coming from the north. And Calador tells yeah. them, oh, that must be that where the chaos gate is broken. So Calador is yeah. going back with his information, mm-hmm. planning to what he needs to do. And Grimnir is like, what? So then he's like, He's got his information, uh, so then they uh, exchange gifts and yep. head home. It's, it tickles me. One of this wording here is that uh, what Grimner made of the tall and haughty elf mage is not recorded, because the only place it would have been recorded is the Book of Grud. So it's a good thing it probably wasn't recorded, right? Because right. <laughs> that's the only records they had, really. <laughs> oh, geez, yeah. Well, their historians apparently kept pretty good records, but it's in those Book of Grudges where you see everything. Yeah, well, I, I get the impression that the Book of Grudges is like the only thing, or one of one of few things that's made it through that whole time of all the oh yeah, you yeah. Know, all the disasters and all all the just time aging stuff. Yeah, so the the only historical accounts they have are all negative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so these are all the people who wronged us. That's what we it got. Must have been great. Right. This is our five thousand year old crap list, and you're still on right. it, right? <laughs> <laughs> So here's here's where Grimnir's story gets cool because Grunjni taught them how to do the runes and he taught them building and all the master crafting, and Valia's building up their sense of clan and family, and and honor and uh, you know use, and magic resistance and magic resistance and, and this sort of healing stuff, and then you get Grimnir, um, they're heading back from meeting with the elves. and another big wave of chaos rolls through, and this time it's way worse than the first time. And this is actually where they start retreating, and the dwarves are getting their butts kicked. Mm-hmm. And uh, Grimnir just says, "Forget it." And after losing a couple of holes, um, Grimnir just decides, "I'm going for the gate. I'm going to go close the gate." So he took the information given to him by Calador and said, "You know what? I'm just going to fix this." Yeah, I'm just going to go. Now, I don't. Uh, I mean. I wonder if he knew what kind of gate it was, because I'm not understanding exactly how you would close a hole. He probably thought, oh, I'm just going to take this, my axe to it and, well, exactly. and bash it. Yeah. Or else, I mean, I mean, I wonder if he was picturing like a literal gate. Like this gateway is open. That there's got to be a way to close it. Wood or something. Or <laughs> stone. I mean, think about it. They've got all sorts of big doors and things closing yeah. up, blocking things. I mean, just I'm wondering what he was picturing. Whatever it is, I'm going to, you know, it's open. I I'll close it. Well, well really, it's it's a it's a it's a rift or a tear. Yeah, in, like space time or whatever you want, right. however you want to call it. I always kind of picture the Stargate when I picture the Chaos Gate, like a portal, like the big round portals. I, yeah, I can see that. Because yeah, why it's would a little they... too organized though? Yeah, I mean, just a, <laughs> but, but a little, the thing is, a little too tidy. But when the old ones were there, they had they they had Stargates on the north and south poles. I thought of the planet. Wasn't that yeah. how that worked? It could be. I, I yeah. see it as like a big, like almost a big tear of paper in this dimension. Oh, yeah. And you look through it, and you see, you know. Well, I was thinking something a little more organized. The great old ones had be. built something. You know what it is? was organized, but then probably sort of kablam. Right. It's gone. Well, that's what I figured. Is a part of it's broken. You place. see the base of it, but the top part's broken off, and there's this rift in the you middle. You know what it is? The na- due to the nature of chaos, however you interpret it is how you see it. 
So it's oh, different for everybody. I like that. Yeah. That's a, so that's no a good non-answer. That's right. <laughs> never go to the elves with questions because they will tell you both yes and no. You don't like my answers? Deep, cease asking questions. <laughs> that's uh, spoken like somebody writing fluff, but keeping in mind the next book. He doesn't want to put anything right. in yeah. stone. <laughs> exactly. So they, now he gets back there and he goes off to the gates. Now, when he sets off, did I read correctly that he shaves his head save for a single defiant crest? He's the first slayer. Yeah. Is that what that means? He's going out there. He's going to find his doom. Yeah. He's say because they yeah. Okay. I I just wanted to that's that's clarify re- yeah that, that uh, when other people when they go to, to to you know he went out to find his doom and 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 put the, do this great deed right and that's what they're trying to do. Slayers are trying to regain honor by doing something worthy of song, doing some great deeds to regain but, their honor. But he, slayers typically do it in order to kind of repair some some wrong that they've atone. done before. A, yeah, to atone. Yeah, right. But he's well, not. yeah, but he did lose a couple holds. So I mean, it doesn't say yeah, it here, true, but that's true. the first time they would have lost any. That's holds, the first time so. they've lost anything. Yeah, that's, that's right. A great yeah. point. They came through, and not only didn't he win, which he kept it safe. He went to defense mode, and he lost ground. And he lost. Uh, and then he's like, I can't handle this. I'm going to put an end to this myself. Yeah. And he goes into Slayer mode. I see he gave one of his axes to his eldest son, and that was the crappy one that does <laughs> extra wounds against giants, If because <laughs> Thorgrim still got it. Uh, That's right. <laughs> you know, what was that all about? Come on. It couldn't be extra wounds to monsters. I mean, it should have been to I, it's, monsters. It's, there's no reason that that isn't just D3 or D6 wounds, period. Oh, that's true. Yeah. It should be. A, yeah. D3 wounds to giants. Or, it's like, or to anything large target. Yeah, but I can see he's like, oh, this one's terrible. You keep this. I'll take this good one, whatever it does. <laughs> <laughs> While his son thinks, wow, this is awesome. Sure, son. <laughs> Think whatever you want. So, oh, and here's a nice little bit that they throw in there. This is around the time that Kalidor is doing his spell to drain the magic gates. Right. So one of the rumors is that he single-handedly was holding off the chaos invasion from the north gate, slowing it down by himself while he was doing the thing, slowing down how much chaos was getting through so they could do what they so were the, doing. So, the, uh, yeah, buying the elves time, right, to, Helping, to do what they yeah, could. Hey, right. he, was standing right, th- he was the only one there at the gates. No, I mean, come on, let's face it. Anarian did... I mean, he took on four sure greater he took demons. On four sure. greater demons, but as stuff was coming out the gate, he was sitting there. He's holding back the tide, killing, yeah. what he, killing everything that was coming out is that he could get to. It's it's epic. It's an epic tale, and it's an epic. It's they an also epic they also mentioned the lizard men are helping augment the high elves in their attempts to close this gate as well. Yep. Everybody thinks they're doing it by themselves, and right. nobody is. Right. Well, the lizard men are the only ones doing it by themselves. Yeah, exactly. Well, they're doing it by them. They think they're doing it by the will of the old ones, but they read yeah. something, they murmur it's a mumble bumble, right. and then the next thing you know, okay, let's do this. So it's interesting that all the forces of light, you know, are playing their role in keeping chaos at bay. Yep. Except for the humans. So you want, do you want to hear my theory of what here. happened to Grimnir? Yeah. Well, of course. <laughs> Three hundred years later, the chaos dwarves start worshiping Hashut. Wait, what? Three hundred years later is when the the dwarfs in in the mountains of Morn or wherever they are start worshiping Hashut. Three hundred years after Grimnir disappears. So what do you say? So what's the tie-in? Well, he's just striding straight into chaos, and then maybe he strides back out with a penchant for fire. Interesting. Oh, oh man, that's that is so wrong. That is so, know, it's so wrong. It's so right. Though. I, it I'm is. That must be what happened. 
Wow. Well, if you that's, read the Beastman book, the Beastman books talks about how beasts were warped into different things. Humans and beasts were warped into mixed yeah. creatures, which is kind of how the Beastmen came about. So getting uh, a guy and then getting his followers as bull dwarves kind of actually almost works. The, the god of the Hashut is basically god of uh, what war and death. They call or? him Father of Darkness. The one time he's mentioned in this book, yeah, Father of Darkness. in the timeline, yeah. Huh. And I don't remember what it says in Tamarcon because, and I don't have I don't have it handy. But I like that theory though. Grimnir goes in, saves the world. Three hundred years later, comes back out, father mm-hmm. of darkness. Because I mean, chaos is pretty uh, potent stuff. Like it is. I, and, I could just and, see and, the God, chaos gods laughing at that, which is almost purpose. weird because the, being how resistant the dwarfs are, he comes out and he looks at his dwarfs. I can save you from these demons, but now you got to mm-hmm. worship me, right? Mm-hmm. And he comes in, and and yeah, that's that almost works. And they worship him, and they start getting his taint, even though they don't think anything, right? You know, yeah. they don't realize it's, it's not supported anywhere that I've read, other than that he disappeared, and then Hashu shows up later. So it's just my own personal things. I like that theory, though. It's got a lot of meat to it. Yeah, I'm gonna stick away from that. You don't like that. You don't like that, do you? That's well, I don't a, like it. I just think it's true. Yeah. <laughs> it could be true. <laughs> I think but it's awful. David tragic. is David is squirming though. I think because it's so tragic, he doesn't like that idea no, no, one I, bit. I don't like. I don't like thinking that any of the dwarves are falling to chaos in that way. Well, that's the chaos dwarves were are splint. They splintered off, yeah, well, so they yeah. were regular dwarves at one point. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> he doesn't like it. <laughs> so um, the demons go away, and the dwarves come out, and now all the grungeny's gone. Valia and the lesser deities had disappeared. That's that's where I was that's, referencing. That's, yeah, but go. that's all they reference them. As. Yeah, and then they do. Re- they mention them. They mention that they have these other deities in right. that book. But yeah, they didn't go into details on who they were. Um, it's they believe they return to the Martin's heart. Go, they went back to stone, and they'll emerge when they're needed again. Sure. So this marks the start of the dwarf golden age. Yes. So the demons have been vanquished. Strongholds are deepened and cities connected. What's that one underground sort of highway? The underway. The underway. Yeah, okay. there's a there's a whole uh, there's a whole expansion for that on the digital downloads. Yeah, is that can, out? Yeah, I have it. You have it. Uh-huh. Why, have, why haven't we played it? Because uh, it's actually basically made for dwarfs and skaven mostly, or dwarfs and goblins. We could we can totally play. I, it. I'm down. Okay. Yeah. I wanted to wait until I got a handle on my army before we started pulling out other stuff, and uh, I just got it on the iPad, so, so we'll have not, to look you, at it. It's not like you're scared. No. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm oh, liking okay. my new art. All right. All right. The games I've been playing with it, oh, it's so hard to get used to playing an elite army again after playing the... the, the Wall of Dead Flesh army. Yeah. army. Yeah. The, the horde, the replenishable horde army, the tactics, I mean, I got so yeah, used to... You can't replenish that 15 points per model army. It was hard. It was hard playing it's, it the first time. Different game, for sure. <laughs> well, like I said, there's you, a lot of things you get used to playing dwarfs that you uh, that are bad habits elsewhere, yeah. like leadership nine everywhere. But yeah, anyway, that's, yeah, true. Yeah. That's, uh, well, let's take a break because it's about break time, and when we come back, we will get into the first big, uh, the big long 400 year war that the dwarves have. What the elves refer to as the war of the beard, which is properly referred to as the war of vengeance, war of the beard, that's whatever. Right. <laughs> Whatever, we'll be back. Don't make me. Don't make us have a vote. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back.
The dwarf city fortress of Jufpar resides in a deep chasm down the mountainside from Blackwater, a few days' trek from Karakvarn. High above the city, a huge waterfall cascades from the lake and rushes fiercely down the chasm, a natural wonder that dwarf engineers use to turn thousands of water wheels, which in turn power drop hammers, ore crashers, and all manner of mining operations. The earthquakes broke the outermost fortifications and drained the lake, and even as the giant wheels creaked to a halt, the attackers came. Orc tribes lay siege on all sides, while from numberless tunnels below came Skaven and night goblins. Fighting spread along the length of the chasm, and much machinery was wrecked. At one point, the dwarf defenders were driven back into their halls before they stubbornly advanced to cast many foes down the mountainside. To their amazement, so much blood was spilt into the chasm that the few unbroken drop hammers began to work again. Devices quickly put to work, driving the remaining foes out. Jufbar held only after the lower levels were collapsed. It would take over 300 years to rebuild. We're back. Back to the War of Vengeance. Yes. Properly known as the War of the Beard. <laughs> now, as the book tells us here, betrayal and arrogance on the part of the elves ended the long age of prosperity where we were trading with them and stuff. I have that in my notes, followed by, really? <laughs> betrayal and arrogance? So, just to net it out for those people that may not know all of the parts of the fluff, the Dark Elves really orchestrated this big misunderstanding. Right. The Dark Elves were there. In fact, the Dark Elves, if you read the, the, the stories uh, from the Sundering, and if you read the fluff, Malekith was the first one to really send real envoys to the dwarfs and start you know, gaining friendships with right. them. Oh, yeah. They, they had a true kinship. Yeah. Uh, in fact, if you read the story of the Sundering, when that dwarf king finally passes away, Malekith is there and sees him. And it's like it's like a, they had a real friendship between them, even though he looked down on them because, mm-hmm. well, he's an elf and these right, are right. superiority these complex. Are, yeah, well, they're the shorter, uglier race. They're obviously not as good. Right. As, they're shorter lived, sure, vulgar sort of creatures. But he did have a friendship with him, and uh, yeah, they orchestrated this whole thing because they realized that Malekith, knowing the dwarves as he knew them, said if they allied with. With his with the high elves, with the high elves they'd be a pretty, they'd be an unstoppable force. He would not, he could not, he could not beat the two of them if they combined forces. So but that does bring me to the interesting, uh, second interesting difference between the last book and this book. The name Malekith is never mentioned even once in the new book because the dwarfs they don't, don't know. Well, in the old book, they know all about Malekith because I mean. It's not even mentioned as the ambassador or the the early on friendship that he had with the dwarves. None of that. Hmm. The name That's doesn't true. even come up in the new book, and it's all, it's all over the the War of Vengeance and all over the timeline in the other book. Huh? I wonder why they scaled that back. <laughs> yeah, it's just it, it's not even really it's not even really hinted in the, in this dwarf book that. It was dark elves that were responsible. Like it just doesn't even really. Well, if it's going purely from a dwarf point of view, maybe they didn't know. I mean, yeah. let's face it. 
Well, I think in the, if I recall, in the dwarf book, really all they said was the the high elves, you know, attacked their caravans without provocation. Yeah, and they demanded, you know, a, yeah. an apology explanation for it. So they kind of glossed over that. I think you're right, Mike. They didn't really go into detail as far as the dark elf. Yeah, but uh, I mean, yeah, I guess maybe the the timeline itself in the previous book specifically calls it out as having been. Um, Malekith's uh, and Dark Elves mm-hmm. being responsible. It's specifically called out in the timeline, We're, but there's nothing like that here now. Well, I'm just I'm wondering if they're going from these points of view because remember it was Malekith who who inst- who basically set the ambushes, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. getting killing high elves, dressing up in high elf clothing or whatever, ambushing the dwarfs. Some of them got killed. The dwarfs are sitting there demanding recompense. The high elves are like, we don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah, what are these baseless accusations? They literally, How dare you? they never right. sent anybody. It, right. You know, it wasn't. Uh, but you know, if, if if you're just doing a dwarf point of view, which this book obviously is, because yep. the dwarf, you know, the high elf one is, or the dark elf book basically says, <laughs> and we realized we couldn't do this, so we made these two stupids fight each other, and that's basically right. where the here. You've got just from their point of view. Hey, we got ambushed. Maybe it never. Maybe it never got back to the doors. Hey, that ambush was orchestrated by our our evil brethren or whatever. Mm. All well, they, they wouldn't was, know even until it's too late, really. Right, and the fact is, he. You know, the king said, "Hold up." This obviously was a misunderstanding, but something's got to be done. So this is now. Here's a great part. He demanded wear guild, which is cool because wear guild's a real thing. That's the old. That's you know, you read that stuff in. Uh, Beowulf and stuff like that. Hmm. Uh, Wear guild is basically, uh, a, you know, a payment for a wrong. If you could accidental murder, right? Rather, you know, they didn't have like jail stuff. You, you know, their penalties were done. You either paid with a physical penalty, or okay, you have to give him this in recompense for what you did. So basically, you know, th- it says they never, they never just forgive grudges, right? But if it was an unintentional. Wrong, right? You know, it still ended in life, so you could pay a wear guild, which is basically an exorbitant tribute, of cash, gold and gems. It's, yeah. a, it's an exorbitant cash payment and a huge apology, and you could basically buy it off the record. As well, we I guess it would be the difference. That one would be sort of, you know, selected and hit strike through. Whereas, you know, if it never happened, then you wouldn't, or you could backspace if it was if it was nothing. But if the wear guild happens. It's still there, but it would be struck through, so it would be considered it's considered. It, yeah, the, it's still the, remember the debt is paid. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And this one, this one was going to be high because it, this is this is not payment for slights. This is payment for lives unjustly taken. taken sure. You know, so yeah. they also wanted uh, demanded sincere and complete remorse on the part of the high elves. Yeah, I mean, they want. They, yeah. I, hey, we want an apology and we want a sincere apology. None of this. Right. I'm sorry. Right, yeah, I'm exactly. sorry you're apology. upset. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry you're upset, and then but... The, the, the dwarf book says, this might possibly prevent the dwarf from settling the score in a more traditional fashion. Might. So even if you do all that, it might not, not be good enough. Well, it so should talk be. about an unreasonable... No, the dwarf book says, this might possibly prevent the dwarf from settling the score in a more traditional fashion. That's true. So, talk about unreasonable. Those dwarves, man. Unreasonable. You cannot talk to them. You can't reason with them. Once these, they set down on this uh, path of negativity, then that's it. So yeah, we're the sage is set. Is set. We're heading for uh, some kind of conflict. Well, so then he sends his, so then he sends his uh, people over there to demand this, and uh, they, 
Now, Calador the second was kind of a jerk about this. I mean, there's a certain yes, he said, "Who do you yeah, think you are coming bit. here and doing this?" But this is one of those things where it's just like, oh, the highfalutin fancy guy takes the gruff, you short, ugly, gruff, you know, monster of a person, and then they, you know, we'll show you. We're going to do something to shame you for having the nerve to come over here. So they right. shave his beard. Yeah. Which is just, they don't know, they don't realize how offensive that is. No, that, no, no, no. I think they realize exactly how offensive it is. That's exactly why they did it. Okay. And then, if you want anything back, you're not going to get, if you, even, if you even want one gold piece, your king can come himself and beg on his knees for it. Okay. Well, that's... <laughs> Remember that. That goes in the Book of Grudges. Yeah, oh, yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> but let me say, though, that Calador II, yes. the, you know, the king, yeah. the phoenix king at this point, yeah. he's like the King Joffrey of the High Elf realm at this point. All right? He's impetuous, not very wise. He's only there because of his birthright. His father, what, the previous king... Oh, you haven't gotten there yet because that's the third book in the Sundering series I, I is Calador. No. He's a little more, he's a little more uh, likable in that book than he is here. Calador II? Yeah, it, it, well, basically, he doesn't want to be the king. He just he wants to lead armies and stuff. He doesn't want to be the king. It, he's more sympathetic in that, but he's still kind of a not a good leader. It no, not like at all. No, not very. much. It doesn't want to be, and that's part of it, you know. But so he's out there, yeah, and he's acting acting the tough guy, and so that the dwarfs go to uh, war for about four hundred years with the elves. When you can see at the start too that they kind of dramatically miss or underestimated what the elves were all about right like yeah. they see like one little town on the, in right. the old world Does that was in Coralesi or whatever and they think oh these guys aren't so bad right and then they then they quickly come to realize that oh that's a tiny tiny fraction of the well, elves he, it says Oops. he calls every king and his throng and all their thanes and their throngs never before or since has an army like that gone out to war? So here they come, in and full the, force. And these are the. And the, the, you read later in the book. These are the. Every, okay, you know in the book now your heroes or your characters can have runic weapons and runic armor and stuff. Right. These are the days, and it says it later. This is the every dwarf had runic armor and runic weapons going into these battles. So I mean, it's just. Yeah, it's a different army at the height of their power. And this is the army, if I'm not mistaken, you're you're creating in this era, right? At the height of their power? Yes, that's the army that the I'm trying to age. put together. Yeah, the one thing I bet, <laughs> I bet you know how they do, uh, there's a market for historical fiction. I bet you there's a, in the uh, Engineer Guild, there's a, a strong market for historical fiction of some guy traveling back in time with a bunch of cannons. So they didn't have yeah. cannons yet then. <laughs> True, yeah. If only we had cannons, we would have won the War of Vengeance. <laughs> well, I guess they kind of did win the War of Vengeance, but whatever. The uh, older High Elf books, uh, I think it was like the General's Compendium or, or something like that. The, the High Elves during the, the War of the Beard had uh, dragons as units. So Yes. Yeah, I think units of like three could have big dragons. Yeah. Uh, with dragon princes riding them, you can take all these sorts of magic items. Well, in the Slayer... Armies, yeah. So that oh. yeah offsets the slayers or all the runic items that the dwarves had. That would oh, yeah. be great I mean, to play a game like that. Yeah, it's I mean, it's a pretty cool thing. Um, but so this war goes on, and they just nobody is seeming to uh, 
get through here. There's some great stories in here. Oh, here we go. Uh, at the one, the Leds were more gra- led by Morgrim, Snorri's cousin. The dwarf army stood purposely before the arrow storm of arrows, intent on proving they can withstand the worst their folk had. After hours in desperation rage, the elf army had no choice but to charge into close combat where the real slaughter began. So the dwarfs went out there all with their grommel and their armor, and they just stood there for a couple of hours while the dwarfs shot arrows at them. Right. And just took it, just <laughs> bouncing off their armor until the dwarfs ran out of arrows, got pissed, and charged. The high elves ran out of arrows. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sorry. The, yeah. But, uh, yeah, and that's when they, they break down Toralesi, and uh, they fight for hours. Gotrek Starbreaker and uh, Kalidor II fighting, fighting, fighting. And uh, as they put it here, <laughs> after the best, hours, the best line. Go ahead and read it. The, the, the or, duel that lasted for hours, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. King Gotrek picked the phoenix crown out from out of the splattered mess. Oh, that was the one. And proclaimed the grudge settled, and here it is, that the elves were welcome to come to Karazakarak and beg for their crown's return. You beg for the gold coins, or we'll beg for the gold coins after you beg for your phoenix crown. <laughs> splattered mess. Talk about splattered the, mess. Well, I here, I, I was thinking Revisionist this. history. Defeated, Kalidor pleaded for mercy. But the dwarf high king carried a burden of vengeance, and mercy was not his to give. After one more swing of his hammer, the fight was over. That's when he picks he picked the phoenix crown from the splattered bed, just brained him, and took the crown. Okay, now we're square. It, it doesn't mention that uh, that braining, as you put it, in the high elf version. It's much more uh, sanitary. Yeah. Well, of course they clean it up. It's got to be a prettier story. Sure. Yeah. Of course. And then he reached out and stabbed him very cleanly between the ribs with a short dwarf knife. <laughs> right. Yeah, it doesn't even say that. It just says, you know, Kalidor II was defeated. Was defeated. Well, you wouldn't want to you wouldn't want to go into too much description of that. Uh, of course not. Well, the dwarves are embellishing, you know, they're making stuff up to make it sound better. The elves who survived withdrew from the old world. Their armies, like their arrogance, shattered in defeat. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> So here's something, another thing that captures my imagination about dwarfs. So, to this day, the crown remains in Karaza, correct? The same way that that the, the uh, crystal of fire that the first Kalidor gave them is still sitting there. And it makes me wonder, like, how much other awesome junk do they have just sitting there that they won't ever use? Right. You know, some runesmith with, or some rune lord with a... Dewey Decimal System catalog is the only one who even knows what's in there. It's like where the Ark of the Covenant goes. Yeah, exactly. Oh, exactly. Just shoved away in some box. Yeah. Yeah. So the the Dark Elf account of this, while all of this is going on, for centuries the might of Ulthuan and the doors were pitched against each other. Both parties little aware of the boundless mirth and celebration this provoked in Nagaroth. As despair and death engulfed the realms of dwarves and the high elves, the people of the Witch King prospered like never before. Yeah, so I guess that would have been their golden age to just do whatever they want for yeah. a few centuries. And all I love how these do, they all overlap, all these stories. Yeah, they interconnect yeah, yeah. very nicely. Hold on, give me one second. Yeah, I don't know about you, Mike, but uh, reading those entries gets my blood boiling to, to play a high elf on dwarf game. Yeah, yeah. Right? I, I, I got to tell you, the uh, 
the thing about uh, Gotrek might gain a single gold coin if he is only if he came to Earth One and begged before the Phoenix Throne. Mm-hmm. That kind of makes my blood boil. It makes me angry. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's it's kind of silly, but it does actually like I feel it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It, it just tugs the fact that Kalidor the Second, our Phoenix King, was splattered. Oh, by yeah, a lowly exactly. dwarf hammer. Oh, let's let's table that up. Yeah, I'll meet you. <laughs> let's get ready to play. Okay, so this moves on now. They've had the, you know, they've defeated chaos. They've driven Ka- even after chaos comes a second time in twice as much force. They actually lose some ground. Boom! They defeat chaos again. Then in their golden age, they they pretty much rule the old world. They do what they want. They're wealthy beyond belief. They get into the war with these elves. And it may take 400 years, but in the end, the grudge is struck from the book. All is well. They're masters of the world at this point. All they've is be- good. They've beaten everybody. They're walking home. In fact, I love how this, they considered themselves victors. And they rightfully considered themselves victors of the War of Vengeance as their foes had departed, driven from the very continent. So this was it, except there's an earthquake. There are many earthquakes, huge earthquakes. The mountains are ripped apart, and volcanoes start erupting. And suddenly parts of the dwarf holds are flooding because it's cracking up and opening up passageways with waters flowing into places. Uh, Things are being... So the only thing that was able to... (laughs) Cracked the dwarf's dominance over everything they saw was one of the largest natural disasters ever to happen in the Warhammer world. Now, that natural disaster, yeah. was that uh, like another chaotic event, or do they talk about that elsewhere? Well, Mike. They do talk about it elsewhere. Yeah, Mike I, was telling me. Go ahead. Well, I, I, I lent out my book, so I don't have it, but the last edition Lizardmen book talks about Mazda Mundi of the lizard man interpreting the will of the old ones and starting up this earthquake, the shattered continents. And so he's just, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, we'll make some earthquakes. Did, did it say like to what end? Like why did he no, choose to do just that? It had to happen. It was, it was, it was interpreted on the plaques or whatever that the old, whatever this land do for, to try and determine the will of the old ones. Yeah. And just, did the so I think it was something about geomantic nodes or something? It's been a while since I read oh, it. Now. Okay. I was trying to find my book to reference it, but I think I lent it out. So, huh? <laughs> well, if, and I don't know if it's in the current one or not. You got to do what you got to do. If that means uh, yeah. displacing a bunch of dwarves, then hey, yeah. But let, so, let the earthquake begin. No, I. This is this is kind of just this is where the sad part starts to happen. Mm-hmm. Um. It's just so unfair. It's like they beat everybody, and then cr- stuff just cracks open, and now all their defenses are cracked. So all the scaven bur- burrowing around and under the place, boom, direct access. All the orcs and goblins pour in. Goblins in all the goblin caves, boom, they have direct access. And some of these early battles, you know, yes, some of the gates were cracked. I mean, gates that had runes that giants could not pound their way through. Right. You know when the whole when their whole foundation was torn in half, they just the hinges broke off the hinges. You know, yeah. So you've got some of the main gates open. While you're trying to protect that, you have no idea that down on sub level thirty two, mm-hmm. which is so far away from a gate, nobody's worried about it. They have straight in access, so they're getting in through the back door. And before people even know there's danger, they're slaughtering where our warriors are in other places. Right, right. Oh yeah, they they would totally have been completely designed. To only protect from the outside, there would have been no reason ever to have protected from the bottom. 
Yes. Right. And they're just and so all the least protected are the first people yeah. in line when these things come through. And you know what? It's funny because goblins in the game are just so laughable. Yeah. I mean, they don't, you know, you have hordes and hordes, but they don't. But then you read in the book, but yes, there's hordes and hordes of them. Thousands. Right. And they're nasty in the yeah. books. Yeah. And then how tall are they? Like three feet? Yeah. You know, a, a three foot tall, a bunch of three foot tall psychotics biting and scrabbling and scratching. Yeah, well, they have, you know, spears and swords and. Yeah, I mean, they'll they'll kill stuff. And there's, I mean, there's a part in here where there was one of these wars that were lasting, and they were losing like a thousand goblins a day. Right. And ten thousand, I think it even. I said. think it was. Yeah. Yeah. It's oh, there's no end to these things. They just keep making more. And yeah, so, like if if one dwarf is worth twenty goblins, what happens when there's two hundred? Right. <laughs> yeah. That's a losing proposition. Though. And and yeah. these and there's there's less to, so they they just get up right in there and then the skaven start coming in and you know they talk about the uh, mines flooding and and all like thousands of dwarves just drowning or, or burning from lava and yeah I mean talk about uh, yeah getting kicked in the chin yeah. <laughs> I'd imagine there would have been plenty of holds that. Uh, you know, all the warriors up at the top guarding the out, the outside yeah. were the only ones to survive. That would be pretty brutal, pretty tragic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least the, at least the, it was right after they defeated the elves. At least he didn't turn around like after they they, they see the boats going away yeah. on the ocean, and there's the king. He didn't like turn around and look back as people go, "What else you got, huh? Who else <laughs> you you know?" Then you're asking for it, and you're tempting fate. But they didn't even do that. They won. They were just going home. We've won the yeah. war. We've struck out the grudge. Let's go home. Crack. Yeah, guess what? Yes, you've won the world. Now the world is crap. Good luck. Have at it. Oh, it so... the you want. Oh, exactly. Right. Oh, it's just... I, I, I keep harping on it because I love it. Because nobody's broken them. Nobody breaks them. Nobody beats them. They just don't. Nobody beats them. But here they are. Uh, the time, time of woes is aptly... Well, yeah. yeah when the day. world itself cracks in big chunks and things split apart, right? Nobody. It can, I mean, you know, we don't. Con you, nobody controls nature. But whatever else was there, they beat it. Then it's like, oh yeah, what about this crack? Yeah, and now now the 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 lowly of lows, even though they're a tidal wave of them, goblins and skaven, yeah, are kicking dwarf butt left and right. So the everlasting realm is uh, not so everlasting. Yeah, they st we start. Everyone starts locking up, but uh, they basically start falling. Um, yep. It's the first one was Karak Ungor, and the night goblins went through there. Uh, by the time the dwarfs were alerted to attack, it was too late. Pushing bloodthirsty packs of squigs, the greenskin rampaged the city's living quarters. They'd already bypassed dozens of interlocking levels. Yeah, just in there and trash slaughtering dwarf families. Sure. Uh, basically, their king. Uh, King Karkson, um he gave he abandoned the city and then uh, the escape tunnels. Once everybody, all the once all the the females and the beardlings got through, yeah, and he got everybody out. Him and his guard collapsed all the tunnels, and they said the last thing people saw of him was him swinging his war hammer, killing right. dozens of guys, singing his death song as he just goes sure. into it. So it's oh god, yeah, that's that's so awesome, is that inspiring. It is. <laughs> That's how you go out. That's you, you got you got a you got a you got a big pair of fruits on you, and you're just like, that's it. I'm going. Yeah, it's retreating without giving up, right? Yeah, right. It's the ultimate sacrifice, you know, for your yeah. family and kid. Yep. Uh, 
Oh, the the different you know, they they lose contact with one another. They can't get through places. Oh yeah, because the underway uh, get is would be even more broken into than the no. holds themselves, right? Yeah. So that's one thing that I miss here. Actually, is that in the old book there was a bunch of black and white drawings of the underway that were really great, and there aren't really any like that in this book. But the art is, the art is better in this book, mm-hmm. I think, with all the color stuff. But yeah, like, like schematic type or just kind of no, 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 just sort oh, of black and white line drawings or like huh. they do like. Lots of the old six that books had lots of black and white drawing in them. Yeah, but so then uh, they get attacked on all sides. Karak Varn falls. Um, what is it? it? Says the the, the attacks were so that's numerous the mine. that yeah. yeah yeah that's right the Gromwell mine that was the one where it flooded with water too everything right. was flooded and they had stuff down there too like it wasn't just mines they had oh magical holes. items and yeah sure. they lost so much stuff family heirlooms huh? uh, the the attacks were so numerous the meticulous record keeping of the dwarfs could not keep up with all the attacks going on this is one passage that says uh, trolls and worse desecrated the tombs of dwarf kings and gnawed upon their bones ooh that's got to really eat at you Oh, while yeah. fetid skaven scurried through the lower catacombs, spreading disease. So yeah, I hear these trolls basically taking a dump on <laughs> dwarf tombs. Exactly. Well, like I said, um, th- we lost a bunch of stuff. Basically, the entire eastern side of the world's Ed mountains were were gone for us. Yeah, and they pulled back, uh, and that's when the yeah the uh, that's when the troll wars begin after the goblin wars. Mm-hmm. Um. And it was during the Goblin Wars, you know, after these mass defeats, that's when I think the Solera cult really sort of rose to prominence. A lot of shamed warriors from fallen Carricks, I think, at yes, that point, yeah. joined these Slayer cults. Yeah. Uh, where, where... Yeah, it is, it is called out here, yeah. Yeah, they mention it. Warriors dedicated to the Slayer cult, previously somewhat rare, became an all-too-common sight in the remaining holds. Yeah. I guess if you happen to be visiting a different hold on business or whatever, and your hold went under, right? You feel there to pretty bad that about yeah. not being there to right. die with your buddies. But then there's this part during the troll. After almost a thousand years of defiance, the dwarfs lost three major strongholds in fifty years. Eesh. They lose Karak Eight Peaks. That's a bad half century. Yeah. Well, Eight Peaks is one of the rare ones that actually has a city. There's eight mountains forming a circle. Yeah. And there's like an open sort of nice usable area there. That, so they have an above ground city there. And then everything goes from there underneath right. around those, in, through those eight mountains. Uh, they lose that. Uh, That's where Skarsnik resides, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Skarsnik is there. And right uh, Queek Headtaker as well. Oh, yeah. Yep. And Belagar Ironhammer of the mm-hmm. Dwarfs is there now. Yep. Uh, Karak Asgal was stormed and sacked. Treasure never found. And that's. Uh, Oh, that's the dragon took that one over. Right. from The, the orcs took it over, and then the dragon took it from the orcs. Yeah, because they couldn't find the treasure, but you can't hide it from the nose of a dragon, right. apparently. And then Karak Draj, uh, which became Black Crag. Yeah. So they lost all those things. Everything's busted up. It's just looking pretty pretty bad everywhere. Um, so towards the end of uh, this era, the time of woes... The dwarves start to leave the, their their mountain holds in search yeah. for new settlements in in the Gray Mountains. That's when they go to the Gray Mountains, and that's where you see a lot of them trading with uh, trading with doing a little more trading with humans. And some actually went, uh, you know, but even those mountains, they're not the holds aren't nearly as nice. No, no, they they talk about rough hewn and humble, like 
mines and caves that well, they're and, living in. Well, I'm I'm guessing rough hewn and humble by dwarf standards. So that's probably sure, the, only, the, the uh, fact I that they had a hundred years to carve my right. bedroom, but not five. So. Right. Yeah. Well, the fact that they they mentioned that in the dwarf book from the dwarf standpoint, yeah. I'm sure well, it's got to be pretty rough. They're copper and tin mines. It's like, come on, yeah. you know. Although my father was mining right. gromerol and gold and platinum, and I'm mining copper and tin. And, yeah. So hey, you got you got a living. Yep. So should we? Uh, you know what? We can, yeah, you know what? Let's take Before a break. Before we go because into the dawn of a new age. Yes, the, okay. the new age is coming. Dwarfs and elves still preserve tales of their heroes that arose during the War of Vengeance, or the War of the Beard, as the elves call it. Most on each side fought with honor, yet during this long and brutal era, merciless deeds were also committed by both forces, although neither maintains any record that mentions any of their own acts of unflinching savagery. Nor will either race ever admit that their side had anything to do with any such wrongdoings. In their outrage, the dwarfs chopped down entire virgin forests simply to spite the elves. It was not enough for them to breach elven fortresses and topple their elegant towers, as on more than one occasion the dwarfs did not stop their war machine barrages until no two stones stood atop each other. For their part, the elves poisoned tarns and made pacts with unholy tree spirits in order to gain any battlefield advantage they could. When beset by entire armies of dwarfs harnessed in mail impenetrable to the arrows, the elves resorted to all manner of black-hearted trickery, feigned surrender, and magical deception. We are back. And finally, humans are making their way into the picture here. Yeah, humans. Where have they been at this whole time? Nowhere. Slackers. Uh, scraping the fat off of a wolf pelt with a rock <laughs> is where they've been. <laughs> <laughs> finally discovering fire, I suppose. So now, you know, the uh, the dwarves have been... Uh, the dwarves see that the orcs are fighting this... The, this race of men is st- starting to stand up to the orcs and really fight them. And uh, the dwarfs look and say, "These are guys we can sort of ally with." No, they they call, they term these humans. I, I don't know how to pronounce it. Un, unbarigans, unbarigans. No, the unbarogan. Oh, is that what that's it is? The, I think that's okay. the surname of. No, the, yeah, of that's the, Sigmar's family. The unbarogans. Yeah. Oh, is it? Yeah, that's their oh, that's their, okay. their tribe. There was lots of different uh, you know different uh, barbarian tribes. The unbarogan yeah. were that was Sigmar's tribe. Gotcha. I did not know that. Yeah. Um. And what's uh, what's really great about this is they start they see them and they say this is an ally we can get, and so they start trade they're trading with them, and uh, they want to help them do well. So mm-hmm. they 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 decide that it's worth teaching the lesser secrets. So they teach them how to work iron into weapons right. and armor, the the lesser secrets of metalwork. Sure, skim a little bit. The little of steel. Yeah. This reminds me of that because they did they unlocked black powder and and. Uh, uh, 
yeah, Grimace Steam, all these different things they've mm-hmm. done. So they, we can teach them how to make better weapons so they can fight these orcs better. Um, and then comes the fated day when uh, High King Kurgan, he's, uh, they're traveling. Is it in Bla- yeah, it's in Blackfire Pass there. I think originally they were traveling. And they got ambushed by orcs. And he got captured. And it happened that Sigmar was out with his with his friends and his warriors out hunting these uh these orc packs and uh they came across them mm-hmm. and uh Sigmar and them wiped them out and saved the king. Now of course they had no idea they were saving the king. But as far as the dwarf you know, remember that everything's about uh you know, honor, honor and balance. Yeah. yeah. About you know, yeah, everything everyone's keeping score. Sigmar just scored Huge. So many points. Like, he, he gives him his Warhammer, Galmaraz, which mm-hmm. is the one that Carl Franz still holds today. Uh, it's yeah. Which translated means skull splitter. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> Elf skull splitter? No, just skull uh, splitter. Just regular skull yes. splitter. It's probably the hammer that Gotrek was using back then, though. It's very possible. But, um, Could be. I don't know. Let's do a DNA test on it. <laughs> Crabs any bits of yeah. blood, like they wouldn't have cleaned it <laughs> off perfectly afterwards. Right. <laughs> this is you know this is one of the few truly feel good stories in all of Warhammer, really that lasts all the way to the present. Like yeah, true. There's no there's no backstabbing here. There's no there's no great tragedy. That's just sort of these. But the two... dwarves are wronged constantly. Yeah, yeah. They put up with it, but it still goes yeah. on. But it's I mean, so right, right up through this. to present day, there's still this great sort of alliance between the dwarfs and the empire. Mm-hmm. That uh, it's it's yeah. sort of rare in the Warhammer fluff to have something uh, stick. Could, that's could you say not terrible? It is a point of pride to the dwarfs that they never forget a debt. So right. the the king's life becomes something here. You could almost the empire would not have been able to be formed without the dwarves. But on the other hand. The dwarves would have lost their king if not for these humans. So it's kind of a symbiotic, right, relationship there. Yeah, and I mean, looking even forward, farther forward, I, mean, I think without the empire there between the Northlands and the mm. and all the holds, I think uh, would have been a problem for later dwarf kingdoms too. True. Yeah. Um. So then, the, you know, they there becomes that huge battle of. Uh, Blackfire, Blackfire pass. pass, which is a really narrow pass, and this actually is in the uh, the Sigmar trilogy. This is a great part oh, of that it? story. Too. Yeah, basically, Blackfire <laughs> Pass is narrow enough. There was enough orcs coming that they would have rampaged through the entire. They would have wrecked the entire old world. Yeah. I mean, you're talking thousands upon thousands, but only so many could get through this pass. So they were outnumbered. But it's kind of like in 300, the dwarfs just lined up and the humans lined up. They just funneled in. And they set all their war machines, and as they funneled in, they just kept bombing. Right. But, but they just kept coming. And there's this just great scene where they're fighting off, and then you've got the leader of the uh, the Orc Wah, Sigmar, doing a jump off of a cliff thing, yep. you know, sort of chest forward, legs back, hands holding this war hammer he's been given, coming down to brain this guy to finish it off. And they and they win, and that's that right. And it's funny because after that battle, all of his, all of the other leaders, all of the other guys who are in charge mm-hmm. there, after this is when they all basically bow down and take a knee and 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 declare Sigmar emperor. They're like he is now okay, and because that was that where he was like I don't really you know he didn't actually want to be emperor in the book. It's like that wasn't what he was looking for. But well, this dwarf book states that you know according to scholars this battle marked the beginning of the empire. Yes, so that, I think that moment. Yeah, 
Well, then the yeah in the Empire's records it says that's when he won this battle, and he you know was the leader of the guy who st- who with the dwarfs stopped. Basically, the, he 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 stopped the apocalypse, mm. you know, right. the day apocalypse, or, and, hey, yeah, yeah, this one, but the one in their times. But that's the thing that that gave. Yeah, they all made him the leader. So, but I like the next line: the dwarfs don't dispute this, but feel the true roots of the empire were begun the day Sigmar saved their high king. Because that started the friendship, that gave him the hammer, that brought the dwarfs more closely related to them, mm-hmm. yeah. and that's where they teamed up and had that battle. That battle would never have happened or even right. won had had he not saved their king that day. So, of course, you know, there's the spin on it. But this is great. That's and, fair enough. Yeah, and the dwarfs start trading with them more. Um, and that they, they basically, that's you know, then they start teaching them more and more stuff. Right. Uh, that's another great thing. If you read the Sigmar trilogy, Alaric the Mad is there in the book, hmm. and he's one of the one of the master runesmiths. Yeah. He's the one who made the ten rune fangs for the different king because those uh. are the ten guys who pledged. It was Sigmar and the guy. other nine. Yeah, right. And well, it took him forever. I mean, they yeah. didn't all get them right away. It was t- he was spending a lot of time, but he's teaching these these uh, smiths how to do better. <laughs> not bad for a not bad for a human. Not right. Bad, you know. But they're teaching them this basic stuff, and it's it's really cool to watch how you know to see their these interaction between them. Um, and th- this is about the time where the dwarves try to retake the world's edge mountains, right? Those holes that they had lost. Yeah, um, first starting to anyway, sort of recovering from the goblin wars and the troll mm-hmm. wars, and they figure they're in a spot where they can start thinking about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and. Uh, that's you know this is where they start moving back, and then you get into this part where they they basically the best of their runesmith. It's 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 almost like every other story from every other race. The greatest of their craftsmen and stuff. They, people don't know how to do what these guys did. Right, it's a lost art. Right, and so the runes aren't there. Like I said, the the idea of entire armies going out with runic weapons and runic armor. That's yeah, that's that's gone. Uh, you get you know a handful per army if you're yeah. lucky. Yeah, and so it it's you know, but but even though they've lost that mystical art, their science has jumped by leaps and bounds. Here's where they discover black powder, steam, all these other things to start. Uh, yeah, it's the one aspect where, or no, they, this is not where they discover it. They already had that. What am I saying? Oh, well, it's the one aspect where they they outpace their ancestors. Right, is in that they move fast. Sorry, yeah, they move past black powder. It's, yeah. yeah, to where they're building all sorts of things now. It really speaks to a, a completely different mindset. Like I, I like it where they, this one camp of dwarves are always looking forward instead of backwards. Mm. Um, it, it's an interesting thing for me to think about. Like. Runesmiths, for instance, or rune lords would only ever be looking backwards, mm-hmm. other than the very occasional crazy one. Mm-hmm. Whereas the engineers, even the most conservative of the engineers, would still sort of be looking forward instead of backward. Because there's nothing to look backward at. Yeah, that's true. That. true. Well, and with these, with the engineers, I know it's in here somewhere. I forgot where I read it, but it talks about the dwarf cannons. I think it's actually just in the fluff of the of the cannons. When you read, like, you know, the army entry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There are cannons, like the first cannons that the dwarfs made. I mean, yeah. they have they have cannons that are two, three thousand years old. Jeez, still firing, accurate as the day they were made. You talk about dwarf crafts. Like, in fact, it even says here. Wait, here it is. Um, 
oh, where is it? It talks about what they were helping the humans, and it was like they helped them, you know, not only helped them with weapons, but showed them how to how to build and, and craft their masonry so they could build buildings that didn't sag and lasted right. more than just a few centuries. Because <laughs> the dwarves, yeah, look at human craftsmanship. In 200 years, this will fall down. You know, the dwarves make stuff that has lasted five, 6,000 years. So they're cannons. They've got cannons that are as older than the Empire. So it's a real tragedy in the game if you lose a cannon to something. Oh, you it's see, a it, true tragedy. Oh yeah, I mean you don't realize how much bolt throwers even. I'm just yeah. flipping ahead. Some bolt throwers have been in service for many thousands of years. Yeah, Can you imagine <laughs> <laughs> moving parts. The quality of the craftsmanship there is crazy. Um, and I love this talk about the. Uh, now, there's a bit here where they talk about how the dwarfs. Um, how they're good friends with men, but men are a little weak. They can fall to chaos more easily than mm, right. dwarves. But uh, the dwarves found the race of men far more dependable to their liking than the fickle elves. However, they have a grumbling nature and can find fault with anything. Men prove to be short-lived, incapable of holding proper ale, and suffering from other foibles, which form a long litany of shortcomings that any dwarf would gladly recount for hours on end. <laughs> <laughs> there were a few more troublesome issues. That's where they talk about how this this... It, it's it, and this actually reminds me a lot of Lord of the Rings. Men who, above all else, desire power. That's a good point. Yeah, it's a good segue into you know the next big thing that's going to come and attack the dwarves. You know they have that unquenchable thirst for power and glory. Eas- the humans are easily lured by chaos. Yeah, their bodies easily corrupted. So well, a little bit of foreshadowing there. And the dwarves even say how this thirst for power and glory, when when given proper guidance, can create great leaders. But when given <laughs> You know, the easy route just right. creates a monster. And so... Um, Those weak humans. Yeah. Then they go to the north, and they met the, the Norse and the Kurgan. To the east, they saw the Hung and recognized them, too, for what they were, ready supplicants of the Dark Gods. So the Hung in the east... Without, I mean, I know... I thought there was Nippon to the east, and Arabis uh, to the, the east. The north part of that. Oh, so, the, so yeah. It's hmm. Sort of the Mongolia, roughly equivalent. Okay. Part. Okay, so the northern, the northeast part is just like our northern part. There's a lot of corruption of chaos there. Yeah. The Asian version of chaos. Yes. The rising sun. <laughs> there you go. Or chaos. Um, and so they basically, uh, you know, the dwarfs, it, it basically it goes down to the rest of saying how even though some of these humans were easily corrupted and even though that, they couldn't be counted on as well as the dwarfs would like. The dwarfs were always there. When the right. humans were, when, a, when a battle was being fought against the forces of darkness... They're still a trusted and valued ally. Yep, and they're always there backing them up. Yeah, um, yeah oh, they also passed along countless tips for brewing ales that were less watery and construction advice for building structures that did not sag and lasted longer than just a few centuries. And that's important stuff. Good drink and solid uh, housing. Yeah, exactly. Foundations of the Empire. Um, okay, so you know what? Let's keep going with this because we're getting close up to where, where Thorgrim Grudgebearer is yep. getting to. But so basically, um, I'm trying. Okay, oh, yeah, so this basically is—is is this the attack from Archeon, where Kislev was attacked and all these places? Yeah, the city of Prague was destroyed. Mm, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. That's uh yeah, twenty twenty three 
02 in the Empire time. So that's weird because the Empire book rolled back to before. No, no, no. That's the second one. That's the Storm of Chaos. Because Prague got ruined twice. Like the current year (laughs) in the current books is like 25, 21, 22. So it's about 200 and... Or 200 years ago. Oh, so this isn't when Archeon attacked. No. Okay. No. So, oh, this so this is, two, is, the this is 200 attack. and change years ago, this one. Okay. Oh, this is with Magnus the Pious. Who, well, who yep. fought Archeon? Uh, I don't know from, the, from the Empire oh, side. I, I don't know. Uh, no, because there was, I mean, the, one of the Empire leaders was like basically, yeah. you know, in one on one combat. Grimgor ultimately defeated Archeon. Yeah, Grimgor. Oh, that's right. Wasn't it that that uh, warrior priest guy whose name starts with a V that I can't remember from the Empire? I don't have any Empire books. It could be Volkmar. Wasn't it him that was one of the ones that was leading in the Storm of Chaos? Maybe it was. Could have been. I don't don't know. Empire fluff. (laughs) (laughs) Those silly humans. (laughs) There's so many generations in so little time. Exactly. How am I supposed to tell them apart? They come and go so quickly. All those humans look alike to us. (laughs) Oh, boy. Um. So basically, you know, they stop that off, and the dwarfs like it's not over yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we get up to now at the end of that first battle when chaos goes through. Um, High King Alrickson, this is really great stuff. And here's this where stubbornness of a dwarf goes well. He comes back from the battles and he's wounded, and for some reason he's taking these weird magical wounds that will not heal. But he just, he's the king, and he stays being the king and doing king stuff. He could have gone home and just been like, oh, I'm wounded and I'm hurt, and this isn't healing, and I did all this for you. He goes in, and he's like, I got to do something. He has no heirs. Mm. So he says, all right, here's what we're going to do. And he calls all the biggest leaders together. Council of Kings. A big council Lords of Kings. Saints Last time he's been called in, what, a thousand years or something like that? Or three, was it 300 years maybe? Something like that. Over three centuries, yeah. It doesn't yeah. seem long enough. I don't know why they said it that way. Yeah, three centuries doesn't seem that long with the dwarf stuff. It's like last week for a dwarf. But they like pick- nothing even happened. I'm just glancing at the timeline. Nothing even happened in the timeline 300 years hmm. before that. Like, nothing really, really important happened until, you know, more than a thousand years back. So, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but so they call this council and they pick 12 of the most likely candidates. And the, and what they're going to do is he says you and this is here's a classic tale, you have one year to go out and do deeds worthy of a king. Come back in one year from today, stand before this council, tell them what you did, and those of you and and then uh, the council of elders will pick the new king. Right. All the doors are like yeah yeah this is a good idea, and then the the council comes back. There's nine of them come back. So first they have the celebration that they're back before they tell their tales. Then they write in the Book of Grudges for the two who got killed. Right. <laughs> and then they write a third one in the Book of Grudges for him. They don't know what happened to him. Wait, the, the two that got killed, who, who are they writing these grudges at? Wh- whatever they went to do, they okay, killed so, them. But it doesn't detail no, it doesn't what say. happened to them. No. Okay. There was three of them who didn't come back, and they all got grudges. Two they knew were dead, and one like disappeared and was presumed dead. Presumed dead. dead. So all nine go through and give their tale. And then, of course, when they're right about to pick a king and start voting, the doors burst open. Hold up! And it's Thorgrim Grudgebearer. And I think this is the point where we take a break and we come back and we'll tell Thorgrim's tale and uh, sort of try to wrap up most of the history portion of, uh, of this part. 
That's all I can do. Sounds good. Folks, it's Dave. Are you looking for that special model to add to your army? A monstrous creature or maybe a character model? Something unusual that not everybody else is fielding on their table? Well, then you should check out Mears Miniatures at MearsMiniatures.com. Their Darklands line is full of some of the most fantastic creature models you'll ever see. And with the success of their recent Kickstarter, those models will be perfect for you to play in their forthcoming Darklands game. So whether you're looking for a new skirmish-level game to play with lots of cool monstrous creatures, or you're just looking for that extra special model to add to your existing game's line, Mears Miniatures is really worth your time. Check them out at Mears-Miniatures.com. Dot com and seriously guys you'll be glad you did hey folks it's dave and i wanted to talk to you for a minute about battle foam you've all heard me talk about it before the foam is firm it doesn't separate from the base they custom cut design make any piece of foam you want to fit any model you want anytime a new army comes out within days you've got battle foam cut designed to fit those models this isn't a game company making cases on the side this is a carrying case company making foam and custom carrying cases to protect your army it's what they do it's all they do check it out at battlefoam.com battle foam protecting your army Welcome back. The dwarf review continues. So we're on to the uh, the Age of Reckoning. Yes, Thorgrim Grudgebearer comes in, and uh, he's called the uh, the Council of Kings. Um, so well, the other guy called it. He's coming to show. He's to coming to show, yeah, his deeds. Right. So what did he do? Okay, so the first thing he does is that he comes back with missing lost dwarfs. Um, dwarfs from, from Narska. So he went into lost. the. He went to the north. Yeah. Talk so, to me about uh, those guys. What are they about, and you know, wh- how and why are they different? Well, they just lost touch when, uh, like, it's sort of over on the other side of the Sea of Claws from mm-hmm. the World's Edge Mountains. They were right? the northernmost parts from the World's Edge Mountains. Basically, yeah. when the chaos and everything happened, when they got cut off, the 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 farthest north dwarf holds. When that storm of chaos, or when the chaos gates broke and everything came through, right? These were holds that. They're still in the chaos wastes. I mean, that's how far north they were. So we've yeah, been well, cut like, off way from north them. North of Troll Country, north of Prague. Ah, okay. Yeah. So they've been cut off. Literally, like we never heard from them again. But we knew Long they were there. That their language has drifted even. Oh wow. Okay. And so, like, so instead of Karak, they call their whole Kraka. Huh. For instance. So. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I like those little like. But they offshoots. caught. They caught. They got back in touch during that uh, great chaos war. Right. And it was Thorgrim that sort of hooked up with them at the time. And okay. so then when he went off to do his 
Year of Deeds, that was the first thing that he did was go back and get them to come and, and reconnect. rejoin the uh, everlasting realm. That'd be a, a neat theme to do for a dwarf army, the, the Norska dwarves. But anyway. Yeah. And then, so each of these dwarves he saved, that's like the first thing he did. Then he went through a year of of his deeds, and they went with him. So all these other Norskin kings are telling the stories of Thorgrim's mm. great deeds. So he's not even saying what he did. He's got kings. Long from lost different holds, kings. Yeah, coming in and saying, this is what he did, and this is what he, this is all the things he killed, and that's not even it. Then he shows up, they went into some of the, the, the different dwarf holds that we had lost over time, and went in and found old treasures. So they, he pulled out stuff. They said even the, uh, oh, Crag the Grim, the eldest living rune lord in Karazankor, had only heard of some of these things in legends. Like, that's how old they were. Dwarves are crying. <laughs> yeah. They're <Right>. so happy. <laughs> the Golden Scepter of Norgrim, and then fragments of what could only be the lost crown of Karak Draz, which was when, when they lost that. That's uh, the black thing. The, the, orc, the orcs took that, the, his crown. And he's lost pieces of it, but he found the pieces of it. So then Thorgrim finally gets up, and he's like, this is nothing. He says, we have a whole empire out there that we need to reclaim. And he goes, and I'm telling you right now, not only should I be the king and doing this, but he makes a vow that if, if he's king, he's going to clean the entire slate on the Book of Grudges. That's his, that's his goal. It's quite a claim. That is... Um, yeah. It's his, <laughs> he announces his dream. Yeah. yeah, his vow. He said they need a mighty vengeance, and we need to strike clean the entire Book of Grudges. And he starts doing it. I mean, that's the thing. The Book of Grudges was never meant to be this huge thing. It was something that kept the kept the balance straight so we don't forget debts owed to us because mm. they're you know, that's what they're into. Um. But it's gotten so big, and it keeps just growing, especially with it during the time of, you know, with all these things. Every time they go to battle with this, every dwarf lost in a battle sure. gets listed in there. So, you know. You settle one grudge, and you come back with ton more. Yeah. And so you've got to go in there, and you've got to wipe the... And the only way to settle that is if the dwarfs die, but you wipe out the enemy completely, mm-hmm. there you go. It's kind of a grudge pro- progressive thinking for a dwarf. <laughs> in my mind, it is. Yeah. So they basically, you know, we're going to go and we're going to clean this. We're going to get this back. And uh, that's when, and then, and then King Alrickson after, shortly after he go, he, uh, King Alrickson dies shortly after they make him king. And it turns out he was mortally wounded back at the thing. He was just too stubborn to die. That's basically what they said. He basically said, Hmm. you know, he was wounded. He couldn't do much. But he basically just refused to die until he got this matter settled. And that whole year just sort of sitting on his butt, that would have been really hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it'd be easy to be stubborn and not die while you're in battle or even while you're, like, running uh, a council of kings. But that year in between where they were just sitting and waiting, that would have been pretty hard on him. He's just got to sit there and braid, <laughs> yeah. his, braid his beard. And-, and wait for a year to go by where he's just wounded and can't do anything but can't can't let himself die because he's got to see this through and that's when the great reckoning starts and that's when Mm -hmm. you start to see all this other stuff happening now we talked a little bit off air but the the page that has the great reckoning page 17 has this piece of art where the the dwarf 
I don't know who that's supposed to be. That's Thorgrim Grudge. Is it Thorgrim? I think. Or yeah, he's uh, sort of impaling this wyvern with his axe. Just looks. We we're saying that it like looks very unnatural. Part of the top of his axe. Yeah. yeah. He's well because it's like, that is that's true. It's just the top part of the axe. That's all he needs. That's that. That's that. It's the pointy part. That runic. The pointy bit. That runic axe, but yeah, he's on the throne of power, and he's just rather nonchalantly killing a wyvern. It's like he's sitting on his lazy boy watching TV. Like oh. He's like it's like the remote is on a table just out of reach. And he's leaning over to grab it. And oh, whoops! I impaled a wyvern. Right. <laughs> but it's like, it, it is. It's it's. I get what they're trying to do, but it's like maybe he should stand up. Like you think he'd be? I mean, right. granted, I mean this whole thing is that um, you know this this whole throne of power is that uh, Grunge made this throne of power, and. The the high king is only allowed to sit on the throne of power once you're king. Can't, can't sit anywhere else, even any other kind of throne. So take care of business. So it, does that mean it's a multitasking type of throne of power? I hope not. I'm just assuming he can go to the bathroom. <laughs> well, hey, that's just a Mike said it. Has to hover. <laughs> Great googly moogly. But so he's got this throne, and it's made by Grungeny. It survived since Grungeny's been there. And yeah, that's like the thing. Six thousand years or something. Yeah, it's six thousand years, and it actually does say, by some secret of creation, it's nearly impervious to harm. Although it does bear slight dents in the ornate carvings caused down the ages by things like you know dragons and greater demons. They've dented it. A few of the a few of the more ornate parts have got dents and blemishes. You would think though, it's, since it's imperfect, they'd have to scrap the whole thing. No, well, no, it was perfectly made. It's got a dented. That's not from them. They didn't do that. That's that's from battle. That's a no, those are those are marks of honor. I don't know. No, that has nothing to do with its creation. But yeah, so he has to sit in it. So he's got the dwarf, the four hammerer, or his. He's got four, mm-hmm. his personal bodyguard who carry him around on this thing, and he goes into battle on it. It's got the book, the great book of grudges, right there, and the rest. But yeah. I mean, in, in the position he's in, he can't be doing more than an elbow maybe, shot. Maybe we're thinking about it in the wrong way. Maybe he his he holds his axe there in that fixed position, and the guy's carrying him, just kind of like walk <laughs> and twist. Like this, <laughs> right. and if you get your head chopped. Off, Ninety degree turn to the left. We caught him. We we got him. <laughs> oh, but it's not uh, even right. a giant, so it's not even doing D three wounds or whatever. <laughs> it would do just one impact hit. Oh, jeez. <laughs> This is yeah. It's I mean it's funny because some of the older artwork. I mean it's a great concept. It's just not. But you know this. That's you it's just the physics of him sitting just doesn't quite make sense. No, technically and everything else, it's it's great. Not it's a bit. That one thing. Yeah. So the great reckoning has begun. Oh yeah. Now um, a big part of this, and this is uh, actually this next part talking about taking Karak eight peaks back. Uh, that's what the book Thorgrim deals with hmm. in some ways. Although I will say, Thorgrim's in the very beginning, and he's at the end. Like mm. he's at, they're at the battle in the beginning when they actually bust into Karak Eight Peaks, yeah. and Thorgrim is saying, "Do this, do this," and Belagar Ironhammer is not listening to him, and he actually breaks open the gates though and gets in, and he takes, uh, you know, and that's what they're talking about here. That was one of the first things Thorgrim. So is Skarsnik in that book? Uh, no, they talk about Skarsnik, but he Skarsnik does not really okay. show up. No, it has a different. They talk about Fort. There's an orc mm-hmm. warlord that's in there. Uh, then there's Skarsnik. Then there's uh, Headtaker. 
and then then there's Belagar Iron Hammer. Right. And it's really between the Orc War Boss and Belagar Iron Hammer. Ah, okay. Because someone's got to get killed in this thing, and you can't kill can't off kill Skarsnick, Skarsnick sure. or... So you got to have another guy. It's the expendable guy, the red shirt. Exactly. Um, but so they go over there, and they go in, and they've tried before to take eight peaks, and they just can't. So now you've got Thorgrim Grudge Bear going with his army. Mm. You've got... Belagar Iron Hammer going with his army, and you know because we got to get the trifecta. Thoric Ironbrow goes too, so you've got the Anvil of Doom, mm-hmm. and he's reaping. Just, and I quote, "A terrible toll." Right, like yeah. that could happen. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Yeah, not in its current in- incarnation. They took a portion of the upper city and fortified it against counterattacks. And they did it just in time. Soon after, night goblins assailed them in an overwhelming time, outnumbering the dwarf many thousands to one. Jeez. <laughs> so I didn't like those odds. Oh, man. The dwarf's health with, with, with war engines and crackling lightning from Thorax Anvil, as you said, reaping a terrible toll. They were just, yeah, they were just killing him left and right. Um, Skarsnik called off the attacks after a few days. The losses yet in the tens of thousands. But he could afford to take such casualties daily if need be. That's just insane. That's the horde of yeah, That's hordes of greenskins. This is just them trying to figure out what was going on, and so now they've been going after that. Plus, you've got the Skaven, and he knows that's going on. So there's all these. Basically, the, the dwarves are being attacked from every angle, and that's what's going on for decades. Belagar Ironhammer mm-hmm. has taken, and he's been surrounded and gotten in trouble. And that's kind of the weird thing in the book. That's it's. It starts off with. You know, Thor- at the, the end of the book, Thorgrim Grudgebearer sort of shows up to save the day. And even then, he's like, I'm here to save the day. And Iron Hammer's like, hey, this is my kingdom. So I appreciate that you're here to save the day, but you've got to show me a little respect. And, and Thorgrim's like, yeah, whatever for you. And he's like, no, whatever for you. And this gets in one of these dwarfs. Stiff- they just they have issues getting along, the two of them. Hmm. Um, yeah, I can see it. I guess Belagar's been on his own <laughs> for so long that... Uh- yeah, and, but he basically... He's he, stepping on his toes. Well, here's the thing. He's also, because he's sort of constantly under siege, uh, a lot of times they have to borrow or ask favors yeah. from the other dwarf holds and stuff like that, and things are getting cut off. And basically, they're getting they're running more and more in debt to this to these other guys, and that type of stuff goes in the book of grudges sure. type of thing, too. Even though it's not a Debt's grudge, it's, like, yeah. it's, it's a debt. It would and, go on somebody else's book of grudges, not the great book of grudges. Right, right. But it's starting. These these things are starting to pile yeah, you're up, behind. You and so balance. yeah, and that's where it starts to get to the point where you're like, okay, you need to pay up at some point, mm-hmm. and so there's issues there. Um, there is a great part that goes on here. Um, Belagar said he's just going to, and that's the thing though. They, they they are holding it, and they are slowly getting. And this is something you never heard in the old book either. That not only did they add in that he's taken the eight peaks back, but he's slowly gaining ground. It's costing lives, and it's hard, and it's brutal. But they're making progress. They're, yes, yeah. there's this whole idea of going back. Um, you have Ungrim Iron Fist. Oh, you know what's great is this, because this, these are just some of the big battles. This Battle of Broken Leg Gully is uh, the dwarfs got wiped out, but they got attacked by uh, Groshnak Badtooth. Mm-hmm. Uh, Groshnak Badtooth. But he had a bunch of ogre mercenaries with him. Among them was... Goldfag, Maneater. And uh, they kept trying to fight him, and they couldn't beat him, and then finally he got sick of the orcs, and the, so he decided to switch sides. 
It would have been fine, except, uh, <laughs> yeah, he he had a falling out with the ogre captain because the ogre captain didn't pay him or something. So he went over and said, I'll fight for you instead. And he turned on him. Mm-hmm. And they're able to bust it, except Goldfag being the type of ogre that he is. They uh, stole everything from the baggage. They stole all the ale from the baggage yeah, train. Yeah, they raided they leaving. it. <laughs> so then they had to put. So that was uh, an entry into the Book of Garages, right? Yep. And then uh, it was settled years later when they got too close to the Eight Peaks. So, um, because that was Ungram Iron Fist. So there was, uh, you know, the, he's the Slayer King. So they see all these. The, he shows up with all these Slayers. Mm-hmm. Ah, but fewer Slayers than there are Ogres, which I like. Yeah. Yeah. Fewer Slayers than Ogres. So Goldfag's like, whatever. And as he, as he saw the Red Ruin unleashed by Ungrim. And his spike-haired crew, with his army massacred, Gulgfag was summarily beaten and thrown into a dungeon to rot. <laughs> you know, I looked up the, this uh, Gulgfag's entry in the Ogre book, and he was thrown into a ju- dungeon with other, other captured greenskins and one of his own ogre comrades. Okay. And when the guards went to check on him later, he, Gulgfag had eaten everything in the prison, including the leg of his ogre comrade. <laughs> so it then goes on to say that uh, Iron Fist was so impressed by this that he took Goldfag out of the prison somewhere far away and they released him. They just let him go. Which I found c- completely out of dwarf character. He was so impressed by how much he could eat that he let him go. I don't know. I don't know because the they didn't are a little entry. weird, though, too. So yeah. Sort mm-hmm. of throws it off a little bit. Yeah, true. They care, they care a little bit less about new grudges. Well, and, and and then there's that part of it where they beat him and they threw him in dungeon and jail, and he had served his time. And then you look at you look at what he did, you know, all that stuff in the dungeon. He'd had to beat it first. It's not like they willingly allowed it themselves to be eaten, right? So talk about a guy who went into a bad circumstance and just Came walks out, out on the, top. O- the only yeah. one left, including the leg of his partner who's still there, right? So that <laughs> might have you know that might have. Uh, Impressed him. Yeah. yeah, I suppose that's 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 something worthy of a song. So they, he could have been let go. Only a crazy Slayer, I think, would think in such yeah. ways. But or it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Uh, where's some of the other ones? Um, when the goblins attack Zufbar, I think it was ogres attacking the moot, right at Zufbar. No, that was the next one. Oh, that was the next one. Yeah. Because yeah. the goblins were running away from an ogre. Tribe. Oh, that's right. Oh, they that's intercepted right. him. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. They attacked, yeah. Because this is where Bugman came into it. Mm-hmm. That's right, because all these guys attack, so everyone comes out to see what's going on, and that's where Bugman pops up. Because, you know, that's always great. Bugman pops up, tells them that the ogre tribes are coming. He saw them through the un, uh, you know, the, the unknown paths. Right. After the speech, the weather-beaten ranger took a swig of ale before spitting it out and launching a tirade about improper brew. <laughs> because you can't have a Bugman tale without him drinking somebody else's beer and getting annoyed by it. Right. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they basically got ready, and they were ready for uh, the ogres. And then... Uh, I love it. They attack them while they're trying to cross their huge lines of lumbering stone horns or midstream when the army of men from Nuln arrived on the far banks to join the fray. So the, the largest concentration of artillery seen in the old world opened fire, and the ogres that survived were chopped down. Didn't they call this one the Battle of a Thousand Cannons or something? I seem to recall Something like that. that, yeah. I don't see anything about the... No, me neither. I remember seeing 
that somewhere though. But then of course of course Bugman fades out back into this with his Rangers, but leaves a big cask of his, his uh personal brew. And all the dwarves who drank it agreed it was the best ale they've sure, ever had. Of because that's how every Bugman story ends. He leaves a cask <laughs> of ale and they all agree it's the best ale ever. That's just too funny. Now here comes this the Battle is, of a Hundred Cannons. There it is. Yeah. Oh, where's in that? The old book. I see it. Oh, in the old, I see it in the old book. book. Okay. okay. Now this is the last bit of the history stuff, and this is interesting because this is this last story goes right in with that stuff in the Vampire Counts book. You're referring to uh, the Shadow of Nagashazar. Yeah. Um, in the Vampire Counts book, you have that thing where uh, Manfred. Um, they're sending the high king is sending an envoy to the dwarfs for you know to talk about their treaties and their whatnot, and he's not going to insult them by sending an, an ambassador. So he sends his daughter, the phoenix king you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Aliathra, the future ever queen of Ulthuan. Right, and when she, they go there, and they and, and she's a, a she's a, apparently a very good uh, mage. And they can get there no problem. They get there and any fighting, any time they're attacked on the way to um, to see Thorgrim Grudgebearer, mm-hmm. they beat everything on the way. But while they're there, word gets around. Everybody knows they're there. And so Manfred gets this plan, basically. He sets an attack on them. And everybody knows that it's getting worse now because they can see it all. So Thorgrim sends a, 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 a group of, of dwarfs to help take her back unharmed. Right. So we were talking about this a little bit off the air. Right. That I thought it a little odd that the dwarves would, after, you know, given the history between the dwarves and the high elves, they would all of a sudden volunteer and get in harm's way to help the high elves out reclaiming their future ever queen. No, no, no. If somebody, okay, they send her as an ambassador, as an envoy to discuss your guys' treaties and Mm -hmm. and your deals, and it is so dangerous outside that she can't safely leave your home of course you're going to send a guard with her. Yeah, and, and, the, and the grudge in question from hundreds of years ago is crossed off. I mean, they've got their phoenix crown and their splattered mess, so that's right. old news. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, I mean, they're, they're on good terms again at this point, or as good as it gets between elves and dwarves. They're not enemies, you know. They, not not on the outside. Well, uh, they all, they, uh, you know, they've been at war for so long. They were at war for so long. Of course, nobody forgets about that. Sure. But they aren't enemies anymore. And she's leaving, and it's too dangerous, so he sends him with her. But Manfred's got this whole thing planned out, because he's stealing her to bring her to sacrifice her in some sort of weird thing mm-hmm. for Nagash. Oh, is that his motivation? Is that what he's trying to do? Uh-huh. Okay. And so he goes and takes her, and that's the whole thing. is He battles, he kills the dwarfs. He kills some of the elves, and he's got everybody with him. This is Manfred. You've got Krell, and you've got uh, what's Kemmler. his name? Heinrich Kemmler. And this is where Heinrich Kemmler seals his uh, fame, because basically he's got all this stuff going. He's got he's got uh, terror guys, several of them up right. in the air. He's got stuff, and as the battle's going on, he's resurrecting the fallen soldiers. So he, you know, they go through this whole battle fighting hordes of zombies and skeletons. And then uh, when it looks like they're starting to win, that's when Kemmler goes, okay, phase two, and raises all the dead dwarfs and all that with their runic weapons and armor. Right. And so these dead dwarfs behind lines stand up now and attack the elves as well. 
There's a great scene where the uh, the, the the elven prince on a griffin yes is, is fighting and uh, it gets beheaded I think by an attacking terrorgeist. The griffin gets beheaded. The terrorgeist and then he, he he reanimates the dead griffin. Yeah, I mean it's just it's this vicious battle and that's how Manfred stole her. Mm-hmm. Okay, but so basically Thorgrim said, well we were guarding her and now she's been kidnapped because there was some surviving. You know, they weren't all killed. Some of the right. survivors basically went, "What do we? We're gonna have to go get her." So he sends out his unit to go get her. When they get to where she's at, Tyrion's there, right, with his army showing up, and so they they join forces. They go out, they kill everything. They get her, and she's behind the lines. Manfred goes nuts, goes through the line. Just basically, Manfred goes straight for her. Even though they're losing everything else, hacks his way through all these elf heroes and elf princes, and basically captures her again. So this, this sets Tyrion off. Yeah, Tyrion turns around and basically blames Thorgrim for all of this. Right. So this wouldn't have happened if we, you know, this you, is all your fault. Yeah, you didn't protect right. her the first time, and now you're here helping us. And some help you were. He still got her. And it says basically he made no move to strike, but his words carried insults no less forgivable. So you're like, oh boy, here it goes again. Get out that book. And uh, this is this is one of the most important parts in the fluff right here. This has all been leading mm-hmm. to this. Thorgrim stilled them. He was not so stiff-necked, he said, as to turn a tragedy into a disaster. The next and time you he, guys lost her, basically, yeah. like it was it was elves that were holding her and got chopped down. Yeah, we got her back. You had her. He took her from you. Now that's not on us. Next time you want to fight, you go and do it on your own. And he and he and he leaves. And I guess all of his advisors were like pushing him, like you need to. Why aren't you writing this down? And uh, he says he refused, knowing the high, knowing he held the high ground, and sensing that Tyrion already stood on the brink of destruction. So um, this is the first time where something like that could be written down, and he's just like no. It's not worth it. I'm not trying to add more grudges. I'm trying to do this, you know. Shorten it, for sure. Exactly. And that's that's a huge change that he just said, listen, I'm not going to, this is already bad. I'm not going to make it worse by starting a fight with the guys who should be our allies. Simply it's because a, he's it's mad. a massive shift in their thinking, in, in dwarf thinking. You know? Well, at least at least for him at it least is. For him. Well, he's the king, so he's he's in a power uh, position of position of power, right? So I, mean, I like it. I think it's it's a good twist. He is setting an example that is heretofore kind of unseen. Understanding that this guy is upset and saying these things and just basically being like, "No, nah, seriously, it's not worth writing mm-hmm. down." And then you get the end of this. Even discounting the fickle elves thus far in Thorgrim's reign, more accounts have been struck from the great book than new ones added. They begin heading back north now. And that's pretty much where we're at. They're heading home from that battle. That's where the... That brings us up to now, I guess. Yeah, and then there's the line in the the last paragraph, basically, of how more accounts have been struck from the great book of grudges than new ones added, and that sort of sort of puts a puts a feather in the cap of the change in tone of this whole fluff compared mm-hmm. to the last one. Yeah. He's actually they're making progress. They're 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 no longer just holding on to what they had. They're they're moving forward. And that's really good. What happens uh yeah. on the day if and when they've settled all grudges? What happens? Nothing. They just continue they just continue, continue living, but they can start I mean they you know 
everything that they've lost, a grudge has been written down for. The day that they strike everything from the book of grudges is the day they get all of their holds back. So we uh, basically wrapped up the, the fluff portion of it. Pretty much. Right? Yeah. I mean, unless there's anything about the different... Well, they talk about... Um, there's the timeline. The timeline... I noticed one thing in the timeline is that the date of the uh, the uh, splattered mess mm-hmm. was changed by 40 years. <laughs> I think it was it was minus 1560 in the old book and minus 1600 in this one, mm-hmm. which is silly. Yeah. And I just noticed it because I was going through to see how they lined up, and that was the only place they didn't line up. Huh. That's a little odd. Yeah, other than that, I mean, there's still more fluff yeah. in here. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, they talk about the different realms and the underway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit duller. Um, like the history stuff is the exciting bits. It is, yeah. There's bits of there's there's parts of the rest that are exciting, but a lot of it is just sort of a geography lesson mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah, but there are some cool things. Like when they talk about yeah. Barakvar, the Seagate. That's the dwarfs. There, they've got the they're a lot of their they're right on the they're right on the coast. And so they have the big steam-powered ironclads, like you saw in the what was it that what was that game that came out that they did the oh yeah, that whatever that ship game was yeah and the the dwarves have these big you know steam-powered mm-hmm. iron-covered ironclads yeah they keep the stuff uh, you know safe oh there is okay here's the one that I really liked uh, they talk about the lost realms some of the dwarf holds that that we've that we've lost uh, the one that was lost to the dragon. Uh, well, then we killed the dragon, mm-hmm. but there weren't enough dwarfs there to hold it. To hold it, so, so in come the orcs. In, exactly. <laughs> then you've got the one that uh, Black Crag that the orcs had taken yeah. over, and uh, like a uh, Thorgrim goes in there, and so Th- Thorgrim leads an attack on it, and it says that uh, uh, King Kazador from one of the other crags, uh, his. Uh, uh, Thorgrim rescued his family from there and yep. brought Gorfang Rotgut's head back to him as a as a token with his family, showing I killed this guy. So he strikes that from the Book of Grudges. It says that uh, of what he saw while marching within the fabled stronghold, he will not speak, save only to say that one day a mightier vengeance must be leveled on the foul creatures that still reside there. So yeah, because they've they've had the the orcs have had that keep for hundreds of years now, like a lot right since the very beginning. Mm-hmm. This was one of the first ones to fall. So okay, uh, the one that I really liked in here of all of these though was this uh, Karak Varn. That's where they the dwarf that was the biggest Gromrel supply was. Yeah, and mm-hmm. they have all of this stuff that was water powered and steam powered. The diving. This is where when when the when the when the earthquakes happened. This is where thousands of dwarfs died in these mines when it just filled mm-hmm. up with water. So the dwarfs have invented really clever outfits that allow them to breathe underwater that they can go mm-hmm. under here. So they've got like they've they've got basically the I just keep picturing them in those old school diving suits yeah. with the metal do, the metal helmet. You could do a fun and cheap unit filler or display board piece out of like, like aquarium bits. <laughs> 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 like just with the the, the little uh, the little antique uh, two twenty thousand leagues into the sea yeah, style yeah, exactly diving suit. Yeah, they've designed ingenious diving machines and underwater suits that allow them explore the depths between the black water itself. For whole treasures were washed into the depths by the floods. 
Uh, these are done in the face of vicious opposition from the Skaven, as well as the twisted creatures that now make the Blackwater their abode. So they're under there fighting water monsters and Skaven and stuff, but they're also down there with their equipment going down and... They're spelunking. Yeah, basically. Basically, for their old uh, dwarven artifacts. That's pretty good. Yeah. And then you get into the clan hierarchy and the different types of guilds. The hierarchy, I thought, was was kind of interesting. The lowest of the low are those clans that have been disgraced. Yep. Next up are your are, are the Wanderers, those but whose holes have probably been taken. Yep. Because they're not trusted yet. They don't have a home. Correct. Like, yeah, they're, they're untrusty. Yeah, untrustworthy. Next up are the clans with a mastery of a craft or are extremely wealthy. And then the top tier are those with royal royalty ties. The ones who can trace their lines directly to the ancestor gods mm-hmm. because... Uh, that Thorgrim Grudgebearer mentions more than once in the book that he can trace his line back to Grimnir. Directly to Grimnir. Yeah. This is an interesting bit, too, that got dropped between the books, is that they they, they mentioned something about this in the old book, but at the time when the unmentioned Chaos Dwarf split happened, the people from those clans that were still back in the regular sort of part of the kingdom got mm-hmm. quietly... Uh, adopted into all the these other clans um, as if they'd always been there. So a lot of the ancestry that goes back past that is can be fuzzy uh, because, like, if if you know Bill the Dwarf from Clan Johnson was was part of the Chaos Dwarf Johnsons, he all of a sudden becomes part of some like Thorgrim's clan. And has always been in that clan, and all of his ancestors have always been in this clan. So it gets a little fuzzy tracing back farther uh, than that. Oh. Hmm. It's part of wiping the Chaos Dwarfs out of the history books involved. Right. Messing up some family trees. Oh, that's so, weird. Let me ask you guys, so now that we've delved into the, the psyche and the history of the dwarves, in your view, which is the, the, the arch enemy of the dwarves? Their most hated enemy. Well, so that's the thing is that if Cast Dwarfs was a real army, they mm-hmm. would have to have hatred against them too. Yeah. But yeah. since they're not a real army, they didn't get it. Yeah, they actually, you know, exactly. They that's that should have been in there. I mean, yeah. if if they're acknowledging that as a as a if GW is acknowledging it, they should have had that in there because that's got to be. Yeah. yeah, that's that's kind of a separate discussion. So barring Chaos Dwarves, <sighs> has to be orcs and goblins. It has to be orcs and goblins. Yeah. Because and I think they're emphasizing more the role of Skaven mm-hmm. in this book compared to the last book, probably to justify the the rules that they added in. But sure. it seems like the role of Skaven in all of these lost realms has been amplified a little now. Mm-hmm. Well, even in the other book, though, I mean, once it busted open, I mean, the the Skaven are all over the underworld, mm-hmm. and the dwarves are the only other ones who are down there. When that stuff cracked open, and they were had access to all that stuff. I mean, and the Skaven are just as just as numerous as the goblins. I mean, it even yep. says there's something in here that it says that half the time in in some of these places that the goblins own, they're fighting the Skaven constantly. And the only time they stop fighting the Skaven this is when the is dwarves, dwarves show, show up. up. <laughs> and they said there's this one that 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 there's goblins who've never seen a dwarf. Yeah, that's Karak Ungor. I just saw that one. That's a yeah. Red Eye Mountain. Yeah, hmm. because that's because the, they've been driven out. Right. But the dwarves have been gone for so long. Yeah, yeah. it's just four thousand years. <laughs> Jeez, no fewer than three high kings of old have been slain fighting to regain that one, and they've never really made a, a proper foothold or anything. 
Hmm. So it made sense that the Skaven got added. It made more sense it than not. It does make sense, yeah. Because they're the, the one... Subterranean. Well, you look yeah. at what's coming through, and it's orcs, goblins, trolls, all the stuff in the orc and goblin army, yeah. and Skaven. And then the only other real enemy they have who's a true enemy are demons. Warriors of chaos to some extent. But yeah. basically anything... But chaos. That, yeah. Anything tainted by chaos. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, but that's everybody's enemy. Is anything tainted by chaos? But you go to what they what they've been fighting mm. the whole time. Yeah, like like you look at some of the uh, uh, what other forces of destruction are that they might not even really believe the dark elves are a thing. Like they might just think that that's all just subterfuge and lying from yeah. high elves. Like, Actually, they they mentioned the, the the sundering and they didn't quite understand like why kin would be fighting each other and slaughtering each other they just didn't that, understand that that's a foreign concept yeah. because here there are there are in fact there's one part where they talk about there was a blood feud being fought between two different mm-hmm. kings and they put that aside when they had to you Bigger know when, enemies came yeah. about yeah. but that's the type of stuff that goes into a book of grudges and then sure. if if you can't pay it then we're going to have to fight but that's a lot more formalized and weird than we're, our whole race is split in half right and, right well, and even if you think about Chaos Dwarfs, A, they spend so much of their time pretending there are no Chaos Dwarfs, and B, Chaos Dwarfs are so far away and you see them so infrequently hmm. that it's not nearly the same as what goes on between Dark Elves and High Elves, sure. really. Right. Um, yeah. It's not like the Chaos Dwarfs are on this quest to get, regain the Everlasting Kingdom or anything. Yeah, they're just in a far-off land doing their own thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, they're spend, making they money so and running. Time, yeah. yeah, I mean, the castors are making money and running a slave trade and selling weapons, basically sure. selling weapons and armor to the chaos warriors. I mean, it's just it's what yeah. they do, yeah. you know. Training hell cannons, right? <laughs> <laughs> but this is this was this is just such a. I mean, it's so inspiring, you know, when you read this. Because it, it is, it, it's it's brought this idea that wow, they there's something that can. They're progressing. They're they're they have hope, as you say, Mike. Yeah, because chaos does seem so insurmountable at this point. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just it's constant. It's everywhere. You can't close that gate. You know, we've got you know they've got the the basically you've got the, this thing in Ulthuan, which is sucking all the chaos out. And that's the only thing that's keeping chaos at bay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, everybody's fighting that, and that's sort of where it was left before. But now it's got this idea of we're taking stuff back, we're bringing back this this sort of age for us. And of course, with, as they're moving forward, they're helping men progress. You know, right. they're, they're trading, they're doing other stuff. So, well, I'm looking forward to playing that expansion that you mentioned, the uh, dwarves versus Skaven slash goblins. I'll show it to you when we're done. I've yeah. got it on my iPad. I just, I totally, I kind of bought it right when the book came out. And I've been so busy playing around and building with the army and just trying to learn how to sure. build. Well, I didn't even think about playing any scenarios. I was just like more thinking of just getting stuff going. Well, you, you should get more d- games with your dwarves in for sure. Oh yeah. So is it it's one of these ones with like the Lizardman one or whatever? Where that it's like the the iPad app runs the campaign for you, sort of thing. Oh no! Is it's, it one of those? It, no, it's just one of their digital their digital ebooks. Thing. Yeah, oh, I picked okay. up that and the How to Paint Dwarfs. Which eh, yeah. was okay. Had a lot of little. I could probably tips. manage without the <laughs> book. Right. <laughs> I just I like to see some of the paint, some of the color schemes they use because I like some of the color schemes, especially when they gave you how the different colors they use for every tone of beard. I mean, literally, it's every color beard you could want. They give you the yeah. basics because sometimes you want to have a guy with a white beard, but just painting a beard white doesn't look right. Sure. And the shading doesn't necessarily. Yeah, white's look right. a hard color to. 
yeah. to paint effectively. You know, so yeah, I can't I can't really manage white there, pretty much at all. There's a lot of cool things in there. They you know they did the different colorings for the skin tones and painting different. Th- so I mean, there's some stuff that was in it, but the I think the the one that was actually cheaper was that underpass. And had the okay. groups and the scenarios, and it looks pretty cool. Speaking of beards, there was one entry in this dwarf book. I don't know if you caught it, but you know, a long beard signifies you know wisdom, etc. But uh-huh. it, a, a beard could also be like used as a weapon. Like they they tie certain things at the end of the beard, and with a a whip of their neck, they could you know kill a goblin with their beard. Did you read that part? I I don't remember seeing that part. I know yeah, I've it, seen people complaining on the internet about models that have hammers tied into their beards. It's in um, there. It's in there somewhere. Oh. Is it one of these little the little squared off? It could be. I, find it. I remember seeing the thing about the long beards. That's just sort of a given. I don't know. I don't remember. Let's see. I don't, I don't remember that either. I know it's in there. I was like, what? I know that they do tie little hammers and stuff into their beards, and I remember—I I kind of remember something about it, but because uh, yeah. that's a little, there's little fluff blocks later on in the army. Yeah, it, rules, it could be in so maybe there. it's in, somewhere in there. I don't know. I'll try to find it. But that, I thought that was kind of goofy. Well, if you find it, maybe it'll be one of the bits that make it into the. I see. They do. They do call out. Gotrick and Felix in the in under the Slayers in the fluff box. Yes, that was nice. And you should because I really I, I wanted them I wanted those to be in this in this book I really wanted them to be in the book. Yeah, because I have Gotrick and Felix models. I have the Gotrick from the from the uh, Warhammer World model where Gotrick and Bugman are holding up the White Dwarf. No, I actually have the the Gotrek yeah. and the Felix model that they sold. Yeah, yeah, no, I know it's the same. It's the same Gotrek. Right. Just, uh, so I, I I converted them to three separate models. So I've got a nice Gotrek that I have painted up. Okay. I'm standing on three giant heads. Hmm. I don't see anything about. I'll try to find that. Well, if you find it, let me know. Okay. But I don't I don't see any. It doesn't sound like something that wouldn't be there. I just like I don't remember. Seeing I don't remember seeing it either. Okay. Yeah, I'll try to track that down. Um, but so there you go, rulers of all they see until giant earth-shattering events take them out. And yeah, that was a neutral the, party. They've never chaos. been they've never right. been laid low by an enemy. The neutral party, which just shows you just how fragile their mighty empire was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess so. Still kicked your ass. What? Yeah, a, wee- a weenie Save little earth rupturing quake is all <laughs> right. to it. Bring the empire to its knees. Hey, I'm at one win, one draw with that everything, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm. That win that it was. No, I know that was a totally kind of a layup for you. I kind of gave that. Yeah, one that was kind away. of a, yeah, that was kind of an easy one. But but we'll, we'll we'll play it again for sure. Absolutely. So that's it for the fluff, and we spent a long time on it. Um, Let's break, and we're going to come back with some army special rules and things like that. Talk about some of the basics of the mechanics of this army. How's that sound? Sounds good. All right. (laughs) 
slayers regularly attempt impossible deeds, pitting their axes and finely tuned killing skills against creatures that outclass them in terms of power and size by a hundredfold or more. Undaunted by hopeless odds or how many of their own kind fall, slayers do not stop in their attack until they are dead. No matter how large, if enough slayers are present, even the most titanic foe will eventually be hacked down and slain. From out of such fierce tenacity, legends have grown. Tales of slayers performing deeds of unbelievable might. Brokuk One-Eye waded through an entire Skaven army before splitting a grey rat wizard and his infernal bell device in two, while Hungnir, out of Karazakarak, single-handedly slew a dozen giants. Ungrim Ironfist, the Slayer King, smote down the Dragon of Black Peak, a beast that by itself had routed armies and devoured entire towns of the Empire. Yet of all their many impressive glories, there are no slayers that can match the blood-stained feats of Gatrek Gurnison. Armed with a battle axe that rivals the one borne by High King Thorgrim Grudgebearer in craftsmanship, it is says that Gotrek fights with the skill and fury of Grimnir himself. Over the course of his death quest, which has been recorded by the human rememberer known as Felix Jaeger, Gotrek has carved his way through all manner of the most deadly creatures in the world, dispatching enemy warlords, vile seers, ancient vampire lords, greater demons, and dragons, all with the same contemptuous ease. Okay, we're back. And for those of you who don't care about fluff, uh, you've probably fast-forwarded to this spot. So welcome to the... uh, more technical aspect of the army review. As we get going here, how's how are you feeling, Chris? I'm feeling good. Ready for more? I'm ready so, to grudge. Reading this fluff, it's kind of it, it's it's. Did you like it? As as not, I mean, you know, Mike and I loved it. Being dwarf players, as you, as a person who is a self-professed uh, disliker of dwarfs, and I'm putting that as kindly as I could possibly uh-huh, put it. Right? Yeah. What did you think? I, th- of it? I thought it was well written. It's really good. I can see how someone out there might be inspired to play the army. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's coming from you, that's high praise. Uh, that's as far as I'll go. Uh, I still think they're more fun to kill than they are to play. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's well well written. It, it goes into a, a good detail in terms of what they're about. More importantly, where they're going. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I have a really hard time reading any army book and not sort of starting the wheels turning on how what would be fun to do. So yeah, I think they do a good job of writing the fluff for yeah. that purpose. Yeah. yeah, it's really it is really uh, it's pretty captivating, and you know it's like you said it's it's this it's this story. If you are about you know if you're into one of these things about honor and glory and the sort of these fighting do, against impossible odds. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, reclaiming glories of mm. old. As much as their, it's funny because their strengths and and their weaknesses are you know sort of lodged in that same spot. That thing that makes them so stiff necked and such pains in the butt, and so hard to get along with, is also the reason they've survived this long. Right. You know because the, the, these things these things that burn inside their you know sort of eat them up from inside are also the things that when everything else around them dies, that's the thing that burns keeps inside them and keeps them going. Yeah. One kind of this is coming coming out of nowhere, but what. What do they eat? They don't have farms, really, do they? Um, they can, and they, but they don't often. More often than not, they trade for it. I mean, uh. before they were trading with other people, they did. In fact, one of the Kodak Eight Peaks 
has that above ground right now because uh, up in the up in the peaks of the mountains there's it's sort of little gaps of areas that are usable that sure. are sort of out of the way and they they could farm there yeah but mostly they trade for it yeah or else you know they, and it, I don't think they do so much farming as maybe raising animals I, I picture Doris as big meat eaters. But if they're subterranean, how are you? They got to get grain for the ale. No, that, uh, that, that's right, true. Yeah. Got, yeah, so I guess they are. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, they would be farmers. In fact, and, uh, yeah, would they trust anybody else's grain to make their ale? Like, that's true. So yeah, I guess there were a lot of dwarf farmers. Yeah, hmm. D- yeah, they've got to have that somewhere. Okay, but I mean, uh, for a lot of the, I mean, once you've got that kind of wealth, I mean, even remember from Tolkien's stuff that that, uh, you know, the 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 uh, the Lonely Mountain. They did all their trading with uh, with the city of Dale, and that's where they yeah. got uh, all their food and stuff from. They didn't have to do any of that. They concentrated on mining, and their wealth. I, I suppose, them. but th- that's kind of uh, your. It's it's a big dependency on third party for for sustenance. I mean, what happens if those farms get invaded or taken out, or they have a bad year? That, yeah, well, you know that's what I mean? true. Yeah, so I don't know. But they've got to have some. They've got to have some farms because, like you said, they were making – and this is well before they were trading with other people. I mean, when right. they were just living on their own. Yeah, they don't really mention it. So, I don't know. That's neither here nor there. No. That's, it's a good question. They don't they don't talk much about it, but I know it, it has to exist. Yeah, a lot of that stuff gets kind of swept under, though. Like, right. I know I know they have something in 40K, but, like, even where do baby orcs come from, they never really talk about um, where do dwarfs go to the bathroom? They don't ever really talk about <laughs> right. it. There's a lot of stuff like that that just sort of gets right. swept away. Everyday life stuff, the, the more mundane stuff, I suppose. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, let's go on to the, the interesting stuff, the Army Special Rules. <laughs> I think the Army Special Rules have gotten better from the last edition. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's a few things, obviously, in this change. um I, I personally, when this book first came out, I was oh, I was so upset. I was ready. you're upset. Why were you upset? Oh, I just I couldn't I couldn't write an army list. It was, they changed so many. Th- I just oh, I thought this army had just gotten at, had gone at, backwards. Yeah. Hmm. Um. Or, or it's like for everything that it's like they gave us one new thing and they took two away. It seemed like when I first started doing this. How do you uh, feel about that, Mike? What were your initial reactions? I. I didn't see the takeaways so much. I don't know. I was really excited right from day one, so I was I was disappointed to see Dave's reaction on Twitter, hmm. but I think he came around. I, I still like it. I still think there's a lot of things. They, they there's a lot of things you can't do with this army that you used to be able to do, uh, and in some of the changes they they've made it like, and some of them were necessary. Taking away the dwarf's ability to completely erase the magic phase. I guess. I'm surprised to hear you say that. Actually, well, I mean, it, it, it's it was pretty. I mean, I, I understood what it was. Hey, we don't get one, so we're not giving you one either. Right. Yeah. But it was it wasn't balanced right, or it wasn't no. fair. Yeah. And it does hmm. with 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 this edition of the game, which according to all the rumors is only going to last another four months, but. With this edition of the game, you know, all these magic augments and stuff, there's armies that live and die right. on that. Play against my army, and I just take that away from you. That's – if I can take it away from you without even trying, which you used to be able to do, sure. that's that's not cool. You know? Yeah, I think any mechanics that are even kind of like that were always poorly received, like that one – Chaos Dwarf War Machine that if you were in the area of it, you couldn't move anymore. Yeah, right. 
right? That was always poorly received, mm -hmm. even if it didn't kill anybody. Oh, the Earthshaker you know, cannon—it cut your in half. Yeah, yeah. So even if it didn't, uh, even if it didn't kill anybody, it still felt like it was rude, right. you know. It's taking or, a phase away from doing, you. You know, yeah. doing the the old anvils move, uh, movement stopping rune felt mm. rude, and even like the Slanesh magic, it kind of feels rude. The forcing people to move randomly and a stuff it just bit, feels yeah, rude. Yeah. Like I don't know. It, it it's when I'm taking away your ability, your ability to even play your game, to participate. Yeah. You yeah. know, yeah. it's worse than. I, it, honestly, to me, that stuff is almost worse than the gun line because. I know when I've been playing, like when we were doing my VC against your Orc and Goblin gun line, yes, those first two turns, I just really am, am loathing the game and it's right. not fun. You know, then you get into combat and you play your game. You get your points back. Yeah. Um, but that's just, you know, that's kind of how having a gun line works. Having your entire game, it's like you don't get to play your game the way your army's written because I've just taken out, with with the importance of the magic phase in... Being what it is, yeah, sure. Just being able to shut it down wholesale is kind of brutal. But, um, you know, the idea of losing... There's, I mean, there's certain other things, and we'll talk about that probably next episode when we talk about the runes because I think sure. the runes have changed so much. They're interesting, but they, I don't, I don't necessarily know that. I mean, I think that they've taken a big step back in a couple of major areas. Well, I would think it's also um, interesting, more interesting as a dwarf player to be able to participate in the magic phase and actually have things happen to you and have to make decisions. Well, just have to think, like, yeah, I think we spoke about it off yeah. air. I think you actually have to think about it. You can still handle. I mean, I, I've found in the games that I've played, I can still handle the magic phases. I just have to think about it now, and you didn't used to have to think about Pick it. your battle. If, so. you have a, if you have a low dice count magic phase, I'm usually pretty good. Mm. Uh, it's just when you have a high dice count. It's, and that's like any army now. Now it's, sure. you know, yeah. I can still have more than one dispel, which other armies can't. It's just yep. I can't. It, it would be You'd be hard-pressed to find a way to put, like, five or six dispels in your... Army, because I remember playing against games where, where I would take that. I would be able yeah, to. I don't I know would, if I ever took more than three, but now I now even two is pushing it. I, mm -hmm. If I'm at three thousand, I'll have two. But if I'm less, I only have one. Yeah, I mean, I remember in some games when I was playing against guys when I knew there was like a lot of high magic or a lot not high magic, but a lot of magic being thrown around back in seventh edition. Yeah, I remember taking guys with two or three runes and a couple of guys with them, and yeah, it was expensive, but I could dispel one magic spell per. For turn, yeah, that's pretty good. You know, it's like okay, yeah, I'm you're getting no spells by this game. So that was then. So what's the rule now? They have their their special rule is natural resistance. Well, they Which have is this. The same. Yeah, this is still the same. It's basically even if I don't have any wizards on the table or uh, runesmiths, mm -hmm. I get a plus two to dispel. Okay, yeah, so I think that was actually written into the big rule book because it wasn't, of course, written that way, and the it didn't work that way when sixth was out, but. That's the that's a carrying on of what we had from the uh, main rule book. Yeah. Uh, okay. And they even they, right down to the wizard on your team canceling it. So right, that was there too. Yeah. Hmm. So if you're playing in a team with allies or in a in a team game, right? Uh, dwarfs and anyone else, the dwarfs lose that ability when there's another wizard if on they their have team. A wizard. Interesting. Well, you and you you have to rely on the the wizards. Basically, the wizards level. Sure. To, right. He yeah. has to be the one to dispel. Um, of course, if all the wizards on the other team die, I suppose you get your... It kicks back in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're not disrupting anything. True. Um, ancestral Grudge is about the coolest rule. This is, this one, this is really fun. Um, we have Hatred of Orcs and Goblins. We have Hatred of Skaven. 
And uh, then we also might have hatred against you because there's lots of grudges. And if you're in the book of grudges deep enough, mm-hmm. we hate you too. So at the beginning of the game, um, after deployment but before Vanguard, you roll a D6. Which I thought was, thought was weird, like that, pinpointing that to be before Vanguard. Before so Vanguard, I thought that yeah. was weird. That is kind of odd. Well, wouldn't that, that might affect... I know, but it might affect where you deploy too. So right. you could argue to put it before deployment or after Vanguard or in between. <laughs> it just seems weird that that was where they... Yeah, kind of arbitrary. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess you know they a lot of times they do stuff after you deploy, mm-hmm. but it makes sense to put it before vanguarding because that's actually at, that's before any movement happens. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Vanguard yeah. is still movement, so it's just before any movement happens, but after you've deployed. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose the idea is you know once you see the enemy army arrayed, yes. you have to decide how much do we hate those guys? Who do we hate? Mm-hmm. Yeah, who's there? Who are we flying up against? Do we have any grudges against mm-hmm. them? So you roll a d6, and on a one or a two. My general hates your general. So not so good. Personal vendetta. Right? Yeah, personal vendetta. Uh, on a three and four, all of my characters hate all of your characters. Better. So, yeah, better. And on a five or a six, my whole army hates your whole army. That's what you want. I have Makes rolled a, a five or a six yeah. in both of my games with them. And, yes, it's a huge honking difference. Anyway, you know, nowadays, each army book has a way to get some kind of reroll, which is huge. Yeah. And this is a good way for the dwarves to get that. Yeah, because we don't have much on the way of getting rerolls. There's not a ton of it here. Um, so getting it with having a, a chance to roll, someone's going to get rerolls. But even then, it's just it's not my general hates your army. My characters hate your army. That would that would have been awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, because, you know, that basically your general is always going to get rerolls. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I guess that would have been that one tiny step better to make it worth not forgetting when you roll one to right. four, which I usually do is I forget. <laughs> if I don't roll five, six, I just forget about it to the end. <laughs> oh, man, I had re- I've done that. Oh, man, I had re-rolls. Well, it's rare that, you know, general on general or character on character. It, it doesn't happen often. I don't know about you guys, but it's rare that well, I see it. Um, well, character on character happens. You know, my hero Jones. challenges your hero. My, my, my hero's playing your BSB. I think unit champions would count under that because aren't they infantry characters, characters as well? Yeah, so champions would get it. They count as characters. I think so, but I don't know. So. Because well, when you're counting up, remember when you're counting uh, for lookout sirs, right? You don't count. You need at least five champions rank and file because not counting champions because they're characters. Hmm. I I think it is. Well, you I know, would actually they, try to do those, it, so I, I don't know. When <laughs> they put those updated FAQs out, now that they're back on. Which, by right. the way, did you see that? It's on the Black Library website. Yeah, why the they do that? Not only is it on the Black Library website, but I could not find anywhere on the Black Library website that oh, actually that link had that, a button. That. That you have to actually go in, and I had to type it in, blacklibrary.com slash oh, it, It's on there. I, I found a way to navigate. It's kind oh, of buried. you got to show me where it is, because yeah, I was so annoyed. I couldn't. I, like, I had to go and type it in off of Twitter. It was strange that they put it on Black Library site. Yeah, that's really but annoying. Anyway, that's a whole other, other okay. show topic. But so you get that, which is a really cool one. Then they get dwarf crafted, which pretty much all the all the hand weapons are dwarf crafted. Any any uh, you know ballistic skill shooting type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they Everything don't except throwing axes on rangers. How come? Because they just don't have. Oh, dwarf that's right. Just throwing axes. That's right. Yeah. Um, they don't get the minus one to stand and shoot. Which okay. is good because they're only flipping ballistic skill three. Sure. So it it plays into their defensive 
Right. They're, they're always ready to stand and shoot. Yeah. Um, because you figure, well, the only time that, well, you can stand and shoot, yeah. Um, but most uh, troops are ballistic skill three, right? Is that yes, right? pretty much all no, of them. Even the engineers, stupid engineers, are only four. Hmm. Now, the quick-to-fire stuff, which uh, the few things they have it, quick-to-fire is great because you can fire even when... They're too close. When yeah. they're too close. Um, and you... Uh, you can move and you shoot can without move penalty. and shoot. Now, the basics of the crossbows, the handguns that are still move or fire, so you're still kind of sitting still right. if you want to shoot. But that... That not losing anything to the to standing and shooting is is nice, mm-hmm. because if you're getting a long charge off a long range shot, that I need sixes, right? Fours normally long range is five, going to sixes is a little rough. Um, then they've got uh, resolute. This is this is the the, the two ones here, uh, resolute and shield wall plus one strength when they charge, plus one to the parry save when they are charged. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I found that Resolute has been a stealth MVP rule for me. I wasn't expecting it to be as effective as it has been. Oh, I don't know. It, oh, no, it, it's great. It's, I mean. Yeah. But the, the internet says, he said laughingly, <laughs> that because your movement is one inch shorter, you will never charge anybody. Okay. Never? And I uh, find I, that I, I get charged all the time. So. Yeah. Yeah. Can we discuss this? Because that's dumb. Okay. Yeah. My movement, okay, that is not the biggest weakness of this book, is them being movement three. It sucks, but that is far from the biggest weakness of the Movement three is not that big a deal. Nope. Because, A, if I'm doing a gun line, I'm not moving anyway. My movement can be seven. Doesn't mm. matter. I'm not right. moving. Okay, if I'm doing, if I'm castling up. If I yep. am moving, you're coming to me, I'm moving to you. We're going to be engaged by turn two if we want to be. Mm. And the fact is, I'm more willing to try to make a long charge. Yeah. With dwarfs than any other army, because what's the worst that happens? I need a you twelve. Move three instead of six. Right, right. It's the worst. And, yeah. and when you need those big rolls, a lot of times you find you know if I need an eleven, the first one stops at a six, and you look at the other one, it's a two, and you're like, okay, I move forward six. Yeah. I can only move six. That in, in combat yeah. happens in initiative order, right? You know, so getting the charge off is not as important. If if the plus one for getting that charge off is important, then yeah. The, now the plus one strength. The plus one strength when you get the charge off. I mean that makes it really worthwhile. In yeah. fact, this is one of those things that really sort of I think pushes the dwarfs to try and get engaged in combat. Try to charge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, especially if you use a lot of long beards and stuff. Going from strength four to five is such a huge jump. Mm-hmm. Or or if you're taking great weapons like with your hammerers or with your long beards. Right. Against high armor stuff. Yeah. Six to seven is still a big. I mean, I'll tell you what. When I was playing against Grant's uh, Lizardman, he had all those stupid Scarvets on cold ones, a one-up yep. armor save. Mm-hmm. One-up on a with strength six, four-up. And they're also toughness five, right? So you're yeah. wounding yep. on twos yep. instead of threes, yeah. You're wounding on twos, and suddenly the armor save goes from, if it's a one-up, it goes from a four to a five. Yep. Huge difference. I could not hurt them with the strength five guys. I just could, I mean, I could wound them. I just couldn't get the wounds through because of their armor <laughs> save. So that plus one, I'd rather take that. Plus, if you're using hammers, the shield wall rule doesn't do you any good anyway. Anyone with great weapons, right, that yeah. plus one parry save is out the window. Yep. <laughs> it's nice with other, I mean, with your iron breakers, it's sweet. Yeah, I, I don't know if we're going to get to that today, but uh, I found iron breakers with the combination of resolute and shield wall. Iron breakers are so good. Hmm. 
Yeah, I mean that, and if you throw an oath stone in there, and it's stupid. Yeah. There's, yeah. The only well, pro- and a and a rune smith so that you get armor piercing. But yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez. The only problem with that is, and this is the, the, the now I will admit, obviously, movement three is not good. <laughs> I mean, saying I know I sat there and just now said how oh, it doesn't really matter. The biggest problem, and because it, it is a weakness, is when you see a block of iron breakers with a guy on an oath stone in it, and they're going in. That's the that's the unit you're going to feed chaff and never get involved sure, with because right. you're not that that's worse than a unit of zombies. That's worse than a horde of zombies because they're going to get the super parry save. They've got from all angles. Um, they'll hold you there forever. Yep. Right. But if you've also got um, Vanguard in there somehow, it's harder to dodge. That's true. This is true. That's, that's true. what I'm finding for sure. Is I just think that. that yeah. The shield wall is not the that you know it's it's good and it's and it looks nice on paper, but it's also you know if it's I, good enough that I'm thinking about trying out long beards with shields instead of great weapons in my core. I'm thinking about trying it. I haven't tried it yet. Well, I tried it once, but I'm thinking about sticking with it for a while. I think it depends on what you want to do with that unit. I mean, going from a six up yeah. ward to a five up ward. That's pretty handy, you know. But stack that with an armor save. It's only on the turn they're charged. Yeah, yeah. So so that's it's, the problem. It's great on that first turn, but then after that, your yeah, hand weapon shields, up, uh, sure. your, your normal hand weapon shielding it, and that's why I think it's not as good. Um, in yeah, fact, it's enough better from last edition though that with combining with the resolute and the shield wall, it's making me look. Yeah, at shields on my core, which I never did. I don't know if I did even once in eighth. Uh, with your last book was shields in my core. Well, this wow. is uh, actually sort of this is halfway to the rule that I wanted to see, which was I I thought that the you know because remember the dwarves the dwarves have no way in this book really to get a one up armor save with the exception of like a, a lord character mm-hmm. or that and I think it's just a lord character who can do it. Uh, well, one master of Groundwell can do it too. So one thing okay. and then lords on shields. So you get one or two characters can have one up armor saves. Unlike other things in the in the other books that can get them really easily, uh, I was kind of hoping for some sort of rule for some dwarf crafted stuff where their shields gave them a plus two. Yeah. So that that so remember the old seventh edition. If you had hand weapon shield, your shield was a plus two. Yep. Instead of that six up, you got your. Uh, and that was yeah. That's what everybody armor, yeah. got. And I would have much more preferred to see dwarf shields so that way your iron breakers. Are a two plus, plus yeah. and anybody else with really good armor can take those shields and get a little bit of a better armor save. Um, if this shield wall rule lasted any turn that they didn't charge, you know, because mm-hmm. I don't know what the difference is on the first turn or the second turn of combat, as long as you got your shield wall up, right? Then mm-hmm. it would be awesome. It's not bad, but it's just not. It's just not awesome, yeah. right? Not as. Not as good. Yeah, it really. Um, for me, yeah, it's pretty much an ironbreaker rule at this point, really. Yeah, because they get it all the time. Right. Yeah. Um, so you can only count on it with your iron breakers. Exactly. Uh, and then there's relentless, which hasn't changed. We don't have to test to march. Yep. We can always you notice march. the big thing that's missing. Of course, is that stupid minus one to uh, flee and pursue. Oh, that yeah. rule's gone. That is gone. Happy day. That is huge. Actually. That is huge. Because that was, yeah, that messed people up left and right. Yeah, that minus one. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's it comes really to play nice. more often than you'd think. Yep. 
Yeah. And then the, the, the armory stuff is actually there's not that much. Grommel armor is a four up armor save. You got the crossbow and the handgun haven't changed except now they're dwarf crafted. Now wait, the dwarf the handgun, handgun changed. yeah the the handgun doesn't have the plus one to hit rule anymore. That's pretty big. That's huge. Yeah. Because uh, basically right now the only difference is, um, the the handgun is a twenty four inch range as opposed to the crossbow which is thirty. Mm-hmm. But the gun, the handgun has armor piercing. Before it had that plus, with a plus one to hit. Yeah. The, fa- the fact that both of these selections are move or fire really Ooh. hurts. They've always been that guys. though. Yeah, yeah. But I think that that you know kind of forces you to have to play defensive. But they're also strength four. I understand. Shooting, where everyone else is strength three. If you can't move up to support your lines that that want to get into combat. You know what I mean? It's kind of a right. it works against your offensive type build that you're trying to go for. Yeah, it, it yeah it makes them it makes them hard to use. I mean, you can use them to, you know, as you can put them in front of you know if you want to have a slight defense for your war machines or something like that. Right, right. I used to put them up in the twelve inch inch line and just keep firing them until someone got into combat. But right. But yeah, now the the handguns have gotten a little cheaper, but yep. you know because they but still just that losing that plus one to hit with everyone at ballistic skill three. That's just the worst because you're almost always hitting on like fives. I would think that you know one unit or maybe for an upgrade could be BS four. You know, given that you they're dwarves and marksmen with the rifles. There's some whatnot. special characters that can give it to units and yeah. stuff like that. But um, but that's hey, it. Now armor piercing. If you get a rule for armor piercing, that's just close combat, right? Yep. Okay. So unless the weapon itself has it, so right. The dwarf handgun itself has armor piercing, so the shots are. But otherwise. Right. Stick a runesmith in there. It doesn't help. Okay. So then uh, pistols. Now, the interesting thing is some of the changes they've done. Now, the Oath Stone, the Oath Stone's gotten a hundred times better. Mm-hmm. Because the Oath Stone used to be lay down the Oath Stone. You have no flanks or rear. Everything's considered a front rank. And basically, this is where the dwarf who's carrying it says, this is where I'm making my stand. But then you could never move through the rest of the game. So yeah. Once, and- well, yeah, and, the, and you couldn't have a second character in the units and all sorts of other things, right? Yeah. I mean, there was all sorts of limitations, and basically it's like it's really cool thematically, and you say, this is going to be my last stand, and all I have to do is have this nice expensive unit full of bit, lots of models, and then once I lay the old stone, you basically are like, okay, so we just won't go anywhere near you for the rest of the game. You're in, essentially taken out of the game. Yeah. Uh, now they can't flee... They can't be disrupted, and they can make parry saves to the flank and the rear if they've got hand weapons and shields. Mm-hmm. You have to accept a challenge, and if you have and more you than one, sleep, yeah. if you have more than one oath stone, you can choose which of them accepts the challenge. <coughs> yeah, I don't know I, I've got a guy that I like to bring, just like a thane on an oath stone with a one-up save and a gray weapon. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, basically, it's. it's Pretty cheap, and you know, stick him in iron breakers, and he does a great job. So, would you equip a unit with an oath stone to be like uh, that unit that you? It's it's like the closing turns of the game, and you're going to go down fighting and not give up the unit and do as much damage as you can on the way out. Or what's the what's the deal? Well, like I said, it, it's all geared up to work best with the iron breakers because. Mm-hmm. Once again, it gives this bonus to you. Now, granted, you don't have flanks or rear. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, 
Well, actually, it doesn't even say that. It just no, says you, you just can't can be make parries. You can make parry saves. So the only, it only most of the rules here only benefit hand weapon shield units, mm-hmm. which is going to be your iron breakers. Okay. Mm-hmm. And giving them the bonus to that parry save, or giving them a parry save from every side, makes it a, a really hard to kill unit. But once again, it's so who's going to attack it? Right. Three well, up. yeah, that's again, that's where you have to, you know, you have to get uh, Vanguard in there, mm-hmm. and you have to bring the fight to them. Force right? the that's, issue. Yeah. Force the issue. Yeah. But it's not a hammer; it's an anvil. So you got to force the issue and get them in there, and then you're holding it. Yeah, but if you put the if you've got plus one strength to turn you charge, and you've got a character making some strength six attacks, it starts to function almost like a hammer at the same time as it's an anvil. If you've got armor piercing on from a rune smith in there, yeah, that is just it can start to be kind of like a hammer. Yeah, or you define the you, you select whatever unit is that you don't want to fight and park this unit in front of that, and yeah. they don't go anywhere the whole game. Yeah, you can do that. It's still it's way better than the old one. It's just it's kind of situational, and it's really for the Iron Breakers, which I don't think get chosen nearly as often. But we're going to get to them at a later point. Yeah, I think the Old Stone has gone from never, ever, ever to sometimes. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then there's Shield Bearers, and the Shield Bearers have changed kind of a bunch. Um, yeah, it's only a couple of things, but it's real important things. <laughs> yeah. Basically, it still gives you plus two to your armor save up to a one plus. So you stick your lord on there. Uh, plus still gives you the two extra attacks. Two like extra attacks because each of his guys get the attacks. But it's yeah. the plus two wounds. That's the biggie. Yeah, because basically, since they're all unit, before they had the unit strength thing and all these differences, now each of those guys is considered a part of that model. So each of their wounds gets added in. So your lord goes from three wounds to five wounds. That's having, huge. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. A five-wound lord, and he's got Grommel armor. So having them makes it a two-up. All you need is a shield. Or a rune of stone. Or a rune of stone, and he's got a one-up armor save, five wounds. Mm-hmm. Um, they can't, or they, it. yeah, the lord can't get He still gets to look out, sir. Um, but he's not immune to killing blow anymore. Oh nope. As I've learned, fighting executioners. Ouch. <laughs> that's a, that's a rough lesson. I learned also against Ripperdactyls mm. twice. So what, yeah. are, what? Black knights? They also have killing blow. Oh yeah. No. Graveguard. Graveguard. Yeah. I mean, no. there is a rune, and it used to be the best rune. It made you immune to uh, poison, killing blow, and something else. I think. I think that was the old rune. Hold on. What is what is what did the old rune do? Because they, I know they, it, it wasn't as good. What was it, Mike? Where is it? I got it here. It's. Uh, it used to be. Uh, this was the. Oh, immunity killing blow and poison. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And it also FAQ to heroic killing blow as well. Yeah. So now it's just killing blow and heroic killing blow. So poison will still get you. Yeah. But you can take a rune to stop that. And if you're going to invest that much, you might as well take that rune to stop that. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise you're in trouble. Um, but that's it, pretty much, for the special rules in the armory. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't we take a quick break, and then we'll come back and hit the uh, the, the ancestral, ancestral heirlooms, heirlooms real quick. All right. Okay. okay. Cool. Wow. 
When King Belagar sent messages to Karaz Akarak requesting aid, he got more than he bargained for. The relief force was 10,000 strong, all male-clad dwarfs led by none other than High King Thorgrim Grudgebearer himself. Thus was the siege once again lifted from the citadel fortress of Karagate Peaks, and a new offensive launched to re-enter the main halls below. The High King commenced the attack by forcing passage through the Karagnar gates, while King Belagar drove out of the fortified citadel. The fighting was fierce, with axe and hammer pitted against stabbing spears and squig teeth. The fire of the dwarf's anger was hotter, however, and the presence of the High King turned the tide. The dwarves cleared the first two levels, their forces advancing towards the Great Hall. But Skarsnik, the leader of the Crooked Moon tribe, emptied his reserves, sending forth wave after wave of attackers. Amidst the forest of shattered pillars, the fighting raged for three blood-soaked days. Through sheer determination, the dwarves won the Great Hall, captured the Crooked Moon standard, and cast down the idol the Greenskin summoned to aid them. Yet the dwarves did not have the numbers to hold their gains. Although it grieved them, the dwarves burnt their dead behind them and forced marched back to their staging positions before the Greenskins could recover or the Skaven joined the fray. And we're back to talk about ancestral heirlooms. Now, this is weird because the dwarfs never had this before. I mean, this is basically a magic item list. Yep. Um, and there are some there are some raging debates on uh, various places on the internet whether you can even take these or whether or who can take them, some of them. Well, what are the debates? Why, why <laughs> so wouldn't you, you be go. able to take these? Uh, the Especially this, the, the standard, the last one. The way that it's worded is this is a magic standard, not a runic standard, mm-hmm. and it's the question about whether the battle standard can take it or whether a slayer unit standard in an army with ungrim iron fist can take it. It's obviously you can, but the, some people are reading the rules to say that you can't. Pretty frustrating. Okay, but it says the following are magic items available to dwarf armies. These items may be taken in addition to runic items as a character's points allow, but no further runes can be added to any of them. Mm-hmm. So it's it, it basically, I mean, they're calling them magic, <coughs> but you can take it with your runic points, and you can't add more runes to it. Mm-hmm. So they're basically, I mean, uh, but then, are, see, it talks about there's a difference between characters, and there's. I don't remember the exact place where the funky ruling was, but there was something somewhere. It seemed ridiculous to me, but everybody's well. They're, well everybody, but a they're handful all, of people are railing about it. No, they're all listed as magic. I mean, based on that logic, you can't take any of these things. Yeah, it may have just been the standard that the people were complaining about because of the way that the different way that it's worded about whether it's characters or not. And so whether units can take it, I don't remember. Hmm. Oh. Well, oh, there would only be that one unit that could take yeah. it, and that's only and the only unit would be a character. slayer if Ungram Iron Fist is the general. That's yeah. The only. Well, let's the assume only. that uh, you can take these. I think GW yeah. is intended for yeah. players to want to take them. Right. Right. Uh, so there's only six of them, and basically they're they're old runic items that are, you know, these are the things that Thorgrim Grudgebearer is going back and, like, finding, mm-hmm. you yeah. know? Um, 
yeah, basically that's probably what it is, is that it's the stuff that he grabbed in order to become the king. Right, right. Now, there's only six of them, and I don't know that there's any in here that I'd really necessarily take. Well, let's talk about them and see. We can evaluate how effective they might be. Well, the, the one standard that Mike just mentioned, the banner of lost holds, it's 100 points, which means only that you can only give it to a... Uh, your PSB. A PSB. Or, like you said, if you take Ungrim Iron Fist, the Slayer King, one of his special rules is that a unit of Slayers can take a magic banner up to 100 points. Or a runic standard up to 100 mm-hmm. points. It would actually be pretty sweet on some, on some Slayers, whether you're wounded on 4 plus and re rolling. That would be pretty awesome. Yeah, that would be pretty good. <laughs> yeah. That's also nine, nine Slayers. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Change. It's a lot of points for it. But. I think that's that'd be the way you have to do it. You can't put that on a PSB because your PSB is going to be left unequipped. Yeah. yeah. Well, th- that's the thing. With the BSB, if you give him a runic banner, then... He's down to three up and a parry. Right. Yeah. But he's toughness five with yeah. how many wounds? Oh, here we only have two, yeah. Two. Uh, still pretty thin. Well, here's yeah. the thing. If you take this... Oh, that's right. You can't add anything to it. Right. So, yeah, if you put this on a BSB, it doesn't make much sense. It's really this. This seems written basically just for the, for the Slayer unit, Slayer to take. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I might if yeah. I was writing a big Slayer army. I mean, that's a themey army right there. You're taking Hungrim sure. Iron Fist. My Garagrim Iron Fist model is useless now. How did he die, by the way? <laughs> oh, and he died in the last book, too. He was he got killed somewhere in the last book. Did he die in the old dwarf yeah, book? Yeah, yeah. And that was... Yeah, yeah. After the, was that after Storm of Chaos? Did he die then? No, that's it was where before his... Storm of Chaos. But he was, wasn't he in Storm of Chaos? He was part of the Slayer? I don't think so. I don't remember. I was annoyed. I got that model. All right, what else do they got here? Um... Oh, for 35 points, the Fiery Ring of Thori, uh, you can get a Strength 4 Breath Weapon Flaming Attacks. That's one I would consider taking. Uh, it's an enchanted item, so you can take it on top of Talismans, mm-hmm. which is what the other... Like, that's the only enchanted item in the book, other than the one right above it. So, it other than the 35 points, it doesn't take up any kind of slot of any sort at oh, all. Oh, it's not so. a Talisman, and it's not right. a... Yeah. Because oh. the only other sort of... The only... Like, that's the one slot that we don't have runes for, is enchanted items, so... So, yeah, because if you take one magic weapon, you can't make a runic weapon, because you can't take right. multiple weapons or the armor right. stuff. So oh. if it was a talisman, it would prevent you from taking any talismanic runes, but it doesn't, so... Oh, I never thought about that. Yeah, there's some build you can get a guy with two breath weapons if you want, so... Oh, that'd be cool. But I, I, I took it once, and the guy died before I got to use uh-huh. it, and so I haven't taken it since, so... Hmm. Huh. It's, it's not bad. I mean, nope. chances are you wouldn't be using the template version. You'd be doing the 2D6 version in combat, I'm guessing. Most of the time, I would yeah. think, yeah. So, so I don't know. Then it'd be a single-use. It's a single-use breath weapon, correct? I'm assuming yeah, it would so. Be, it, it would be nice, like, on a unit with a bunch of great weapons against trolls or something, because right. it would still Precisely. go at your initiative before you swing, yeah. so I don't know. I think that one could find some uses. So then we got the other enchanted item, the Silver Horn of Vengeance. Brr. 45 points, one, one use, use only. only. Start of your turn, you sound the horn. The wielder and any friendly units within six inches have devastating charge until the start of the next their next turn. 
charge is not bad, I guess. 45 points for devastating charge for one turn is a little steep. And what is that? Yeah. Devastating charge gives you what? Plus one attack right, on the charge? Right. Yeah. And it, it, yeah. it would only be the front rank, right? Front not supporting ranks. ranks. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a few extra attacks. Now, granted, if you're coming in with your hammerers, I mm-hmm. suppose you could put that on, and he's mm-hmm. flying in. You got a couple Move of longer. Seven wides. Like, that's an extra, you know, an extra seven of, attacks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So that's not bad. But then, okay. Additionally, once used, uh, the blower and any unit he joins causes fear in all models from the high elf, dark elf, and wood elf book. So, yeah, interesting. Some flavor, I guess. Yeah. Darn dirty elves, we're sick of them. So we sound the horn and you're afraid of us. If you were doing a more Vengeance-themed campaign, it would be fun to have. Yeah, true. There you go. Um, And then there's one piece of armor, the magnificent armor of Borek Beetlebrow. Uh, Two-up armor, three-up ward. It's a two-up armor save for 60 points. Um, if there is an attack against him of strength six or higher, he gets a three up ward. Not horrible. It's a little expensive. Well, plus it's got to be strength six or higher. If it was 50, uh, well, I guess even 60 you could take on, on, uh, heroes because they get up to 75. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I'd think about it. Yeah, maybe. But probably not. It's pretty expensive. Maybe in your PSB. If you can afford it, I don't know. Keep him alive. No, I'd rather get extra wounds and toughness on the BSB if mm. I'm spending points on him. Right, or else if you're going to run him thin, then you're going to run him with the. Yeah. I mean, he's already with a shield. He's got a three up armor, yeah, and a six up parry. Yeah, you know, and for 15 points, you can get him uh, at least a six up ward. So there's not much point. Hmm. I'm I'm taking a. Uh, Runic standard most of the time these days anyway, just because I, I need it to get the stubborns and vanguards where I need them. Right, right. And then but basically you wind up being forced to spend points on giving the BSB the four-up ward rune. Yes, That's which all, I so far always do. Yeah, only the BSB can take it. It gives him a four-up ward and the unit he's with. And, and a bubble. Any unit within six inches, a five-up ward against shooting and magic missiles. Hmm. So, which I always took that rune anyway. When it you know when it was fifty points and I would always take it anyway yeah. just for the by the bubble ward exactly. So then you got the red axe of Karak Eight Peaks. It's a fifty point magic weapon, <laughs> and you can reroll works against orcs in this game. Yeah, reroll to hit and to wound against orcs and goblins in Skaven. Additionally, also has the terror rule against orcs and goblins in Skaven. A fantastic bargain if you're playing against goblins or skaven, right? Yeah. And complete waste if, if you're, not. you're not. All you all you can do is hit <laughs> wraiths. <laughs> right. Talk about a hit or miss weapon. Jeez. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Well, and that that and the silver horn. You know, it's like if I'm, yeah. you know, if you know who you're right. playing, it might be a fun thing to take. Um, and then the last one <laughs> is the silliest of all: the hammer of Karakdrash. 65 points. Attacks are made at plus three initiative, and any enemy models that suffer one or more unsaved wounds have their own initiative reduced to one until the end of the close combat phase. Which, if they hit That's you, ridiculous. Which, if they attacked first... Means ha- they would take to me, would they get to go again? <laughs> no. No, it wouldn't mean that. If they had... If they had 
uh, initiative six, and they attack you, and you have initiative four, attack them back. Now initiative one comes along, do they get to hit you again? <laughs> wow. I don't think so. I don't but. think so. But yeah, this is you hit a plus three initiative, which is great if it, you know, well, you'd be giving this to, a to let's say, a lord. He's already you could initiative. purchase that for 15 points. Plus well, three initiative. that's true. Oh, jeez. Well, the Lord is initiative four, and a Thane is initiative three, so he'd jump up to seven and six. So for the most part, they'd get to strike first. Yeah. But then dropping you to initiative one, basically all that does is means... That, well, the, most of the dwarf army is initiative two. Mm-hmm. So this character gets to hit first. Right. Mm-hmm. And then if that... Well, it's just any model that suffers one or more unsaved wounds. Wait a minute. There's so it would no, have to be a no, character. There's no possible outcome where this initiative reduced to one could benefit you. There is. There's because one possible outcome. Because they've either already gone, in which case it doesn't matter. Right. Or they go after you. So who cares if they go after you at initiative three or at initiative one? Well, the only it thing I can think of is if you've got someone, let's say you've got uh, a really good character who's going to do a lot of damage. If I can wound him with this guy, take one wound on him. Then, if he goes down to initiative one, then all my initiative two rank and file, rank and oh, file, this. they can get shots in on him too. The slayers? Well, no, it wouldn't okay. be a slayer. Okay. Well, yeah, so the slayer it. can take a magic weapon. So if you put a dragon slayer with this in a unit of slayers and put him up against some monster with a higher initiative than slayers, but a lower initiative than the dragon slayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is all sorts of dumb. This is so situational. Are there other ways to increase the strength of characters that might have this weapon? Otherwise, they're all strength charge, four, right? For plus one. Yeah, charge. That's it. That's yeah. it. See that? And there's the one of the biggest problems with this army is it's very hard to get your guys up to really high strength attacks. Um, you, even your lords. I mean, your characters are strength four. That's a serious problem if you're pushing that dwarf offensive army build. Uh, it's one of the well, you, can get, you can get all sorts of strength six with gray weapons. So yeah, but then you're just the always hitting last. Right. And if you do, if you take great weapons with your characters, then yeah. they can't have runic weapons. And if you take runic weapons, you're either spending a bunch of your runic points to boost them up to strength five or six, and then give them five, something else. No six. Oh, that's right. You can't double it up. Mm-hmm. You used to be able to. You used to be able to to do this. They take the same rule multiple times. Yeah. Well, just this now, I think... It, well, we're not talking about runes. It doesn't give you an extra plus one. It gives you something else. You right. can take two or three. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you'd have to... Yeah. So, yeah, they're pretty... Uh, these are all really fluff choices, but that really... They're all pretty yeah. meh. I think you could probably fit the the uh, flaming... Or the uh, breath weapon ring yeah. into a hard list. The rest of them, I don't think you could. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'd be skipping it. I'll tell you right now. The breath weapon, too? Yeah. Uh, you know what? I've got gyrocopters with the flame templates. If I want to do that... Uh, ooh, are they flaming, though? I don't think oh, they're they not. Are. Oh, they might not be flaming. Well... I don't think they are. No, because it's, it's a steam gun, so it wouldn't yeah. be flaming. In fact, no, it's not. It's strength three... No, armor piercing, that's it. Strength three armor piercing. Blah, blah, blah. They get flaming on their brimstone gun, but I guess, I guess. But that's about that's about it. So you know what? Let's jump in and finish up. Let's talk about some, a couple of these special characters, though. Mm. Um, the the book 
it's doubled the special characters since the last book. Yeah, there's quite yep. a few. Um, gone up to six. Um, the number one being Thorgrim Grudgebearer. I and, love him. Uh, okay, he's become actually takeable at this point. This is a great... How many points is he? He's 650. Oof. He used to be 780. 650 yeah. is still pretty hefty. You got to play at least a 2600 point game to bring him into the mm-hmm. game. Yeah, but luckily you, we play 3000 around here. Oh, regularly? Long, so. But huh. okay, yeah. but UK, you can you Well, play, we play 2996, which is divisible by 4 and less than 3000. Oh, we play a lot of that. Well, okay, can I ask you a question? Mm. Why don't you just play 3000 and just say no grand armies? Uh it, just a custom that developed during one of our tournaments that uses 2996. I mean, I realize saying no grand armies is comp but it's, yeah. you know, I just, I guess that's just, I've seen people do that two nine 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 because we don't want to play. Oh, it, but see, two nine nine six divides evenly by four. Right. Well, well, sure, but either well, either way. <laughs> <laughs> but so uh, yeah, let's see. It's just a habit that we've fa- fallen into in the local community, which is pretty fun. And I'm not trying to jump your jump your thing here. I'm just saying, yeah. No, I know. Thor- we, I mean, we also say no no folding fortress, so we do that that much comp. Hmm. There's uh, no folding fortress. Yeah, Thorgrim used to be 780 points. Yeah. Which made it uh like th- you had to pay 30 almost 3200 points. Yeah. To even take him. I I took him once in a 9000 point game. Jeez. I took him once against Brad. He was bringing his uh Brad used to play this is back in 7th edition mm. and Brad used to play he just he was a special character person. He played VC and he always had Vlad and Manfred in his army. He like just always took special characters. So I said, well, play a big enough one so I could take one of my special characters. So we played a 3,200-point game. Yeah, Thorgrim Grudgebearer was just like, you just you point him at something and it died. Oh, it, unless it's Archeon. <laughs> well. <laughs> I had I had Thorgrim Grudgebearer in 70 Ironbreakers up against Archeon in 39 Chaos Knights. Oof. Oh. <laughs> oh, jeez. That's it took, it took four. It took four, four or five rounds of combat for Archeon to take him down. Jeez. He was, re- he was ch- chopping through armor, so all I had was a ward save and minus one to hit coming back, so I was only hitting on fives. Yeah. <laughs> now, Thorgrim's great. I mean, he's got a weapon skill of seven. He's still strength four. Toughness five, though he's got seven wounds because he's the lord plus the four, mm-hmm. the four hammers. They each get an attack, so there's eight attacks coming from this thing. He's got uh, basically a one-up armor save, a four-up ward save. Um, and so he against killing blow and stuff. If the attack has killing blow, he has a two plus ward. So it's not like he gets to avoid being killed on a two plus save. If you have killing blow, he has a two plus ward against your attack. Yeah, which so is that's just, a different way of handling it. And that's a, that's kind of awesome because basically yeah, so, these units yeah, full of killing up blow. Against, uh, if he goes up against Graveguard. He's got a two-up ward against all their attacks, not just the ones that hit a killing blow. Right. Oh, I see. Um, because of the throne, his inspiring presence is 18 inches, uh, but he does not get a lookout, sir, if he's in a unit. You can't miss him. He's the guy on the throne. If he is outside a unit but within three inches, does he get that lesser four-plus ward right, lookout, sir? It says if he joins a unit, he yeah. does not get lookout, sir. Yeah, so, so I he, would he does, yeah. yeah. So he's stubborn all by himself, so you can yep. stick him outside a unit all by himself. Oh, is he stubborn? He used to be stubborn. Yeah, the crown gives him stubborn. Okay. Yeah, the, yeah. so now his magic item has changed a little bit. 
I forget what the old one exactly did. Hold on, I'm looking right now. He used to have, oh, it was always wounds on a 2-plus, I think. Oh, got to flip to runes to check what all those runes do. Oh, I know the... Skull Black Hammer was always, oh, it raises your strength to wound on a 2. So it would raise your strength to to wound on a 2. So he still has the wound on a 2, but it doesn't help for armor saves anymore. Right, and that's one of the big differences is they they, they got rid of that, so... The Mad was no armor save... He wound, yeah, uh, he used to wound on a 2-plus with no armor save. And now he wounds on a 2-plus, but full armor save. Yeah. And or 3-plus if they have magic armor, yeah. It was D3 wounds or D6 if it's a troll or a giant. Because some reason, trolls and giants. Yeah. But so now he's got... Uh, now it's even worse. It used to be D3 wounds, or, but uh, with, the, with for that... For anyone, yeah. For anyone, and then D6 if it was a troll or a giant. Now... Uh, he wounds on a two plus, regardless of toughness. If you have magic armor, he wounds on a three plus, <coughs> and then he gets d six wounds against giants and chaos giants. And now you know why Grimnir left it behind when he went to the chaos portal. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, because it's not even trolls anymore. It would be nice to get d six wounds against trolls. You want to bring your uh, Throglist. Yeah. Throglist. I'll take. I'll. I'll step against that. But nope. Um. Oh, he's got, I'm sorry. He's got a two plus armor save, not of one plus. So he's got a two plus four plus. Mm-hmm. And then uh, any against attacks with killing blow, heroic killing blow, or multiple wounds, he gets a two abort save. That's awesome. That is pretty good. And then uh, he's immune to psychology and stubborn. But the new addition is the coolest. He the, the book of grudges. grudges is actually listed here. And this is a cool rule. Uh, basically, that roll you do in the beginning of the game, he gets a plus three. So if you roll a oh, one... That's similar to what it was before, though. It used to just give him hatred and his unit well, would be given hatred against all enemies. Yeah, and it, now it effectively does almost that. Mm-hmm. Well, but now it's basically it gives a plus three to that roll. So if you roll a one, it's still just your characters get hatred. But yeah. basically on a two plus... Your whole army gets hatred on that roll in the beginning. And if the roll gets seven or more, him and his unit get it for every round of combat. Eternal hatred. Yeah. So that's, if, that's really good. If you roll a four plus on that opening roll, the unit he's... This is a cool character. And he, he is. He's expensive, but he's the king of all their kings. Right. Yep. On the throne of power. It's a really cool... It's a really cool character. I like him. And like I said, dropping him 130 points... Um, yeah. His defenses are really good. They're not perfect, but they're good. His magic weapon got a little worse, mm-hmm. but on the whole, he's a pretty darn he's a pretty darn great character. Yeah, I've got one about fifteen percent painted. If it was finished, I would be using it. I think if just you, to try it out. If you did use him, would you put him outside of a unit or in a unit? Or he's got a three up armor, four up ward. I don't know that I necessarily need a lookout, sir. I'm probably throwing him in with with a unit. Yeah, I think so. Hmm. Probably, probably hammers. Yeah, make that the unit that nobody wants to get. Oh, make they're th- already stubborn though. Maybe put him in iron breakers and free up their uh, standard to do something else. No, oh, there you go. Making iron breaker and stubborn that wouldn't be bad. Yeah, but he's cool. Um, hmm. Who's next? Ungrim Iron Fist. This, also cool. This is a really, this is a cool one. Um, this guy's clocking in at three hundred and fifty points. 
so much more affordable. Dude, he's weapon skill nine. So he's yeah, got a few better characters are that high. Ballistic skill four, strength four, toughness six. So he's tougher than Thorgrim Grudgebear. He only has three wounds. He's initiative five. Yeah, well, he's a slayer. Pretty okay, good. Yeah. So he comes in. Now the great thing is he's a lord character. So he's got demon slayer, dragon slayer, all the cool rules. That, that you that guys will get to on the next uh, mm. show. Well, yeah. basically, what he's got uh, just uh, that dragon and demon slayer rules. Reroll just... successful ward saves, multiple wounds D three. Yeah, so he yeah multiple wounds D three on his attack. Any ward saves successfully made against attacks by the slayer must be rerolled. So he basically comes with a built in other trickster shard. Mm-hmm. And, and he... whatever D three wounds the yeah. yeah right. And he's at strength six with his magic axe. Yes. So. Um, now he can he he can he's he's the only sl- he's a slayer so he can only be in units of slayers, but he can be the general. Unlike hmm. the, he basically has all the slayer rules. Um, and then if he's using a single slayer unit, may take a runic standard with up to a hundred points. That's where that standard comes in. And that's where they say it's a runic standard. They say that's a magic standard. So then people, I didn't even yeah. know this was a fight on the internet. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, kind of sad. Um, his magic weapon makes him strength six with killing blow. With forcing people to reroll ward saves, that's pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, he's got a four up ward, which improves to two up against. Uh, Flaming attacks. So that's two characters in a row that come with ward saves. That's been a problem with special characters in the past in other books, hey? Yep. And the magic armor adds plus one to his armor save, as well as making him toughness six. Toughness so six. So he has Gromroll. Does he have a shield? No. So he's a three plus armor, four plus ward, mm-hmm. toughness six. Yeah. Pretty beefy. Yeah, he's a great character. If you want to run a Slayer army, this is this is the guy you bring in there as their general because he's because if you're taking a, a a hugely Slayer army, you're running it forward and trying to get into fights, and this is one of the guys you're going with. I thought and the Slayers... nice thing is that if you don't want to take a Slayer army and just have a unit of Slayers, you could take him, and you could still have a Thane be your general if you didn't want him to be the general because they're leadership ten also. Oh, that's true. Mm-hmm. What did you so, think? Now? That's nice. I thought uh, Slayers typically didn't wear armor. But he's the king. So he's This was back in the fluff. They talked about when the first Slayer King happened at the at the Karak. Yeah. (coughs) The story basically was that uh, one of his ancestors had something go wrong bad enough that he wanted to take the Slayer oath, Mm -hmm. but his obligation to his kingdom conflicted with that, so he was sort of half Slayer, half King. He's like a hybrid. Okay. And that's yeah. when that's when they he that's when he set up the whole shrine to Grimnir there. Right. And they would go and the, so that's where all the slayers come here. I see. Do you guys uh see yourselves running an all slayer army? No. Ever? Oh, I would okay, do well, it for fun. They, you don't get to pop them into core anyway, so the best you can do is fill your special. Hmm. Um which I could do. I haven't actually used any slayers yet in the new book, so I've got about 50 I could take a lot. Yeah, I've got uh, I've got I could do 30 painted today and I've got another probably 30 or 40 waiting. That's a that's another fluffy one. That's one that yeah. you're going to have a lot of death really fast. True. But uh but it uh, would look cool. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. 
go out with a bang anyway right. with uh, all the Slayer stuff that uh, is changed. So then we come to our old friend Thorek Ironbrow. And I think all of those compacts that have said you cannot take Thorek Ironbrow have a big red line through that yeah. now. Replaced by all everybody who doesn't play Dwarf saying, please take Thorek Ironbrow. <laughs> uh, he went down about 70 points. He got cheaper. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Well, here's part of it is... Um, Runesmiths don't no longer. Runesmiths and Rune Lords no longer generate automatic dispel dice or power dice. They have to roll for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the well, the anvil will. So he'll still generate one of each. Yeah, every turn. But the anvil can. Uh, he still got uh, Craggy, his assistant. Doesn't give an extra wound anymore, though. Nope. Um, basically, if on us, and it's. Because the anvil doesn't work the same, it's not rolling on to do the thing. It's a, it's a bound spell, Ugh. so Craggy's a little less important. Basically, um, if you fail to cast a bound spell on a failed attempt to cast, now does that mean a failed attempt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't so meet if, you, if I actually yeah. fail, you can reroll one. Of the I can reroll one dice. If the rerolls a one, Craggy did something wrong, and Thoric takes a strength ten hit, and then you remove Craggy. He's his assistant, so he screwed something up. Yeah. Um, he does get a plus one on to cast the bound spells on the Anvil of Doom. Yeah, so it means you can get the, you could risk going down to one die on some of these runes because they're power level three, four, five. So if you have plus one, you know, and you and you roll that one or two that auto fails, mm-hmm. you can re-roll it. And it might still fail, but as long as you don't roll yeah. a one, it's fine. Right. Yeah. Um. You don't get any armor saves against his magic weapon. Which is the same as before. Yeah. Um, and I think even the, the destruction part is the same as yeah. before. If the anyone who takes one or more unsaved wounds, their yeah. magic armor, helmets, and shield are all destroyed and cannot be yep. used for the remainder of the game. Yeah. It used to have also plus one attack, but I don't think he has that anymore. Now, nope. if they're destroyed, does that mean that he's got no armor save? That's because another it, thing people argue about on the internet. Because it doesn't. No. Well, because it doesn't say it. It, 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 it loses. Its it does become properties. a mundane item. Yeah, it's the same. That. It's the same. I think it's the same as with what he called Vols on making targeting someone's unit standard. Right. Do they have not have a unit standard anymore, or is it just a non-magical unit standard? It's the same question. I think you probably. Uh, it's just destroyed and cannot be used. That's pretty strong language. The, the difference is it's uh, the the magic banner in that case is uh, it's a it's an upgrade. Yeah. So if you destroy the upgrade, it reverts back to the standard option. Right. I it. think that's what we agreed with. Right. Oh, right. Because the old version of of Thoric would destroy any armor they were wearing, magical or not. Mm-hmm. So that one is much more clear. Is that if you're just able to destroy non magical armor as well. Obviously, you don't get the armor save for it. It's a little bit less clear here, but... Mm-hmm. I still think you don't get to use it, because it's mm-hmm. not like you're walking... Like, they always say if they destroy your magic weapon, you can go back to your, your hand, hand weapon. Hand weapon, because right. everybody has unlimited hand weapons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Right, but you don't break... You know, you don't bring a second suit of armor. Or a second yeah. shield. Yeah. Right. So... And he gets a plus one armor save. you know, Which th- they fix, actually, because the old one, it used to use up your Master Rune of Gromro. Oh, and that's this right. time it doesn't, so you can still have another guy take the Master Rune of Gromwell. So that's a nice thing. And 
throwing a bone, I guess. Mm. Well, it's just like I said, the the they toned down the anvils now to the point where most people don't want to use them. And we're, I guess we're going to talk about that next episode, right. but you know, I'm not even that mad that you lost the movement spell on the anvil. I just cuz I never really took it anyway. It's I just I always took it every time. Yeah. <laughs> I used that. I I probably used that movement spell like four turns every game. Wow, or five. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. So, so anyway, I've I've learned to adjust. <laughs> but he's he's really he's another character that's gone. He's really gone from the he's almost in every army to he's a real oh, fluff yeah, choice. Oh yeah, I mean the anvil in general. I don't mean just Thoric. I, right. I only ever took Thoric one time, but. Well, he was really. I mean, he was really great because he made it so much better. I mean, before he was cat, he was you know hitting everything on pretty much a two plus, with uh, with unlimited rerolls until the they first FAQ'd it or errated it. Right, he could reroll every time with Craggy. Yeah, and then they made it just one reroll only. Right. Um, it's yeah. Now the plus one bonus. He's just. It's not all. It, he he's he's a he's a a mediocre. He's got a mediocre major weapon. This anvil. Mm-hmm. And so you're giving a, a really cool character, but he's a cool upgrade to a pretty, you know, not so awesome yeah. weapon. Yeah. So, and he doesn't have any dispel runes on him either, so you mm-hmm. still have to take more runes if you want to scroll. Oh, that's true. Which was the problem with him before too. I, I I wrote lots of long diatribes all over the internet about how Thoric was terrible, even last book, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, nobody believed me. Uh, all right, so we got one lord and two more, two two here. So let's finish the last lord and get this going here. Okay. Uh, Belagar Ironhammer, three hundred and five points. This is a cool character. I like him. He's a really cool character. Weapon skill eight, toughness five, three wounds, four attacks, leadership ten. Once per game at the start of any close combat phase, he can harness the power of his ancestors. For the remainder of the turn, he doubles his attacks. Oh, you skipped over the other thing though, is that he comes with stubborn built in. Which is oh, that's right. Oh, yeah, that is pretty good. Yeah. Stubborn built-in is fantastic. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And he's actually listed as the true king of the Eight Peaks. This is the guy who's going, like you said. Oh, yeah. you set up camp outside the... Uh, he's on the, the surface part. The surface no, this, part, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they've taken that back, and they're slowly working it back. And like I said, he was, I mean, that book Thorgrim that they came out with right when the army book came out was Thorgrim helping Belagar, and you see a lot of what he's doing. Um, He's an angry dwarf. He's a very angry dwarf. He he looks it. Yes. And his stats I think really uh speak to that. I mean to double yeah, your attacks for one turn. Nice. Yeah. Two weapons skill eight. Oh, by the way, ASF and a plus one bonus to wound. Yep. Hmm. So it's still only strength four. Yeah. You know, you might have a runesmith as his unit for armor piercing, but and you know, it's gonna have trouble with armor, which is kind of a theme of the book. Right. And uh, his shield gives him a four-up ward and immunity to killing blow and heroic killing blow. It's another one with a four-up ward save. That's pretty good. Treating wounding hits that would automatically slay him as a normal wound. So, boom. So it's a second way of dealing with killing blow mm-hmm. is that it just negates killing blow. Because I think the rune that characters can get gives them a two-plus. Two-plus ward. To do this. No, it's not even two-plus ward. It's on a two-plus, the killing blow becomes normal. Mm. Oh, that's right. Right, so I think that's the third way to deal with them. It's kind of weird that they did it three different ways. Yeah, they have a lot of anti-killing blow type mechanics for their characters. Yeah, like three different ones. It's kind uh, of funny. And there's a good reason why the entire army is infantry. Yeah. Hmm. Well, you there's, think they could have picked one way 
of of protecting against killing blow and used the same way all three it, times. Yeah, yeah the fact but that there's so many. Well, it's kind of interesting because there's different runes and different armors and different ways that these things happen. Remember, because the dwarves won't have all the same types of thing on the field. Yeah. All right, you know what? Let's take our last break. Come back, hit the two heroes, and then wrap up the show. Sounds good. Good. guys if you're the type of person who would rather have oral surgery than put a brush to a model then let me suggest guild painting services they're a professional painting service that pride themselves on having customer interaction like going to a local commission painter but having the quality and speed of a large studio they build paint and convert miniatures for all game systems they're competitively priced and if you want to talk quality go to guildpainting.com and check out the quality of the miniatures that they've got on display if you're a person who likes to have a beautifully painted army on the table but doesn't have either the time, desire, or ability to bring it to that standard, you can trust your models to the guys at Guild Painting Services at guildpainting.com. You'll be glad you checked them out. Chaos Orc Superstore. Chaos Orc Superstore. That's right, folks. Chaos Orc Superstore. Your one-stop shop for all your hobby gaming needs. They've not only got current and classic GW releases, Chess X Dice, and Vallejo Paints, but now they're also carrying Mantic, Infinity, Flames of War, Privateer Press, Soda Pop, Dark Age, and other assorted board and miniature-based games. They usually ship within 24 hours, and the model in the picture is the model they ship to you, because at Chaos Orc Superstore, what you see is what you get. Chaos Orc Superstore. Okay, we are back for the final segment. The two heroes. Special characters. Uh, Grim Burlickson. Son Upstart, of, Upstart. <laughs> Son of Burlock Damonson. Um, this guy's great. I think yes. he's the best special character, to be honest. He's the best of the new ones, at the very least. He might be the best one. At least in the points range, because he's... Plus, he's a hero, so you could take another one. He's... 165 points. In fact, him and Bugman are both 165. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, yeah, he's got some great I think for what stats. he does, that's a bargain. Oh, yeah. But, so uh, Yeah, run through a stat line real quick. Uh, he's got Ancestral Grudge. He's got Entrenchment, which is a... Engineer rule. An engineer rule. Um, up to one unit with the troop type of war machine can be entrenched for each master engineer. An entrenched war machine is treated as being in hard cover when shot at, and any charging models suffer minus one to hit in close combat. Ooh, that's it can pretty be, good. It can be pivoted to fire, but if it moves in any other way, the entrenchment is lost. If it's destroyed, the entrench- entrenchment is destroyed as well. Mm. You can only entrench once. Yeah, that's pretty nice. So similar to what it was it had before. Something similar before. 
so that's a that's a you know that's a great rule right there. He's still got relentless, resolute, all that stuff. Uh, he's got stand back, sir, which is another engineer rule because engineers can't join the war machine units they're with, and you yeah. keep them around him. So models with stand back, sir, that are within three inches of a war machine are allowed to take a lookout, sir, role just as if you were within three in- inches of a unit of five or more models of the same troop type. So basically, so that's the lesser for a. Lookout, sir. Right, yeah. But it's not lookout, sir. It's stand back. Get behind the machine, sir. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. We just talked about uh, dwarf lords and they're having trouble with armor being strength four. This guy's strength six. Yep. Right on the stand line. Because of his, uh, uh, what do you call it? Steam powered gauntlet. Yeah. Yeah. Because his, his father had, was the one with like the robot arm. Yeah. He'd actually lost an arm and replaced it with a steam powered one. He's got his own arm. He's just got an exoskeleton arm hmm. on top. That's that thing that looks like a standard behind him. You see the yeah. smoke coming out of it? It's yeah. powering his arm. Yeah. Oh, is he's, that what it is? He's bur- okay. he's, yeah, he's burning energy there to power up his uh, steam-powered arm. <laughs> now, okay, so he's got this weapon called the Grudge Raker, which is great. It's, it's only an 18-inch range on its gun. Armor-piercing, dwarf-crafted, multiple shots, 2D3. <laughs> it's odd. <laughs> Yeah. And he's also got ballistic skill five, which is pretty hard to come by. For yeah, course. yeah, totally. Yeah, it's a strength four armor piercing, so I could shoot. But so multiple shots, basically, it's a plus plus one, right? To plus one to or hit, minus one, or minus, minus one, one to hit, yep. anywhere so from two to six shots yeah. fired. So he hits on twos normally, threes with a multiple shot, mm-hmm. four at long range. Yeah, pretty decent strength four armor piercing. It's not bad, but a nice mm-hmm. six shots isn't bad. Uh, and then he's got his axe, which is uh, he's he's strength six, so he's got that strength, mm-hmm. ar- strength six armor piercing with his weapon, and it's got a r- rule called weapon snapper. And if you actually look at the weapon, it's got a cog in it in the axe, mm-hmm. and it's powered. So basically, when he hits with this, not wounds, just hits, just hits. Roll a d six, and on a five up. The weapon, uh, if it's a magic weapon, it's destroyed and cannot be used further in the game. So if you've got a magic weapon against him and he hits you, so... On a five-up, he destroys it. Pretty good. And, you know, it sounds great, but once again, how many rounds of combat is he going to be in? And if he hits, then he's got to roll a five-plus to break your magic weapon if you have one. But I'm telling you what, that's one of those things where when it happens, you're like, oh, man. Tell stories about that. Yep. Well, with his abilities and what he does, if he if if he's in combat, then yeah, you've done something wrong. Yeah, Possibly, well, I mean, yeah. I'm I'm sticking this guy in Iron Drakes, but uh, <laughs> yeah, because because of one of the runes we rules we still haven't covered. Yeah, now he's got a he's got a bunch of stuff here. He's got the Master of Accuracy. Uh, as long as he's not fleeing, at the start of each friendly shooting phase, roll a d6 on a two plus. He can give one of these rules to a single friendly unit within three inches for the duration of the shooting phase. So slightly less reliable than a normal engineer who can just automatically do his one thing. Mm-hmm. But he's got but he's three got cool three things. He's got three things to choose from. So he can choose. But he, yeah. Yeah, on a one, and on a one, there's no penalty. He just can't give it. So he's got yeah. three things here. Artillery the first adjustment. One is, yeah, that's just the regular engineer one. A war machine can use his ballistic skill and reroll one artillery dice. It can be the dice determines the distance a cannonball bounces, or a flame cannon's burst of flame. Yeah, that's, so that's rules. the same as the artillery master rule for normal engineers. Yeah, 
And so he can give BS5 to that organ gun, yeah. which can also have a plus one to hit rune on it. So you could be Oof. hitting on, well, ones before chaotic range nice. with an organ gun. Oh, that's right. Because if you get the if you get something that does that, it can you can yeah. hit on a on a yeah. So you could be hitting on twos right up to thirty inches right. if he was standing babysitting an organ gun. Ooh, that's juicy. Yeah. Um, the other cool ones, uh, units of dwarf crossbows or dwarf handguns increase their maximum range by 2d6 inches. Yeah, that's so, pretty good. It's, I mean, it's, I could see it it's being situational. Useful. It's probably not going to come in too often, but it's one of those things that's fun. It could make the difference between short and long range as well, sure. yeah, in absolutely. addition to just maximum range. So, The last one's the, the killer, though, superior yeah. volley. Models in the unit can reroll any missed to hit rolls. So that's why he's sitting in Iron Drakes, who usually need fives to hit. Mm. All of a sudden, re-rolling all that misses makes a lot more fives. Yeah. Yeah, so if you take a huge unit of them, and I've, I've watched them do some devastating attacks. I took yeah, a big I've still unit never of, taken more than 12. I would love to get a, grab another box of them and get another pile I, of them. I played against Grant and his lizard men, and he had that Saurus Cav bus coming at me with four mm-hmm. characters. Mm-hmm. And I had... um. I had them uh, vanguard. They moved up. They shot at him, took out three or four. I had 25 mm-hmm. of them. Oh, nice. They took out three or four of the Saurus calves. Then they charged. The Rune of Slowness stopped them. <laughs> and I stood and shot, so I got them there. And then uh, second turn, I shot again. Second turn, yep. his charge worked, but I still stayed, stood and shot. Yep. I killed the whole unit except for the characters and I kill I put a wound on one of those one of those yeah. swords. Yeah, they they can be brutal and if I was hitting yeah on that reroll. Yeah. Yeah, the only problem at that point is he had some nice punch in combat, but he's only got that four up armor from the uh well, I assume that he has Grommel armor, everybody else does. Yeah, any lord or, or character would have that. Yeah, he's got yeah. Grommel armor. Yeah, so that's all he's got is that four up so uh, he'd be pretty easy to take out. Yeah, which is why you don't want to necessarily put him in the unit if you can, if you don't have to. He also has a brace of pistols. <laughs> Ooh. No, that can change the distance that you stand and shoot at. Mm, yep. Oh, oh that's but right. twelve doesn't make it. Twelve doesn't matter. I I was thinking of six for pistols, but it's twelve, so it doesn't help really. It gives him an extra. Oh, we can't use it though, because he has. He has. Uh, is Grudge Raker a magical weapon? No, no it's just nope. a it's just a gun. He can oh, so you could choose. Them. So he could choose not to use Weapon Snapper or Grudge Raker and could use his Brace of Dwarf Pistols for an extra attack, still at Strength 6. So mm, he could have yeah. three Strength 6 attacks. Not bad. A little insurance if, you're, if you yeah. get charged, if you buy the War Machines. Uh, well, he, well, the... Oh, the cog axe. Oh, I don't well, know. Oh, cog axe. That's one that I mean. Right. I don't think it's magical. No, no, it would say. So it just would be the same as somebody. But who I was had. thinking, if you stood and shot with those, if you've got him in a unit uh, of something that that twelve inches, you'd if he was in a unit of of uh, crossbows or uh, handguns, that would put they them would be able to range. shoot it close if yeah. he used his pistols to stand and shoot with. Yeah, well, but you're not putting him in with those units. You're putting no. him in with something else, probably. No, I oh. guess that's just a fluff thing that they threw that in more or less. Yeah. Okay, and last character, and we're going to wrap this up, is Joseph Bugman, one of the more famous of our mm. dwarf characters. Um, I'm going to take him less than I used to. How come? 
I used to take him back when Thanes were leadership nine. He was still leadership ten. He was the cheapest leadership ten in the book. Oh, that's true. So I would take him for a cheap leadership ten general hmm. all the time. Okay. I pretty much never took a fighty lord, but I almost always had Bugman. Oh, see, we didn't play any special characters, and I always had a lord on shield bearers. Yeah. So if you if you took Bugman in the old book, you'd get a second unit of longbeards in your core. So uh, you could have two units of longbeard rangers if you had Bugman. Right. Well, now and Bugman can make the rangers into Bugman's rangers, which is basically longbeard rangers. Only out of rare instead of core. Right. Well, but, but if you're taking rangers, Bugman's increased the weapon skill and ballistic skill and all that stuff, puts them into a better category. But then they're still going up in cost, too. Yeah. And there's still a ranger. Rare. Like, uh, ranger, rangers are 14. Rangers so are 14, so they're 17 points. Ouch. Yeah. yeah. Now, uh, it, I mean, it does turn them from weapon skill 4, ballistic skill 3, strength 3, to weapon skill 5, strength 4, you know. Yeah. Sure, BS4. That's 17 points. That's a hefty price tag. Yeah. Right. No, it's, it's it's brutal. Yeah. Um, and then, as long as he's alive, roll 2d6 at the start of every friendly turn and look at the... So basically, you roll a 2d6 at the start of every turn, and this is what that what that unit gets till the start of the next turn. If you roll a 2, you gain flammable <laughs> until the start <laughs> of your next turn. Roll. That's bad alcohol going to burn. A 3 to 9, you gain stubborn. And on a 10 to 12, you gain plus one toughness till the start of the next turn. Bad brew, belligerent, and leathered. <laughs> pretty good. I mean, plus one toughness. You, 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 if the alcohol's that strong, you just don't feel the wounds. <laughs> I ain't got time to but bleed. To be able to get stubborn or the plus one toughness. I mean, you have to roll snake eyes to get the flammable. But otherwise, it's all the yeah, results are great. Yeah, as long as you don't roll a two, right? It's it is it is good. Yeah, I could see shooting for a, shooting for stubborn and getting a ten and having that not be good though. Yeah. Yeah. True. Um, yeah. Bugman and any unit that he's in are immune to fear and terror. Nice Not enough. immune to psychology, just immune nope. to fear and terror. Nope. Not immune to panic, which Longbeards are. Mm-hmm. Right. So he, they used to have that. Yeah, that's true. Um, his magic weapon, old, trustworthy, armor piercing, and adds plus one to his attacks and plus one to his strength, which is already in there, which is why he's strength five with four attacks. Yep. So the armor piercing is new for him, but otherwise he had that before. And then uh, Bugman's Tankard. And this one, I like this. I've always liked this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bugman or a single model in the same unit can drink from his Tankard at the start of any friendly turn. They immediately recover D3 wounds. So if you wanted to put Bugman into a unit with, say, uh, Dwarf Lord on Shield Bearers. Mm-hmm. Who has six or seven wounds. He starts <laughs> off with five wounds, and then you give him a plus one wound and plus one toughness, which I've done. Oh, jeez. So he's a six wound, toughness seven. Yep. Lord, who's yeah. getting D3 wounds back at the start of every friendly turn. Yep, yeah, used to be only one, now it's D3, so that's nice. Yeah, so that's that's pretty cool. For 165 points, he's not bad, although you're not going to put him with Rangers because they're so expensive, I don't see people yeah. taking as many Rangers. Hmm. Yeah, no, I've heard about people doing huge a huge block, but at that point, you got no Iron Drakes, you got no Flame Cannons, you got no Oregon Guns. Yeah. I, I I like the concept because basically the Rangers I mean, the Rangers would have been fourteen points before because you had uh, to upgrade them to the long. longbeard ones yeah 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 but they were out of core 
They were out of core, yeah. So at that but, point, the, the cost almost doesn't matter when they're out of core. But you had to pay for every little thing you got. So mm-hmm. they could wind up costing even more than 14 points. Now they've got a hand weapon, great weapon. I think weapon. they were 15 with the hand weapon, if I remember correctly. The Longbeard Ranger with the hand weapon, I think, was 15. Oh, but uh, then you also have, don't forget, now they have throwing axes and crossbows. Mm-hmm. So these wouldn't have been the Longbeard Rangers. These are no, the, they wouldn't have had crossbows. Then. Right. So these were the Rangers, because you, you could make Rangers Boiler out of Quarlers, which yeah. is why their stats are all basic and not Longbeard stats. Yeah. But so they've got throwing axes, crossbows, so... You can still move and shoot because you can move and throw your axes if you want. You've got mm-hmm. the crossbows. They've yeah. still got the ancestral grudge, the relentless, the resolute, and their scouts. Yeah, no, I got things to say about scouts or rangers, but we're not talking about rangers today, I guess. <laughs> so I won't I won't delve too deeply into it. You're not a fan. I mean, no, I like them, but oh. just not this, not at all the way I used them before. I used to take a block of forty. <laughs> Oh, that's right, nice. you did. Because I had a big and block of twenty. Now I only take, five, take them in fives. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, because that's really crazy expensive. Yeah, but that's uh, that's it for special characters, and I think that's it for today, boys and girls. Mm-hmm. <coughs> that was a lot that we covered there. Yeah, we hefted through the book. Um, Basically, anything that's not a basic army list entry we've hit, which is pretty good. That in runes, which we'll get to next mm. next uh, next time. So, uh, Mike, you're liking mm. this book, huh? Yes, I am a big fan. Big fan, huh? Better than the yeah, last I'm a big book. Fan. I liked the last book a lot, but I think I like this one more. Where are you, David? I like it. I, I think I do like it more. I think that there's... It's quite a shift from just a couple of weeks ago where you were pretty down on it. Uh, you still... It's It's got a lot of flaws. <laughs> it's okay? got a lot of flaws. Okay. It's got a lot of flaws. Uh, basically, the biggest flaws are um, you can't get a big tank lord like you used to be able to, right. and a lot of armies can get that sort of unkillable lord, Yeah. and you used to be able to have that. Immune to immune to poison, immune to killing blow, one up, four up. You know, you could basically put the whole rerollable. That's yeah, a right, word that's right. missing for armor. One up rerollable, and you could put all that in him, and just basically, you know, he's going to be a tank. Um, now you're really hard pressed to get a guy who can do that and still divvy out some damage. Do you think the uh, so lords aside? Do you think the units have improved or are the same or gotten worse? Oh, the units have definitely improved. Enough to cover the difference in how the lords have changed? Because I think the strength lies in the infantry units. Yeah. It's... You know, part of it is we got a new book and you got some of these rules changes and we didn't get a lot of new sort of units. And I guess people were sort of expecting them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Iron Drake's filled that hole for me. I, I, I enjoyed building and painting the models and I enjoy what they do on the table so they really they they scratched at least part of the I want new toys itch for me yeah but even then I think and I mean this has nothing to do with the army overall it's just you got a gyro bomber which is a variation on a gyrocopter and you got an iron drake which is a variation on the iron breakers and that's kind of where it went Um, and then they gave you all these cool new characters to use so it seems like they want to play character heavy but that doesn't work that way and um I think the I think one of the things is when they designed this, you have an all infantry army. 
So you have nothing in this army that is going to protect or save you from getting stomped, thunder stomped. There's a lot of damage being divvied out here. Well, you you have to shoot it before it has a chance to do that. Yeah, and that's basically what it comes down to. Um, I don't know. I mean, shoot I, I, it, or I suppose you could divert it with copters. Sure. Like you said, I still, or, or rangers, but you know, right? They're expensive. I still, I think the book's better, and it's, it's. I think it's, I think it's going to be more fun to play because it's, it's, it does have a little bit bigger range now. You can, mm-hmm. you can yeah. sort of move forward. It's, it's the the need to castle up in a corner and have a big gun line. I don't think is there. You could still be competitive without taking that list. Yeah. Yeah, I, one of the things that my opponents have, have mentioned is that that 12-inch Vanguard really changes the f- multiple 12-inch Vanguards changes the flavor a lot. Oh yeah, of the way games are working. Yeah, so I think it's better overall. I just think there were so many, so many things that 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 they just don't do anymore. It's, it's very different. I. I Getting in that really high strength damaging attacks without basically your hammerers or a bunch yep. of long beards becomes really difficult. It's hard. It's, it's stuff with really high, really good armor saves. Right. I mean, uh, I mean, without the hammerers, it's pretty hard. I mean, a big unit with heavy armor save, a cannon's only going to go through the ranks. A yeah, well, I'm, I'm finding go. that I'm finding the runesmiths are almost more important for. Armor piercing in big blocks than they are for magic defense now. Like, hmm. I almost think find a, a, a seventy, what is it, seventy three point tax where it's a rune smith plus a shield plus a rune of stone. Yep. Into any block, there you go. Armor piercing. Like, yeah. I'm thinking yeah, about. Bad. I'm thinking about sticking a third one in most of my lists at twenty five hundred or so, just to get one more unit with armor piercing. Yeah. Because hmm. it, it's a big difficulty is getting through armor. So that's yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I really do. I do like the book. It just at first, I guess I saw a lot of the negatives more quickly than I saw some of the positives. Yeah, like so. for me, I knew I was I, the big thing that I knew was going to affect me directly was charging in the shooting phase with the anvil. I knew that that was going to go away, I, and I basically have known pretty much since the first since the vampire book came out, and they took that away from them. I knew that it was coming, so I had been prepared for that for a couple of years. So when that happened, I wasn't too upset because I knew it was coming, and everything else was fine for me. Yeah. So. Okay. <coughs> yeah, I guess for me, just watching your ability to, A, negate the magic phase, your ability to send in characters against the giant monsters and know that you got something to handle it. Right. Uh, coupled with then losing the you know the some of the abilities of the anvil, yeah, I just saw all those first, so yeah, I was very uh, unhappy with it. But actually, of all people, um, I was sitting here doing some painting, skyping with Rotor, and he's asking me about the dwarf. He's like, "So overall, you're saying it's gotten bad, but all these things you're telling me are pretty darn good." Sounds <laughs> good. I'm like, so he he. He's sitting there. He basically gave me the, I don't want to hear it. I'm playing Lizard Man. Don't tell me about how your book got worse after you gave me this litany of things that are cool with your army. So, yeah. We didn't get the Lizard Man treatment. No, we didn't. I'm normally pretty fanboy about everything, but uh, I wasn't excited about that one, and I am excited about this one. 
Yeah. So, like I said, I think there's a lot of opportunities for it to get a lot better. And once again, there's a lot of opportunities to take uh, – you've got a, a much bigger variety, I think, of play styles available to you now. That much is true. I, I will say this. I've played against these dwarves twice now, and they are, it's a much more fun experience than it, than it used to be. Yeah. It's much more engaging. Um, maybe it's because I do have a magic phase. Maybe it's because they're – those armies have been more aggressive and, in some cases, moved towards me a little bit. Uh, but, yeah, right. I, I've enjoyed these games a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, folks, um, that's it. I hope you enjoyed uh, this portion of it, covering all the fluffs and rules and magics and stuff like that. Um, we will be back in a couple of weeks with Part 2. And uh, so we're going to hit... Uh, we're going to talk about some lists and strategies unit analysis. And, and unit yeah. analysis next episode. Beautiful. Mike, thank you so much for joining us and yep, going thanks, through Mike. this with the fluff and stuff like that. Pleasure to be here. I had a great time. I am glad. And uh, so I guess that's it, folks. Um, you know, go through the basics. Hey, buy a hoodie, leave us a review on iTunes. Yep. Send us an email. And until then, thank you very much for joining us, and we hope you had a great time. Take care, guys. Take it easy. You've been listening to Garage Hammer. If you like the show, we invite you to join the Garage Hammer community by joining our forums at garagehammer.net slash forum or our Facebook page, Garage Hammer Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter. Follow David at Garage Hammer and follow Chris at Topher Chris U. If you'd like to contact us, you can reach David through David at garagehammer.net. You can reach me, that's Chris, through Chris U at garagehammer.net. And you can reach both of us through garagehammer at live.com. If you want to help support Garage Hammer, check the support page or the show store on our website, or leave us a positive review on iTunes. Until next time, thanks for listening.